everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 314. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by co-host David Bix and Span and Bix. Just me and you this week for a Between the Sheets-centric show, if there probably ever was one. It's, it's going to be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to this one, particularly, with all just the stuff here. It's very on-brand. Yeah. The way You know how uh, our friends at the Zugunda Kaida blog have entries called on-brand Zugunda Kaida? Excuse me, Zugunda Kaida. This is on-brand between the sheets. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff here that um, goes into stuff that we talked about on many different shows in this, in this era, and it seems like it all congregates here in this one show. All these different uh, topics and people and everything. So let's get going. As we discussed the week that was, week plus one day, of August the 3rd through August the 10th, 1991. Why one extra day? Well, we did show 54, which ended on August the 2nd. Of course, our week begins on August the 4th, so the extra day pops in in that regard. All right, so let's go with the World Wrestling Federation to lead off. There are going to be several firsts on this weekend's WF, WF syndicated television shows, dealing with the introduction of Ric Flair. According to Vincent Mann, voiceovers were done on Monday afternoon for the shows, with Flair's name mentioned on both Superstars Wrestling and Wrestling Challenge that will air the, over the weekend as World Heavyweight Champion. The initials in WA or WCW will never be acknowledged for obvious reasons. Flair's world title belt, but not Flair, will be shown in the vignette with Bobby Heenan on both shows. Interesting first, and not only is this the first time WF will acknowledge and recognize a champion and or championship from another promotion since 1984, when Vince bought George Championship Wrestling for a brief period he recognized Liz Thornton as his junior heavyweight champion and the spoiler as the national heavyweight champion for chopping him out. Wait, is it, wait, wait, first wait, wait. Time- it's not from another promotion, though. He owned it, and he didn't refer to them as belonging to another promotion. No, but it, Les Thornton was the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion. Weren't there like, were there multiple versions of the NWA junior title at the time? No. Okay, so what happens here then technically is that there end up being two WWF junior heavyweight champions with Cobra or whoever in Japan at the time also being WWF junior heavyweight champion. And the spoiler was just known as the national heavyweight champion, not a WWF national heavyweight champion, but national heavyweight champion. True, they never had a WWF national champion like they would with WWF Intercontinental or whatever. But the first time they were talking about a wrestler before a deal has been finalized for bringing the wrestler to the WF. Obviously, this is being done because McMahon must be extremely confident he can cut the deal with Flair on or shortly after September the 1st when Flair's WCW contract expires. Although, actual the contract negotiations won't, even, negotiations won't even start until that date for legal reasons. Equally as obvious by billing Flair as the other World Heavyweight Champion that Flair is being set up for a run with Hulk Hogan. Speculation from this end is that the heel wrestlers refer to Flair as the real world champion, while the face wrestlers will refer to Hogan as the real world champion, providing everything happens as appears it will. Flair will first be talked about by Heenan late in the challenge show on Saturday, who will have Flair's title belt in his shoulder. Heenan will say that the man who owns the belt is Ric Flair, and that comparing this belt with Hulk Hogan's is like comparing ice cream to horse manure. Flair is legally unable to make any moves regarding his career until September the 1st, unless he resigns with WCW. There was a lot of talk last week, staring from Flair's appearance at a fans convention in New York City the day before SummerSlam, and the report by Jim Ross on WCB Hotline that Flair would make a surprise appearance at WF at SummerSlam's pay-per-view. However, the airline ticket fan convention promoter John Arenzi purchased for Flair was for him to leave New York the morning of SummerSlam. One would think there would be legal problems 
with Flair making an appearance at SummerSlam. McMahon said any discussion about Flair would be programmed would be premature considering the deal can't be cut until September the 1st. Other sources are saying that Flair would have joined Titan, and there's obviously enough confidence he will to talk about him on television. His debut date would be likely at the mid-September TV tapings. Speculations that Flair and Hogan will work a major house show run in the fall, running the hold off the inevitable match until WrestleMania next year. This past Saturday, Joel Goodhart strongly hinted that Flair versus Terry Falk would headline his September 21st show in Philadelphia. That's bullshit! <laughs> well, Flair's name was never mentioned directly, but the implication that Funk would wrestle as a champion whose name can't be mentioned for legal reasons until September the 1st, now let's hear the chant, and the place started We Want Flair chants, and Goodhart, closed, Goodhart always delivers. However, those close to Flair indicate best Flair's being hinted for that date is premature speculation and, and at worst, highly unlikely, but not impossible to ever come off. Okay. Um, first things first, boy, is it interesting to see Vince going, uh, for lack of a better term, full Tony Khan and how he's dealing with Dave at the time. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know, we have Vince McMahon said, we have other stuff that's clearly coming from Vince, the content of the Heenan promo before it airs, etc., yeah, Dave. Uh, Dave wouldn't be getting that information from pre-tape, uh, you know, stuff like that unless it was coming directly from Vince. Right, right. And we should remind everyone that what happened here was that when Dave had his whole mess in February with the stuff with the National and the Iraq War exploitation and all that, after. Uh, I forget, was it Dick Lover or Basil DeVito that uh, burned J.J. Dillon as Dave's official contact? It was one of them, right? Dick Lover, I think? Yeah, Dick Lover sounds correct. Okay. Yeah, so when that happened, because they sent this letter that was like, and we provided Meltzer with a knowledgeable source in our office, J.J. Dillon, which they were not supposed to do without J.J.'s permission. And after that... Vince called Dave, and at least for a while, I don't know if it stops before they get very chatty again in 95-96 or what, but this is the first time Dave and Vince really have a relationship, and so far it seems pretty good. Yeah? I mean, we're just about uh, to get to the... Uh... Oh, crap. When is... I guess this is the meeting of all the newsletter writers. That's also coming up. Slam weekend. Yeah, Titan Towers, so... Yeah, it's about the friendliest Vince had ever been to the to the sheets. Oh, it's a hundred percent the friendliest he had ever been with the sheets at this point, for sure. I don't think there's any arguing that whatsoever. You know, so mm -hmm. interesting to see this. I I know I had read this before. I mean, we, we did it on the Flare Patreon show, I'm sure, but I completely yes. forgot that it obviously like and was explicitly said to be information coming from Vince, which is interesting to see. Um, also, for those of you thinking, wait, he's working a weekend at a fan convention, how would he be flying out the morning of SummerSlam? That's because it's 1991. SummerSlam's still on Mondays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was basically to take advantage of the U.S. Open to a degree that they weren't yes. going to have TV on on Mondays. Yeah. And school still wasn't going back that early in most places at that time. Right. So kids could still watch the show because they're out of school. And there are plenty of places, too, that go back later anyway. Like, <clears throat> where I grew up, it was always uh, 
the Wednesday after Labor Day. <laughs> Shit, that stuff. I mean, after Labor Day stopped here when I was in school. Really? You know I mean, okay. they, they, they went back to school this year on July 29th. Jesus. When do they end I know. the year? Uh, May. The third Friday in May. See, okay, that's the thing, too. It's ending earlier, too. Well, yeah, they they end a whole lot early. I mean, but there was one school, a private school, they didn't end until the second week of June, and they went back uh, July 20th. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but they're giving them a month off coming up. All right, weren't there also a places month. like California where because of the year-round weather, the kids went to school in, like, cycles and had multiple, like, shorter vacations throughout the year to replace summer vacation or something? Well, that's what they do in Japan. I mean, they go year-round. I mean, they just give them time off throughout the year, but they go to school year-round. Right. Right. And you you get, like, three, you know, multi, four sets of three weeks off or three sets of four weeks off, you know, whatever, something like that. But, yeah, I mean, I know definitely up there in New York that the school is different as far as going back and stuff, absolutely, but it's just different down here, you know? I don't Why? I don't know. But, but yeah, that's the deal with Flair and, and Resi and stuff like that. And the Goodhart, you know, <sighs> that's one of those deals where you, you you get cute and you get the fans thinking one thing and then you don't deliver. This was this whole thing with CM Punk and AEW, which I got to believe that's a done deal. Yeah. But if it's not... And they're being this cutesy, and then they go to Chicago, and it's not him that, that shows up. That's going to be a mess. Big Here's mess. something to think about, though. What if, and I doubt this happens, because it seems like Danielson's going to debut in New York City. But what if they did do something like have a Daniel Bryan debut earlier in the show, and then have Punk come out later? So, I mean, it doesn't. I guess it doesn't matter, though. I mean, it has to be Punk. As know? long as he, as long as Punk appears before the show goes off the air. Yeah, I guess it's the best way. To but again, the thing is, the thing is too is you can't do two debuts like that in the same show. That'd be insane. Oh no, no, I doubt your, your it. I doubt your weight. But 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 even though those weren't as big, what did they do last year? And what they were going to do, you know, originally in Rochester, and ended up being the first Jacksonville show. Brody Lee and Matt Hardy debuting on the same show. Yeah, but there was extenuating circumstances. There was? So it's a different... Yeah, COVID. <laughs> no, that was, that's what I'm saying. No, that was the plan regardless. So Matt Hardy was going to debut on Rochester too? Yes. I don't remember that like that. I just knew Brody Lee was. But again, Matt Hardy and Brody Lee are two different, totally different things. So that's a whole. But also, well, no, remember too. Specifically, the swerve of sorts was was that we knew that the Dark Order leader was going to pro- debut. The, for lack of a better term, betting odds were suggesting Brody Lee because it was originally supposed to be in Rochester, but. There was also strong rumors that, you know, Exalted One could be Matt Hardy. So when, you know, Brody Lee comes out in the middle of the show as Exalted One, no one expected Matt Hardy to debut on that show from that point. And then he still did. 
Yeah. That's why I'm kind of at least entertaining the possibility they could do something like that again, but I doubt they do. They yeah, better not. That'd be no. stupid. Now, what if they what if they did it with someone like Adam Cole or whoever? That'd be stupid too. No, I think it would I mean, be. You, but do you really too. think the crowd would think that Punk wasn't going to be there if it was early in the show? I don't really worry about I mean, I worry about that as much as the the fact that you're wasting your wasting a big debut by having another big debut. Sure. That's like turning heel. That's like turning heel on somebody else's segment. They're turning heel. It didn't seem to hurt Brody Lee or Matt Hardy though. Brody Lee and Matt Hardy are a different level of people than CM Punk and Brian, and Brian Danielson. Yes, but Hardy was the bigger star than Brody Lee, and he didn't upstage Brody Lee's debut by debuting later. Uh, I don't know. If, I, I don't know if I'd say Matt Hardy's bigger star than Brody Lee at that time. I get what you're saying, but anyway, so back to thirty years ago. Um, I guess the last thing before we move on. Well, I guess closing the good heart loop. Do you at least think he was talking to Flair? Uh, uh pro- he's probably talking to Flair's people. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Why wouldn't he? If he's yeah. available. And and he's the most prominent indie promoter around. He's got he's using all these big names, so Flair knows that he you know he, he uses people. Part is spending money and stuff, yeah. So, and and it's Philly, and it's Philly where you'd probably have the best shot of something like that drawing. Yes, and also, uh, you know, Flair took the signing with a resi. Yeah. And I believe that's the only thing he does like that before he starts with WWF. Yeah. But it suggests he'd be willing to do something else. But I don't even know what he'd be charging for an indie match, though. I, I don't I, I don't think it really would have mattered because he, he was always going to go to WWF. I mean, oh, yeah. why do what you did if you're not doing that? So, you know. All right, so... As most of you saw over the weekend, the WF introduced the name Ric Flair with Bobby Heenan holding Flair's NWA World Heavyweight title belt on their syndicated television shows. Let's go to the clip from Wrestling Challenge. Bobby Heenan's show he's on. because He made an appearance on Superstars, too, but we're going to go to the show he actually works on, where Bobby shows up with Gorilla Monsoon wearing his fedora and uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart wearing his high-energy type of tire. No, you, new you foundation. Yes, because this is the era where they're trying out having the three-way booth with both heel and babyface color commentators. Yes. And uh, just to clarify the other thing, too, he basically gives the same promo on both shows. Yeah, he does. On Superstars, it's in front of, you know, that red backdrop. Here, it's green screened as the closing segment of them in front of the crowd on Challenge. Here we go. How about this? What is that? This happens to be the real championship belt. That's not Hogan's belt, Rain. I know the champ's belt when I see it. You're right. Comparing this belt to Hulk Hogan's belt would be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. Comparing the men that wear these belts would also be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. You see, the man that owns this belt is right now under contract to another organization. But in the very near future, he might be coming to the World Wrestling Federation. The man is also a very long, dear, personal friend of mine. Does the guy have a name? Yes, he has a name. This man not only has challenged Hogan on numerous occasions, 
unanswered, may I add. If you want to compare him, fine. Then let's compare Hulk Hogan to Ric Flair. That's effective as hell. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way of doing it and having Heenan be involved and you know, the long story with Heenan. My name is something auto-played somehow. I don't know why. But going the long history of Heenan and Hogan and all that stuff. and Oh, yeah, it, it's definitely uh, highly effective. Oh, absolutely. And another thing, and honestly, I think one of the main things that makes this more effective than the... Uh, Superstars version because it's the same promo not actually in front of a crowd but playing off of Gorilla and also the way that they time the promo with the challenge theme song yeah it just works better and the thing is though not everywhere but a lot of places, as we talked about before, it's not everywhere, but still a lot of, if not most places, this is the promo people would have seen second. Yeah. And it's the much more effective version, which is interesting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, the fact that Heenan mentioned that he signed the contract to another organization was funny because he wasn't. Eh, but well, no, uh, he yeah. is. We just talked about it. He is. He's under contract with WCW until September 1st. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. I know. I, I get it's it. Even though we just read it, you think of him already being gone. Because why would they mention his name on TV if he's still signed to another organization, too? Right. I know. I get what you're saying. Um. And I also just like the thing of it being this little cliffhanger on Challenge 2. It's just, I mean, again, and it gives the fact that this guy is is another organization's World Heavyweight Champion. He's still signed to some organization, even though the, the organization said he doesn't work there anymore yep. on their TV. That's, that's, the thing, that's the thing that, you know, kind of throws, could throw you off. It's that Heard, you know, is on TV talking about he doesn't work there anymore, but yet he's still he's still employed there. Yep, and, you know, we talked about this before, I think mainly on that Patreon show, but, you know, and for those who really want to hear the full story of everything that went down, that's the show to listen to, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Uh, Vince greatly erred in not trying to join the NWA to help get this program over more. Yeah, because WCW wasn't a part of it, really, so... Well, they're still a member, but I don't know if they would have been disallowed. Or they, the second they being WWF. But here's the thing. WWF doesn't have the issues that most others would have with doing that. They barely ever called their champion the world champion. No, they did the not NWA, in that era. No, the NWA bylaws would not really stop them from doing anything that they wanted to do. No, they the announcers and stuff like that would never use the the world term. Uh, the wrestlers might, but the ta- the announcers would never use that as World Wrestling Federation champion. Right, and. I feel like in the 80s, though, we would occasionally have Gorilla on commentary casually refer to Hogan or Savage as the world champion. But that's Yeah, but yeah, I'm talking about Vince 
Vince that would. Vince or the ring announcers or whoever. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, big deal. And uh, it's just the the way it shows up on TV. And it, the belt at that time was not um, pixelated. It wouldn't be pixelated for a few weeks, and then it, it got pixelated. But yeah, this was a, again a great way to build this up. Well, and also remember, once they're pixelating it, because it's not just about the TV, they end up having it's to get a, a different belt. It's a different belt. Well, first they have the knockoff big gold made. And mm-hmm. the judge says, no, that's bullshit. You're still making it effectively the same, like, intellectual property. And then they switch to what was commonly believed to be a tag belt. But in actuality, once people found pictures of Flair using it at shows, like, you know, clear or high-resolution pictures, it was actually the same Reggie Parks belt design, but made to say world heavyweight champion. Yes. All right. So as most of you read that, while the official contracts haven't been signed, it's pretty much formality that will be taken care of on September the 1st. Most likely Flair will debut at the TV tapings in Ottawa and Cornwall. Almost certainly be appearing on television in the flesh and on matches have been yet by debut by the weekend of September 21st. Dave was suspected up to that point. Heenan, who appears will wind up as Flair's advisor, will continue to do the same bits on Flair on all TV shows each week. Dave's guests will be working house shows starting mid to late October, at least in this continent, but it wouldn't surprise him to see him actually debut on the two-week European tour in late September, early October. And pretty much all that happens except for the Europe thing. So there you go. And isn't it funny we're talking about this? <laughs> on the day we're talking about this, is the day Flair gets released at Asks for release from WWE, and well, gets the release he asked for. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> technically not because you know we're recording this on the Monday. The story without the name attached to it started came in, coming out late Sunday, so he probably asked for it and got the release. Like, I would say sometime Thursday between Thursday and Saturday. Yeah, but the, 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 it's it got the day the news came out. Yes, Sean reporting Sean Ross reporting news on today. So. Yes. Now, meanwhile. uh Speaking of contractual stuff, and this one's about to get a bit uh, dense. Let's go to the Pro Wrestle Torch. Ultimate Warrior pressed WF into a lucrative one-year guarantee contract, or else he was going to quit. Reports say he got it, which said new president WF. Warrior's in a unique position because he's not committed to being a pro wrestler, so he has more bargaining power when he says he's going to quit. All right. Interesting We're- timing of all this, isn't it? <laughs> Where should we start with this? Well, him asking for a new deal. So is the, is this the only mention of this in the newsletters in our week? Torch, yeah. No, Torch is the only one that mentioned it. And is there anything between this point and SummerSlam that you saw where it was mentioned anywhere um, else? No. Not really. Interesting. Well, Wade's starting to really come into his own, isn't he? I mean, I didn't really check, so to speak. Uh, once I get past my head, sir. well, once I go past, I mean, once I know I'm past my week, I don't care. <laughs> so, well, sometimes you go ahead to see if there's follow-up coverage of the thing that happened in our week, though. Yeah, but by that time it was SummerSlam. Well, sure. All right. So, <laughs> and so what then, happened at SummerSlam happened. So, okay. So where do we start with this? Because obviously, more people know this story now. Um, from the Warrior, you know, A&E documentary to some degree. But so wh- where do we start with this? 
Whatever. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> so July 9th, that is when Warrior at, was there a TV? Was there, I don't know if it was a TV taping or at the studio or whatever, is in the interview room and is made to record this apology video for a kid that he rudely snubbed for an autograph that turned out to be the son of like a TV station manager. July 9th when there was a superstars taping in Edmonton. Okay, there you go. Oh, the uh, infamous Edmonton taping where Barry Orton is doing TV jobs, gets loud Zodiac chants, and they have to, I believe, either tinker with the crown noise and or not use some of the matches. <laughs> yes. Okay, so that's happening in Edmonton. And he had to record the apology video. He denied the whole time that it happened. It's unclear if Vince believed him because Warrior already had a well-established reputation for doing that. The exact thing he was accused of. But now that we've seen... Okay, did you did you watch the Warrior A&E documentary at all? No, I did not. I, did not. I only watched the um, Dark Side. All right, have you seen at least to the apology video outtakes that were in the documentary. No. All right, let's play this then, okay? Let me... Like I, told, I said before, I really didn't care about the A&E stuff because I knew what was going to happen and just didn't oh, feel sure, to me. Oh, sure, but there was, there was good footage in it, though, that they were able to get access to. That's what I'm talking about. All right, so switch my little input here to QuickTime. Set up the screen. Share. One second. Uh, quick time, quick time, quick time. Whatchamacallit does, oh, whatchamacallit does not make that as easy as it should, Skype. You know what, wait a second, I'll just do the, I'll just do the whole screen. So it's easier for now for this one. Alright. So here is what they showed in the documentary from this apology video. Which thankfully I made a point of isolating. It's uh, Vince Apology. But not in the warrior's character. What am I, what, 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 I mean, I'm humbly apologizing, but I'm not saying what I'm humbly apologizing for. That's I mean, right. I know what the gimmick's for, but I mean, what, what's it for? In three, two... I understand that there comes times in everyone's life when they may regret certain things... <laughs> regret certain things that they should this uh -huh. yeah i know i don't know what the to say i didn't you say nothing to, say to the anything. goddamn kid i understand that well no you don't because i'm making a videotape to some kid it's a about work. apology it's a work that's all it is it's a work we're working here <laughs> i'm working here there's two matches left i'm working here making an apology for something i didn't do this guy's really whatever i should have whatever i it's supposed to have said to the guy i wish i had said to the guy me too Three, two. There shall never come a time that any one of the WWF. Go again. That I shall take revenge upon that person and vanquish them from this universe and shoot me. No one that walks within the World Wrestling Federation shall ever, never offend you without answering to the power of the ultimate warrior. Now you see why I told you to watch this stuff. Okay. So what? So what? What's the deal with that? What? Well, How's this playing to this? 
this is the apology video for the kid. I know, but how does it play into the contract? We're about to get into that. Okay. Okay. So, uh, first of all, though, it's a work. It's a fucking work. I need to make sure we have a drop of that. But something I didn't notice when I first saw this and I notice now, Boyer is working himself into so much stress that he's sweating so much. And I know they have the lights and stuff, too, but still, that his pain is coming off before they can even finish this, which is interesting. So anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell. So anyway, the next day, Warrior writes, hand writes a letter to Vince and faxes it to him. All right. Here we go. Actually, wait, I zoomed this in too much. All right. Vince, writing this is a different approach and expressing my feelings about the things we discussed the last two days under the pressure of TV. So this is on the 10th. Uh, knowing that any second someone would be knocking on the door, etc. Every other avenue we tried via phone, face-to-face, -face, myself still walking away with unanswered questions, always put off till a later date, always with the same result, no result. And by the way, um, we should also note that at this point, he's starting to go through his divorce with the charity, too. So there's a lot going on. So uh, always at a later, put it off to a later date, always with the same result, no result. Writing sometimes allows a person to express feelings or say things that don't come in conversations such as we have. Some of the things will once again become repetitive. So what I've heard, he puts in quotes, in an essence, at least a million times. I've tried to speak as a friend, but sometimes you don't hear. I've spoken as a professional, but the direction always gets changed. No, you never let me leave without a response, but the words you speak never have any definitives. My whole life for the last five years has had no room for anything but definitives. Los Angeles on Thursday, San Diego on Friday, San Francisco Saturday, Sacramento on Sunday, primetime on Monday. But you always have to have the best way of time. Time to say, uh, this is the one someone transcribed for me. I think one of these words is wrong. It says here, time to stew things over to work them your way. Actually, no, that does fit. Uh... I have been from day one different from the others. I have sacrificed myself both in my personal life and my physical well-being. There's presumably a reference to his divorce. The fairness you say you want everyone to have is unfair to me. Actually, the divorce may be the following year, now that I think of it, but I have to, I have to refresh my memory on that. Done what, uh, done what would and has taken others 10 to 15 years. The points and suggestions you have made over the last five years were very well taken. Now I look at other individuals with less than one-third the creativity, desire, and hunger I had, have, and wonder how you can look at, look and see them as the one. For you as a friend, I pray all the things you believe in rise to the surface and present themselves. Then there is the side that says, What the F, man? When I thought I was the one... Topics of conversation were, treat the veterans with respect. The veterans you spite are the very ones who will fuck it up for you. No matter, I listened. I would go to the ring, push myself to the brink of a heart attack, and you would say, when you go to the corner, smile. If you spoke of the ultimate warrior appealing to all old... Excuse me, you spoke to, of the ultimate warrior appealing to all old, young, ugly, beautiful, fat, skinny, black, white. 
boy, is that comment about the heart attack interesting with hindsight. Yeah. So, I don't even think he's exaggerating how he feels here, you know? This feels like him saying when we see him get blown up, he feels like he is going to die. That may be why he worked the way he worked, too. Yeah. Now that you think about it, I mean, that may be why he he uh, tried to do short matches, not do a whole lot, or, you know, whatever. So that could be why. This feels like someone saying a lot more than, like, yes, I know I have bad cardio. Yeah. So, uh, so we continue. A character who would show ups and downs, emotions and intensities, sensitivities and cold heartedness when it was needed. Like a yo-yo, I obliged so I could be the one. Where the hell are this man's ups and downs? Total jugular vein popular, total jugular vein popping yelling at all times. Is this the total picture, a character, or presentation that I can be the one? I learned with you to show intensity at this level but also to show just as much intensity with the look of my eyes or with the whisper of my voice or even better, extreme intensity and total silence. I did all you asked. Also something interesting I just realized. Moyer doing all the running and blowing up visibly was not something that really happened when he was in Dallas. No. So is the implication here that he feels like Vince is making him work beyond his physical capabilities with his vision of what Warrior is? Well, I mean, the thing the thing is, is that you think about it, okay, Dallas, he's working, um, he's working a, a much more limited schedule. Much um, less travel. Much less yes. travel. So he's, 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 he's very different than working a WWF loop. A w especially a WWF loop in this era. Yeah, well, he's all these different places, you know, and doing all this stuff. I mean, it's it's totally different, totally different worlds. I mean, everywhere he'd been, Memphis, you know, for a short time he was there, short loop. Watts, a little bit more of travel, but still a lot of travel. It's, it's different. You weren't crisscrossing time you, zones you, all the time. So. You were exactly. You weren't going across the country, so to speak. Not at that point in time. So. Also, I think it's interesting that it seems like he's kind of saying that if he had his way, he wouldn't be doing the screaming promos all the time. Yeah. That's how that reads to me. And he's been stressed out because of what's his, the past year of his life, you know, being being the world champion and then having that taken away from him. And also having his character futzed with so, so much. That's a thing people don't remember. Watch some 1990 WWF week to week. Obviously, part of it that he is that he wasn't drawing, but they changed his image and his promos and stuff constantly. Yeah, I mean, there's weeks where he's wearing the full paint, and then there's weeks where he's unpainted except for like the little warrior logo. There's on weeks where he's yeah. There's weeks where he's talking like a normal person. Yeah. There's weeks where he's back to be expected to be like it it just goes back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. No consistency. So here we go. The long term plan changed. I think it's then the long term plan changed. At first I was reluctant for what I believed were the right reasons, 
once again, I went with what I knew I could believe in. Vince has never fucked me. I dealt with what you thought was the best, no matter what the cost to me, no matter the countless number of sleepless nights that were to come, no matter the number of times I had to knock on your door with questions I should never have had. That, to me, reads like, I'm making world champion money, and then you cut off the title reign at a minimum months before it was supposed to end. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So, and then what closing was originally the third page of the handwritten letter... For the last two and a half years, I should have never had the questions I did. To stand and make a videotape apology for something I never did made me realize all we have is business. And now here we go on to page four of the handwritten letter. Once again, I went without sleep. If I ever do again, it will be because I elect to, but not because my wandering mind says to do so. How do I put this without sounding like I'm just diagnosing someone as a non-professional? Boy, does that sound like someone with bipolar disorder, doesn't it? He's got some issues. Yeah. He's got some issues, absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, you basically have someone saying, my thoughts are racing and all that. And how how old is he at the time? Um, 30. He's about 32. So if there were any, like, existing yeah, he just turned 32. If there were any existing issues, they would have surfaced years earlier. But, most likely. But, you know, you never know. Anyway, uh, as far as, you know, when people are, are in taking medication or whatever. But anyway, I don't want to dwell on that too much. In reaching, these conclu- this, in reaching this conclusion, I asked for these things. You say $500,000 for WrestleMania is unfair. Then I say the last... Eight and a half years, I think it means three. I think this was a typo for three and a half. Three and a half years of not being compensated equally when I meant as much or more to the company. It was total bullshit and most definitely unfair. I have sacrificed more than 500000 more than $1 million, even more in monies that should have been paid to me in receiving equal compensation to Hulk. I paid my goddamn dues long ago. I need not pay any more. I have given everything, and never once was there a knock on my fucking door. Whether to bullshit as a friend, or to help me through times of need, or you trusting me to help you through years. I ask for these things, Vince, and the answers must come for the next event is upon you. It has been for me the five years, and for you to tell me you need to evaluate whether or not I'm cost-effective and this takes time is unfair. Huh. So Vince basically... Uh, I think that's the only reference to this, but it, it appears Vince told him something that made it sound like he was going to get rid of him. Or if he's on a guarantee as the champion, he's going to take that away. There's a lot in here we forget about because of the stuff we're about to get to. Um... So whether was I, uh, evaluate whether or not I'm cost-effective and this takes time is unfair. A show runs at a given time and date. I've always been there, never asking for time to see if I have the rest, food, or whatever it takes to make it. Now I ask the same of you. So he gives a numbered list of five demands, okay? I want, number one, $550,000 from the monies allotted to me to purchase my home. This will suffice as my WrestleMania 7 payoff. But let it be noted, it is not fair. 
I meant as much or more to that show as Hulk. I deserve to be paid the same. And then he puts in parenthesis, I know what Hulk will get. Okay. Because this one's kind of different from the others, I, I want to get to this separately. There's a lot more to this, but he's absolutely right that he meant more to WrestleMania, excuse me, as much or more than Hulk Hogan when it came to WrestleMania 7. Yeah, got a savage match. I mean, that was a huge deal. Yes, that is the, that was the match on that show that people were invested in. You know, it was not Hogan Slaughter. So he's right about that. Where the, the, the amount he's asking for is where it gets weird. Because SummerSlam did better than WrestleMania on pay-per-view that year, yet him and Hogan each got paid 75000 for SummerSlam, plus a $15,000 bonus for Hogan. But um, where is he getting this number from? It's an it, odd number, yeah. Let me double-check, actually, with the pay-per-view buys just to make absolutely sure well at least the buy rate because it's only a few months apart so the buy rates comparing them is not the end of the world all right so wrestlemania 7 did according to pro wrestling history which uses the observer numbers a 2.8 buy rate and SummerSlam did a 2.7 okay so excuse me at least based on what what's out there at at worst they did about neck and neck so the same the same question applies either way. So I don't I don't know what to make of that at all. That said, there's also another layer here. It is not talked about nearly enough, and I'm sure there are more examples than the ones we know about, about Vince having the company loan money to wrestlers to buy houses so he could control them better. I don't what know. What is that? What, what did Savage get? What did Savage get? He also got 75 for SummerSlam. I'm talking about for Mania. Oh, for Mania? We don't know. We don't know what okay, anyone got officially for Mania. That's what I'm saying. I just wonder if he knew what Savage got to pay off, and Savage got more than what he got. Oh, for their formal payoff. Well, he also said that they know what Hulk will get, which makes it seem like they still haven't gotten the pay-per-view checks. Yeah. And then just okay, to give you an idea of how they were kind of viewing the pay structure, okay? And, my, you know, this is something printed out from their stuff years after the fact, so I don't know if this is... I mean, looking at what their gross and stuff is, it looks like, uh... Whatchamacallit? It looks, it looks like this is including the pay-per-view? Or, actually, wait, maybe not. Uh... Yeah, excuse me, yeah, it says the talent percentage is 191% of the gate. So, obviously, this is including pay-per-view and stuff. So... For SummerSlam 91, Hogan, Warrior, and Savage all made seventy five grand, with Hogan also getting a $15,000 bonus, seemingly just despite Warrior. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter made $50,000. Uh, Iron Sheik made $15,000. Adnan made $10,000. Elizabeth made $50,000. Road Warriors made $25,000 each. Nasty Boys made $17,500 each. As did Bret Hart, Kurt Hennig made twenty grand. Uh, so did DiBiase. Virgil made ten grand. Bossman fifteen. Mounty, I guess, for doing the jailhouse skits, made twenty. And then it kind of goes down to the prelim payoffs, which start at about five grand. All right, so 
let's just talk about it. so do you think that warrior being the position he's in warranted what he was asking for okay if wrestling promoters were being honest the ones who claimed to use the magic formula they were generally paying about a third of the after-tax profits to the wrestlers right but not everyone was doing that but just have a number let's say that um but i doubt but i don't think wwe well no we know wwf never paid that we just i don't we don't know what the actual percentage would have been in that era um i don't know if 550 is close to realistic but eh. i mean the other thing though he's he's such a non-entity in the promotion of that show that it's hard to figure out. You know what I mean? Well, we'll get into it. His main fear has nothing to do with the show. That too. I mean, it, it's uh, it's all weird. Very weird. But they already shot the Jake stuff, so... Here's the thing. Here's the, before, the thing I is... Mean, before, I mean, presumably before he sends the letter. If, and stuff. if Ultimate Warrior and Undertaker was a, the match on, was a match on this show, does it change? Warrior and Undertaker, Warrior and Jake. Warrior Undertaker. Is he worth more to SummerSlam then? Hmm. I don't because know. Because they've dragged out that program too long. Like, at a kind of a low level. You know what I mean? Like, there it was a few... There was just kind of nothing happening for a few months until the Jake turn. Yeah. So... I, I Now, I, but you can't do Jake because they air the, they air the turn the weekend of the show. <laughs> Well, I mean, we got stuff to talk about with that. So. But anyway, so let me finish off this letter. There's not much left. So then his other demands are... we're going far deep. No, I know. But we kind of had to on this one. So this is the this is the rest of his demands. Number two, four days off every other time period, except pay-per-view only. I presume time period means loop of house shows? I guess. I want... Okay, number three. I want the same pay cut as Hulk gets on all pay-per-views, Saturday night's main event... Friday prime time, he means the main event, house, which, I mean, doesn't exist anymore. And, well, actually, by this point, neither does Saturday Night's main event, really. So, house uh, shows and proof as such. The same pay cut applies to what Hulk has been paid with relationship to past events. WrestleMania 5, 6, 7, i.e. when Hulk was top draw. Uh, is he saying he wants to get extra money for those past shows i don't know about that it's 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 oddly written so i'm not sure exactly what he's saying there because obviously wrestlemania 5 he should not be getting a hogan level payoff wrestlemania 6 he should wrestlemania 7 he should but not wrestlemania 5 so anyway number four i want numbers and proof of monies on one nine hundred hulk he means the hulk hogan hotline and likewise same pay cut which I guess just means he wants a warrior hotline where he gets the same percentage as Hogan, but whatever. That I mean, that's fair, though, to get the same percentage as anyone else who had a themed hotline. And then same pay cut on all forms of merchandise. Because I have always had to knock on your door, words alone are not good enough. Understand Doug Sages, who was the CFO at the time, is on vacation. Call him, take his days off away like you do to the boys and myself, and have it written. Boy, is it interesting that he phrases it as the boys and myself. Yeah. That says a lot. 
Yeah. Every time I had to knock upon your door upon leaving, I have always apologized. I no longer feel I have any reason to apologize. Therefore, I will not. I have tried to speak as a friend, but maybe I don't have the qualities you require to seek me out as a friend. The videotaped apology was the icing on the cake. You see it as business, so whether I like it or not, I must do the same. Whatever your decision, I can and will live with it. Till then, I remain home with one who cares. Okay, so yeah, the divorce was the following year. Because obviously he's still with Sherry. But the way he's wording that. Signed, Jim. Okay. This takes... The end takes on a different significance now that we've seen that video. Because the way Vince is talking, he believes Jim, but he's stressing to Jim that it's a work we have to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. There's, there's your difference. The difference... Vince McMahon, I mean, it's all a work. Jim Helwig is firmly, staunchly invested in his character as himself. Mm. The way he looks at this is, is, is real to him. This is real. So that he's putting on face paint and everything as the warrior and doing this apology. Well, and then also the fact that Vince keeps telling him not to do it as war the warrior character, and he still does it anyway. Yep. He can't help himself. Because he, he I mean, he's the warrior. You also, know? I mean, that's well, where we're at now. What did Sherry, Sherry say in the Dark Side episode where she breaks down crying? And then one day... Jim left, and when he came back, the Ultimate Warrior came home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. He has legitimate beefs here. He does. But yeah. there's clearly a lot more going on, and he is pushing too hard on this. So, you know, what happens is Vince does not get... Excuse me, wait, that's the wrong letter. Excuse me. That's the Vince letter where he suspends him. Uh... So Vince gets back to him on the 13th and just agrees to everything. Okay, I'll just read the closing paragraph because it's very quick. Uh, I regret the turmoil you've put yourself through and I'm agonizing over what you feel is fair compensation. And even though we have a difference over what you feel is fair compensation, and even though uh, we have a difference of opinion on some of these matters, I am resolved to work with you in the same honest and equitable way that I have always have. Furthermore, be that as may, and then from there, notwithstanding... I would like to express to you my deepest appreciation and admiration for you as a performer, as a member of the WF family, as a man, and as my friend, Simon Vince, which he did not intend to follow up on. He felt it was under duress and was doing it only because Warrior was, was no showing dates and saying he would not come back until this was resolved and wanted to get him to SummerSlam and then suspended him. So there you go. <laughs> there it is. All right, and uh, we might have to do a Patreon show down the line on Warrior and WF because that'd be some interesting stuff there, all the different stuff over the years yeah, going on there. Yeah, I mean, we probably should. Just, it's just the thing is, is we'd have to figure out the balance of newsletters versus other stuff because there's well, so much. Together. I think, I think it would have to be because there's so much to it that's not in the newsletters at the time. Yeah. Anyway. All right, well, let's, yeah, let's go to the house shows. August 3rd in Orlando, drew 4,300 as The Dragon beat Paul Roma, two stars. Marty Janetti and Shane Douglas, more on that in just a bit, over the Orient Express, three and three quarter stars. Bridge Bulldog over Typhoon, negative two stars. No announcement made regarding Mr. Perfect at any point in the show. Second month in a row, Perfect missed his match with the Bulldog and here. 
Warrior over Undertaker in a body bag match, dud. Great Valentine over Colonel Mustafa, negative one star. Mountain over Boss Man, star on a quarter. Barbarian over Hercules, dud. And LOD over Nasty Boys by Cutout, no DQ, two and a half stars. Indianapolis saw the Berserker, same day, over Jim Brunzel. Duggan over Smash at Demolition. Carrie Von Ergo double count up with the Warlord. IRS Ted DiBiase, way before Money Inc. was a thing, over Virgil and Bret Hart. Jimmy Snook over Hercules. Bushwhackers over the Beverly Brothers. And Hulk Hogan over Sergeant Slaughter. And that's listed here. Warrior missed all of his dates this past week until Sunday in Orlando due to a problem at home. Well, okay, so here's the thing. That can't be a cover for the Vince dispute because we know... That as far as Jim knows, that was resolved weeks ago. Yeah. Is is it possible this is when Sherry finds out about his affair with Melanie? With the, excuse me, the future Melanie Bellman? Yes. Because I don't think we have a good timeline on the specifics of the... Like, the divorce is still ongoing later. But I don't think we know when all of that's initiated and when they actually split up. But that's got to be it. But as of a few weeks earlier, when he wrote the letter, it seems like he's talking about staying at home with Sherry, right? Yeah, but it's, I think it's just what the timing is. It's got to be it. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, Shawn Michaels actually injured his back injury. No word on how long he'll be out of action, but Shane Douglas will be taking his place until then, although he's working on a bad ankle. I completely forgot that, that it wasn't actually a knee injury. Or, well, no, excuse me, the knee injury was the previous year, so... Yeah. What, wait, what was back. the gimmick injury at this time? I don't think there was one because the Rockers really weren't. Do you high profile? <laughs> no. Yeah, they weren't high profile. They didn't have a program or nothing. They were just working. Right, which also it shows besides how much they were not getting along. Why Sean and I think both of them really kind of wanted the split. It should happen earlier than it did, but that's another story. It should have happened. And they should have put Shane with Marty and had them as the as a tag team then. Well, we've talked about this before. My understanding, and I think it's yours too, is that they are actually billed as the Rockers and the New Rockers on some of these house shows. Yes. Yeah, they're billed as the Rockers. Yes. Not also, New Rockers, the Rockers. Also, for those of you who have never seen Shane Douglas in the WWF in this era, he is he looks like he is going to explode. Uh, yeah. He's not as big as he was in ECW, though. He's not as big Ni as he was in 19, ECW? 1997, 98, Shane Douglas is bigger, a bigger man. He's a bigger man, but here he's more jacked. He's muscled. He's more was. muscular, for sure, yes. Um, I'm, I've always been curious to see, but I don't think there are any handhelds, some of these matches, though, because we're seeing... You know, very good reviews at the house shows. Apparently, they worked well together as a team. Yeah. Here's something else, too. Right. Is it possible that the Sean Douglas stuff actually goes back to this? Probably. <laughs> I don't think Shane's probably. ever talked about it that way, though, has he? Pro no. He pro it's probably on Sean's end. Well, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> All right, prime time on... Oh, excuse me, I'll skip one. Tito Satana should finally be returning as the Matador next month. So there's that. Well, real quick, prime... when, was the, when was the Undertaker match in Barcelona? That's after this. Because it's... Because I know we covered it. I just... Yeah, it was in the fall, like September, October-ish. 
Uh, give me one second. Uh, Prime time on August fifth did a two point six rating, decent. All American on August fourth did a two point two, not good. So there's their TV ratings on USA. Mm-hmm. All right, Dave uh, said, "Did you notice over the weekend when Sid Justice was out with Hogan and Warrior, how the camera made it seem that Justice was the focal point, and they were simply the background guys?" Well, we have a clip. So let's play the clip of this. And let's see how much of this is the actual case here. All right. I think I also wait. I need to switch uh, switch the thing back to Firefox and a little mixer. All right. There we go. Being closer to the Super Summer Sizzler in the Big Apple, I'm talking about SummerSlam. And in that gigantic main event at SummerSlam, it's going to be Sergeant Slaughter, General Adnan, and Colonel Mustafa in a handicap match facing the team of the Ultimate Warriors. There's this music. Yeah, I bet you do. And this is taped in Edmonton, right? Yeah. Same paint, same gear. Yep. And his partner, Hulk Hogan! They recognize this. And so does Roddy Roddy Piper. And Interesting that Savage is still sort of alluding to being kind of a heel. I told you they did that for a while. No, I don't remember them keeping it going after the proposal. They don't. They don't give it some of But the proposal happened already, didn't it? The time is growing closer to the big one at SummerSlam. The handicap tag team bout. And Sergeant Slaughter and company will be facing the two of you. And Hulk, I think he said it best when he said this would be a match made in hell. Well, you know something, Mean Gene. Sergeant Slaughter hit the nail on the head when he said this was going to be the match made in hell, brother. Because me and the Ultimate Warrior have been to hell and back again with Sergeant Slaughter. But you know something, Sergeant Slaughter, with you, General Adnan, and Mustafa in your corner, you're going to have to face the Ultimate One, Hulk Hogan, and all my Hulkamaniacs out there, brother. And as far as me and the Ultimate Warrior are concerned, our armies are going to wipe you out. How about it, Ultimate One? The visions of the Ultimate Challenge one day ago, Hulk Hogan, remind me... The calls there were hotter than any hell Sergeant Slaughter and his troops have walked through. Since that day, since that great battle, Hulk Hogan, your Hulkamaniacs have watched my warriors, and my warriors have returned the favor just the same. I say we look to the same gods and send the troops in. Grabbing Hogan by the necklace. Well, you know the way it stands, me, Gene, with the Ultimate Warrior, Paul Hogan, and all the warriors and all the Hulkamaniacs, this looks like they're the ones that are going to be handicapped. And as far as our armies are concerned, even the United Nations couldn't stop us from wiping out his troops, big man. What? 
Wait a minute, Hulk Hogan. Let me remind you about the presence of a man who indeed is ever as powerful as the United Nations, the special guest referee at SummerSlam, Sid Justice. Well, now this will be most interesting. No music yet. Get to my seat right now. Now, this man obviously is not going to be favoring Sergeant Slaughter. At least that's what he said. He's going to favor these two. Nice start there with those guys. Whoa! There we go! Don't judge a book by its cover. I recall recently when you came out and talked to Sergeant Slaughter and company, and they tried to persuade you to be part of the Corps of Destruction, Sergeant Slaughter's Corps of Destruction, General Adnan, Colonel Mustafa, and Sergeant Slaughter. Are they not saying himself. Triangle of Terror yet? At the conclusion no. of that interview, you emphatically denied that you would have any association with Sergeant Slaughter's Corps of Destruction. However, what I've seen here this week, this may not be a handicap match in SummerSlam after all. What are you trying to insinuate, little man? That I might be partial to this man who I might believe in. I'm not not. And this man who shows me intensity almost at the same level as said justice. But everybody can be assured of one thing. At SummerSlam, I will be there for one reason and one reason only. To see that justice is served. Justice will be served, but just how will justice be served? Well, I don't know. I don't know either. Okay, I think Dave's reading too much into this. <laughs> Here's what I think happened. I think Sid is not uh, listening to whatever instructions he was getting about how to block the promo. Yeah. Because he's turning his back to the hard cam or whatever it is. They keep having to shoot a handheld over Okerlund's shoulder from behind. I'm guessing that's where Dave got it from, but it looks like this is just Sid not doing it right, and they didn't want to reshoot it. But at the end, though, when he turns around and he's in the middle of both of them, he's front and center. But that's how you do that anyway, under the circumstances, I feel like. Well, yeah, but... He's a bigger dude than both of them. He is, yes. Um, also, holy shit, did he cover himself in water before he walked out there. <laughs> yeah, he was very wet. Yes, and something else I noticed, too. You could tell that Warrior had to hastily reapply his paint where it came off during the apology video. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think Dave's making too big a deal out of this, though, either way. It's possible, but... Still interesting to look at, though. Yeah. And seeing... I mean, Sid just comes out there and just raises their hands. But they're the winners. And then he gets upset with Gene for what Gene said. Very weird. 
that they did it like that. But anyway, I guess they were they felt like they had to do it to make sure everybody knows that Sid, yes, is a baby face. But even though he's not really supposed to be a, a actual baby, who knows? Wayne Keller noted that Sid's physique made Hogan look old and flabby. <laughs> well, so did maybe if you're saying that, so did Warriors. The difference is that Sid is bigger than Hogan and has yeah. a superior physique as well. Yeah. Big Boss Man's interview for SummerSlam. We'll see them infer that he's going to win it for the, all the Mounties. Since there's been so much publicity in Canada about the RCMP being so against the Mountie gimmick. Dan's going to feel as a character will undergo a change at the servant's time in prison. Well, it doesn't. <laughs> it just amps up even more, Dave. So there you go. <laughs> on, on TV, they've been airing skits where Jake Roberts is teaching Ultimate Warrior not to fear death. Like bury him alive in the cemetery, etc. You know, good, wholesome family entertainment. The final test airs this weekend, and Dave's guess that's where we end up with Jake turning heel. All right, so we have two skits because we have two Saturdays of TV in our week. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the August 3rd skit first and see what's going on here. All right. I just realized, wait, this is the video I was already playing, so here we go. This is the first one? You got an uneasy feeling. Yeah. You maybe even feel a little sick right now. A little uneasiness in the stomach because this is where it started for you. Take it easy. Having Warrior lay in the casket from the funeral parlor. Trust me, you told me you wanted to know. You wanted to know all about The Undertaker. You asked me. Well, I'm showing you. Yeah, this is the same casket you were in once before. You fought for your life. That was the mistake. You fought it. You've got to learn The Undertaker's way, brother. It's the dark side. The snake side, if you can understand. So my man... Trust me, look at me, warrior. Sam, Sam, brother. I'm not gonna fight you for this. If you don't wanna know, brother, I got something else to do. I'm not gonna fight you. If you wanna learn, you'll lay down and you'll relax and accept it, man. Take that walk. You gotta walk it alone. I can show you the path, but I can't walk along and hold your hand. So if you're ready, warrior, as ugly as it feels, as bad as it smells, Release it. Release it. Come on, open up your soul, brother, and let the snake in. Come on, now lay down. Lay down, my man. Lay down, relax. Breathe through it. Breathe. Come on, breathe. We gotta shut this thing, my man. We gotta shut it. Come on, come on. Easy. Hey, go for what you want, man. Go for what you want. But if you want to learn about the Undertaker, you get to learn where he came from. This is only the first piece of the puzzle. You said you came to me. I want to know. Trust me. Lay down. Trust me. Trust me. You get flashbacks, basically, to the angle. Lay down. Lay down, boy. Lay down. Lay down. Come on. Come on. Where are you going, man? You think you're going to find the puzzle, put it all together without doing this? I know, I've been there. I've walked on that side, man. If you're going to get to heaven, you got to go through hell. Take it easy. So trust me, my friend. Trust Point me. of view camera. Let me show you. There you go. Nice and easy. Easy. It's nice and slow, see? Nice and slow. First piece of the puzzle, my man. Just the first piece. The first one. Feels it. You've got to sit back and live with it. 
Relax. Quit fighting it. Breathe easy, my man. Trust me. Let the coolness creep upon you. Feel it. Maybe you've gone long enough. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Not quite. I mean, if you're going to go for it, man, go all the way. Take it to the limit, right? You don't want a piece of the pie. You want it all. I think you finally released it, didn't you? The fear. Let it creep out of your body. Let's see how you're feeling, big man. Let's see how you're feeling now. Yeah. Let's see how the big warrior feels now. Is that really how a casket's sealed, by the way? I have no idea. That's the same look. The look of the Undertaker. It's in your eyes, warrior. It's in your eyes. Does the zombie sit up? Turns the camera. That's August. We'll talk about both of these together. All right, so that's August 3rd. So now let's go to August the 10th. Oh, real quick, by the way, I did check real quick. There is an, uh, there is an article in the Montreal Gazette from our week about the Mountie thing. I'm not going to read it, but I do just want to say it says that they came to an agreement with the RCMP, WWF did, about not using gimmick in Canada anymore. But I do have to read this quote from uh, Sergeant Pierre Belanger or Belanger, or whatever, of uh, the Ottawa RCMP, their spokesman. We didn't want people to hear people asking, is this how the Mounties treat people? And then at the end of the article where it says, but now the Mountie will wrestle no more in Canada, closes with a quote from the sergeant saying, I guess he's gone undercover. <laughs> okay. So, all right, now let's go back to uh, the warrior discovering his dark side. It's not easy to take the same steps that a snake takes. Spooky cemetery. The warrior has begun. He has walked these same steps I'm taking now. Help the earth beneath his feet. The very same dirt. I wonder how many times this tree has seen someone buried underneath the dirt. The warrior has felt the coldness of the stone. Wonder what lie was buried there. <laughs> the warrior's not taking these steps because he wants to, it's because he has to. To put the puzzle together. To put the puzzle together, he's had to do the hardest thing any man could do. Trust me. Trust me. And he has done that. And he has learned. But you see. You might be wondering where the warrior is right now. <laughs> you might say he's digging up the past. Digging up the past. There we go, my man. Exhume the truth that lies beneath the soil. Come on. Dig. Dig. 
<laughs> you snake man, the only other one that walks living amongst the gang. Faster, my big man. Use those big wide shoulders. Deeper. That's not gold, my man. That's what both looking for. Here, give me that spoon. You don't need a spoon no more. Crack the shell, brother. He's there. He's there. Come on. Whose body are they digging up? Yeah, you got it. You got it. Come on, reach into the bowels of that. Who knows? Pull it out. It's there. Got that part. Smells nice, doesn't it? Death is always great to smell, huh, warrior? He's sniffing a human skull. This is just the beginning, just the beginning. Trust me. If I done you wrong, you listen to me, my man. Yeah, you listen. You see, now I must bury you with the same soil. Oh, the very same soil, my man. Bury your fear, warrior. That's what we must I do. I trusted you before, Snake Man. Before my gods, I trust you once again. Bury me, Snake Man. Stand your Bury ground, me warrior. Stand your ground. Just about to it. You know, my sunrise will know if you've passed this test, warrior. Even though the largest piece of the puzzle will be given to you on Thursday, huh? But for now, huh? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Cast your eyes into the sockets of the dead so you can understand the visions of the living. Are these the worst good vignettes in WWE history or the best bad vignettes in WWE history? That's probably it. But the thing is, is again, they're doing all this shit for nothing. <laughs> there's no payoff. Well, especially oh, because... It, it, it's Jake Eel for Savage, but Savage ain't got shit to do with this. Well, and also by... The time they start airing, Vince surely knows that he's getting rid of Warrior. Yeah, it's so extremely weird. While well, we're building all this for nothing. Yeah. Spending all this TV time and all this stuff for nothing. All of that said, here's one thing I like about it. Even though it's very obvious this is setting up a Jake turn. Yes, absolutely. I like that, at least in these first two, and you can see them escalating as it goes on. He's not physically harming Warrior. In the first one, it's explicitly made clear that it's the same casket from the funeral parlor angle, which means it has the holes drilled in it and stuff, which means he is not completely sealed in and unable to breathe. You know, and as we discussed when we did the week that the funeral parlor angle aired, like, they give him CPR. They don't put it that way, but he's dead. Mm-hmm. Um... And then the following week here, he, his head is above ground. He can breathe. 
It's clearly yeah. a test, so to speak. So I like, I like that aspect of it. Do you get what I'm saying? That mm-hmm. even though it's obviously telegraphing a Jake heel turn, they give it this nice layer of plausible deniability. Yeah. And it makes it seem like, I mean, he's asked Jake to do this, and Jake's doing this. But you can see where Jake is going to go that uh, that next level, and Jake's dark side is going to take over on him, you know? Yeah. That warrior, warrior is helping him re-embrace his dark side. So, yeah. Interesting stuff. Uh, again, it leaves a nothing. So there's that. Um Prime time. We normally play a lot of prime time stuff on this show from this era, but Sid was in studio uh, making an appearance on prime time to talk about his situation. So let's go to Sean Mooney, Lord Alfred Hayes, and Bobby Heenan with Sid. Tell you a lot of people wondering about Sid Justice, Lord Alfred Hayes included. Earlier we saw just how physically awesome Sid Justice is. Right now, let's find out if we can uh, get some. Thank you. Inside information, find out a little bit about the special referee for the match made in hell at SummerSlam. Please welcome Sid Justice. I forget, is Mimi subbing for Vince here, or is this the, your sign that Vince has lost interest with this format? Hey! Yeah, the sign. How you doing? Okay. How's it going? Put it out. I want you to do yourself a favor. I want you to listen. And when I am talking, that's exactly what I want you to do is listen. And remember one thing. I will only ask you one time. Oh. <laughs> well, I think we know where he stands on Bobby Lee. Uh, Mr. Justice, I've waited no, a long, uh, long time. I'd like to advise oh. you of something, too, small man, shorty. Oh. You listen, too. When oh. I'm talking, I want you to listen also, okay? I just wanted to shake hands, that was all. Well, I don't feel like shaking hands right now. <laughs> I thought well, you were going to introduce me. Sir Justice, you are going to be the uh, special referee at SummerSlam. A lot of people wondering just where you are going to stand in this encounter. Well, Sean Moody and the people... Sean Moody? I think in time now I have made my... We're live, pal. ...perfectly clear. I do not stand in the corner with Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior... I do not stand in the corner. I do not stand behind the Triangle of Terror. But in SummerSlam, I can promise and I can guarantee only one thing. That justice will be served. Yeah. <laughs> justice not about to take sides in the match made in hell. Right now, let's get to our feature matchup. Jake the Snake Roberts battling one half of the natural disasters, Typhoon. Leave this going? Uh... No, we're not playing the match. Well, I wasn't sure if it skipped past or not. So. No, 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 no. So, but there you go. I mean, I think there's a little bit more, but nothing really of note. But, yep. I mean, Sid, Sid's doing a really good job doing what he's doing here. Yes. And you wouldn't, you might not wouldn't have seen it coming if you watched WCW that seemed that he could be this type of character, but he is. He's doing well, very well. All right. Uh, in some newspaper ads, Mario Savoldi's IWCCW wrestling is calling itself a division of the World Wrestling Federation. Ah, <laughs> uh, explain that, Vex. 
I'm not sure I can. What do you mean? What do you mean? That's what Dave said. Uh, said that they're doing that. Um, I don't Isn't, know where. Well, this is the era, though. They have Dave Tal working shows. Where, yeah, where Tito and people like that are working on their days off. Yeah, so I guess technically they kind of are, <laughs> in a not way. Literally, but it's not as much of a lie no. as it would have been another time. How much of this you think is that they're that they're helping them against Herb? <laughs> Define helping. Well, they're letting IWCCW use maybe some people, some of their talent to help them against Herb Abrams. Hmm. Because her, you know, UWF was promoting shows in the Northeast. You know, maybe I thought I thought you might have been insinuating something about cement boots. No, I'm okay. talking just trying trying to, you know, help him help them, you know, win out in some markets or whatever, some places that may be sharing, you know, trying to run shows. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm looking to see if there's anything, at least on newspapers.com, that it has one of these. Um, okay, not an ad. There's an article about a show in Jersey from Savoldi that Rick Rudno showed. But nah, nah nothing he, here at least. It also refers to SD Jones as... World Wrestling Federation Special Delivery Jones. <laughs> That's what he was. <laughs> I don't know what that means, though. He was a World Wrestling Federation's SD Jones. No, but they don't say the World Wrestling Federation's SD Jones. They call him World Wrestling Federation Special Delivery Jones. Well, whatever. But I mean, this is a very Savoldi thing. Well, we should also explain to everyone what he, what Savoldi had tried to pull earlier in the year, too. Which was... Uh, had his syndicator send legal threats to uh, Max Andrews by claiming that all of the deals for what had been the world-class syndication network were in Kevin Von Erich's name. So since mm -hmm. now Kevin was theoretically working with them as international world-class championship wrestling, uh, they were saying that they were entitled to those time slots. Of course they were. Do you think they had any expectation that would work? <laughs> why not try it you know see what happens oh wait or was it howard rap i always because i always forget if they were related because there was that dude who was promoting indie shows that was named rap too and i always get the names confused well all right so let's go to the wbf now the world bodybuilding federation Titan Sports had a press conference this past wednesday night in beverly hills to made three announcements the first is reported here last week was signing a loop for rigno who played the Incredible Hulk in the late 1970s CBS television series to a two-year deal to join the WBF. They also announced the WBF would be anabolic steroid testing. The final announcement was that the next WBF championship would take place on June 13, 1992, in Long Beach as part of a fitness exhibition at Consumer Trade Show. The bidding war between Titan and Joe Weider was said to reach around 700000 per year, according to several newsstand magazines and pumping press. A British bodybuilding magazine reported the bidding having reached $1 million. McMahon referred to both figures as completely ridiculous, which Dave assumed to mean ridiculous is on the high side. Dave doesn't know if it's coincidental or not. The press conference is supposed to be in home Los Angeles. His Weeder's offices were at Woodland Hills. For Reno says it'll come out of retirement. His last competition was 1975 Mr. Olympia, 
Since then, he's worked as an actor in some B-grade movies and gained his most fame from the Incredible Hulk TV show on CBS in the late 70s. And he's coming to work for McMahon's XWF Championship, which will be held in June 92. Because the expense involved in putting on shows of the magnitude of this show this past year, and the muscle shows are going to be less frequent than originally announced. Preliminary reports were there would be four shows per year. And not a plan for no other shows in the U.S. until the show next June. Although there is a possibility of a show in London in the interim. My man denied the report in the pumping press that was reported in the Observer last week that his first show had the outcome predetermined. It was a complete shoot. I didn't care who won. All were of equal personality to me. I hadn't even met any of the judges for the contest, although I knew a Dave Draper, beat the Empire Blood in the late 60s and early 70s, and Fred Hatfield, a champion powerlifter by reputation. But we had an organization doing everything they can to discredit us. Direct quotes. <laughs> he also said one of the reasons the show went so long live is because they took the judges forever to come up with their decision. As far as apparently being so, apparently being the secret beforehand about Gary Schrader and Mike Christian being one too. Two days before the show is somewhat common knowledge among bodybuilding insiders. My man says clear to everyone who saw the dress wrestle several days before the event that Strider was going to win because he was so much better than everyone else than even Mike Christian knew. Although the legitimacy of the contest was questioned. All reports to show from the show indicate Stridham should have been a clear cut winner. <laughs> well, Bex, uh, was it a shoot or was it not a shoot? Uh, let me pull out my WBF Fighting Spirit article because I know I went over this there. Uh, let's see. Okay, where would this be? Championship. I'm trying to figure out where I had this part in the article. Uh. Da -da -da -da. Okay, early WBF stuff. So he went on... Well, okay, so remember, he went on last. He was positioned in the middle when they showed everyone, etc. And okay, so this is... And this is from something else that I... Uh, oh, no, okay, it was... I, I found the name of the guy who ran Pumping Press, Peter McGow, McGow or McGow. And then it's this, I had the same quote from Dave. Um, so... I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's all I know. But if, if you watch the show, it certainly looks like a work. I should Stratum have won by bodybuilder standards still? Yeah. But it's hard to watch the show and not get the idea that it's still preordained for him, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the guy probably was the winner, so. Yeah, the most striations. It really doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. Um, now, as far as the schedule thing, that ends up being a problem. Because now these guys have nothing to do all year. <laughs> what could they do, though? You know? They, they would book them out for appearances at some places, but they can't go to anything weed or affiliated. I mean, it's bodybuilding. <laughs> you know? When, I mean... You don't hear about bodybuilding on a major level, except maybe once a year for Mr. Lempier, or shit like that. Or maybe it's a worldwide competition. Well, yeah. Um, but, you know, when when I talked to Sean Ray, who was one of the people they tried to sign, who decided not to go and wanted to maintain his relationship with the leaders, he told me that because these guys were so he felt that these guys were so, made so complacent because now they're not having to hustle for, you know, sponsorship deals and make appearances and do all that usual stuff. 
that they got kind of lazy and it let people who are maybe prone to have drug problems indulge their worst impulses. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Ferrigno. Um, of course, that never happens. <laughs> all this this press conference and all this hullabaloo. Well, and then there's no, nothing. It, it's supposed to happen. He's part of the WBF for the better part of a year. And then as the second championship is coming up where he's supposed to compete, he bows out publicly claiming carpal tunnel syndrome, privately telling everyone, wait a second, I, you know, I was the Incredible Hulk on TV. They're, you know, I'm this visible deaf celebrity or hearing impaired, I guess, because I don't believe he was fully deaf. Um, but whatever the best way to put it is. I, I can't I can't be I can't be exp like outed as taking steroids or anything. So he pulled out. Yeah. And also interesting that I had not realized that the seventy five Olympia was his last competition, because you know what the seventy five Olympia is, right? Arnold, wasn't it? Well it's the it's the one in pumping iron. Yeah, pumping iron. Yeah. So and I think that is that Arnold's last one or is it the year after? Too. I think that's Arnold's last one. Yeah, so th that's interesting. That I had not realized that they basically both stopped competing at the same time. Yeah. All right. McMahon's long-term plan to market his bodybuilders to make sure personality seems to involve giving them larger than life, exaggerating unique personalities. Personalities will be presented on a television show scheduled for January start date, which in theory we get the guys over as television stars and celebrities, similar to his wrestling television shows. The show wouldn't be a weekly muscle show, such as appears on ESPN. As a man said, the strictly watch a bodybuilder's flex, except for the hardcore muscle fans, is boring as watching paint dry. No idea what the concept would be other than the idea of the show we'd get personalized to the bodybuilders over as ambassadors of healthy living. He admitted that getting the bodybuilders off steroids would be even more difficult than wrestlers because of their advanced sophistication in their applications. Even so far, to say it may take a few years. He went so far to say that he wants to change the judging criteria for bodybuilders re-education process we've spoken of where we wouldn't reward the steroided out look the natural look would be used for the mainstream to relate to we're going to change the judging gradually and we're going in a different direction than the WIDA organization what Vince knows <laughs> well Vince, the thing Vince, Vince is admitting that it's boring as watching paint dry for everyone except hardcore muscle fans why are you doing this then that is really interesting. I don't think I, I mean, realized you know he admitted that. Yeah, you know what the deal is. So, I, I mean, and I know that, that that you're into that. I mean, that's what you are. But, I mean, why even do all this? I mean, I, here's the thing. You can, he, he can do his one show a year, but he could have done that and still, you know. He could have done that on a completely smaller scale. And, and you know, be friendly with the weirders. The co-promoter, whatever. That's what's so stupid about this. I mean, you put, lost all this money for nothing. It, it, what it is is Vince wants to control, wants to control everything that he's involved in. So there was no way he was going to do work through the weeder. So he had to do it like this. Mm. But then you know, you're doing it like this, and you're like, well, shit. What do we do? What do we do? I mean. What one show a year? Well, let's do a TV show where we're gonna make these guys into personalities. Well, yeah. that's what they do, the body stars. But nobody's gonna give a shit, you know? Yeah, and also, 
I'm wondering, uh, was the whole thing that, you know, the late Fred Atfield told me about when I did that article about, which I, we talked about recently, where apparently Weeder hated that Vince used Federation and World Federation in those names while not being an, a member of the international whatever sports federations like the IFBB was. I wonder if that's already an issue before Vince ever does anything. Yeah, did, like, did Vince know that he had heat with Weeder? Because, I mean, you'd expect the Weeders to maybe sponsor some of his shows, and I don't think they ever did, did they? I don't think Vince cared. Okay. <laughs> I don't think he cared. But you know why so. I bring it up? I wonder if, like, yeah. if he would have ever entertained the possibility of working with the Weeders. I'm sure he may have thought of it. <laughs> but, uh, eh, we all know what happens yeah. there. All right, let's talk about something completely different here. Or not really completely. It was, Variety did a 22-page special edition on WWF WBF on in their August 5th issue, which made the Sports Illustrated story and Visit Man seem like the Wrestling Observer in comparison. So now let's go to Steve Beverly and Matt Watch, who had a detailed look at this. Which is good, the story- by the way, because it, it I would I could have gotten this on ProQuest if we wanted to, but it's way too much. It's 22 pages. Yeah, exactly. uh, the, the stories are favorable to Titan Sports, including a piece by writer Larry Leventhal, which began with leaving the Vincent Man in his promotion machine to turn a potential crisis into a marketing opportunity. Leventhal wrote that McMahon had recently ha- had lengthy negotiations with Dr. David Lee Black, who helped develop the drug testing programs for NFL, NCAA, several police departments in the military. McMahon's also talked with Kim Jasper of Comprehensive Drug Testing. The company was involved with devising programs for the NBA, MLB, and 1984 Olympics. Vince told Leventhal the problem is not anywhere near as serious as been stated. Still a problem. Besides, it's performance and charisma that sell, not size. We take wrestlers from all walks of life in a product mixed with all different shapes and sizes. McMahon also told Leventhal that the Zahorian trial was the best thing to happen to Titan Sports. Because an opportunity for them to make a promise and be held accountable. McMahon did deny the publicity for the trial, prompting the announced the steroid tests. McMahon also, again, failed to provide a time or date of the first testing or whether the results <laughs> would be made public if any other performers failed him. So now we go back to Dave. So we're back on that subject again, which seems to finally died down as far as major news coverage is concerned. McMahon had a four-hour-long meeting with his bodybuilding troop this week to discuss the plan of eliminating steroids and bodybuilding, the two of which have gone hand-in-hand since the 60s. Conceding that bodybuilders have the sophistication and drug culture to beat any current steroid test either by using human growth hormone and or masking agents, McMahon has plans to change aspects of bodybuilding, which, at least in theory, wouldn't give any financial positioning advantage to reward those aspects of the physique that are most a little bit affected by steroid use. That's in theory. Only time will tell if that's actually possible. Because of bodybuilders, you're talking about egos so dependent upon being freakish-looking that they would, on the surface, reject any notion, even one for their own health, to diminish themselves as freakish specimens walking down the street. It also has to be pointed out that this is the third time most people for Titan Sports have announced steroid testing for bodybuilders. It certainly appears that the first two times, it was said with no intention of falling through. There was any movement related to the first two announcements, one in January in a New York press conference by Tom Platts, and another quoted by Platts in the USA Today article in June. Even though a contest is held in the interim, of course, the Zahorian case and more, the publicity generated by the New York media that tied into the Zahorian case with the furor created by the Lyle Alzado steroid hysteria has painted the entire Titan sports company in a negative light. 
And one of McMahon's favorite sayings is he's going to turn a negative into a positive. The situation has completely changed from January and June. For long-term survival marketing characters to young children, Titan can't afford more steroid stories made the news about serious damage. The only way to ensure that is to, at the very least, eliminate the rewards, which ultimately makes it the individual's personal choice. Which, despite what many promoters like to say, it really isn't, or at least hasn't been in recent years. The risks are too high to announce steroid testing at this point and not go through with it. Well, at least Dave thinks they are. Okay, there's a lot here. Um, Dave is right that the, the first thing to do is stop rewarding steroid physiques. Mm-hmm. So who's being put, who's, who's the new big push name in WF this time? That would be one Sydney Uni. Mm-hmm. Who's about as big as he ever was here? Who's in a main event of SummerSlam? That would be Sergeant Slaughter, Iron Sheik, and Sheik oh. Adelano. Casey, I'm kidding. Uh, Hulk Hogan <laughs> and the Ultimate Warrior. There you go. And Warrior's also as big as he ever was at this point, too. So we're not rewarding. Mm-hmm. Now, Britt, who is completely off steroids at this time, does get the IC title. Yeah. And he gets a big singles push with it, so there is that. You know, Britt, I believe, has always said that he got off steroids in 89. And from how his look changed, because he was never super jacked, but he didn't have the big traps anymore or anything like that. I I think there's no reason not to believe him. So, you know, there is that. And especially when you consider that Hennig certainly still looks kind of gassed up. So there's some significance to that. But otherwise, no, it's it's still the same shit. Um, Zahorian. Do you think, between Dave and also Vince, do you think they're only feeling like it's media pressure? Or do you think there is concerns at this point that the feds could look into Vince, even though, you know, we know with hindsight, Zahorian didn't really have much to do with the feds looking into Vince? I don't think that the thought of the feds is, is, is at play here. I think it's more the media than anything okay. else. That's it's kind of what I figured. Because, remember everyone... <laughs> The Zahorian trial and the Zahorian investigation is not what leads to the grand jury. The ring boy scandal is what leads to the grand jury. And then, for reasons that have never been adequately explained, the focus of the federal investigation switches to trying to get Vince on the steroid stuff. Um, honestly, I kind of wonder if this dies down a lot quicker without the existence of the Hulk Hogan vitamins. Yeah, it probably does. It's amplified further because of of that the jokes and the implications and everything like i i i kind of feel like it blows over you know hogan didn't have to testify you're going mainly based on what zahorian said in court i think it blows over a lot quicker if you don't have the do they come in orals or injectables joke and just all of the implications say your prayers take your vitamins everything like i think if he doesn't have that vitamin line at the time and also maybe even if he has it but it's not as popular because as we've discussed before and here's how big they are in 91 that was the most popular line of children's vitamins in the country Mm -hmm. once it came out it beat flintstones vitamins Mm mm-hmm which were the incumbent for decades. Oh, yeah. So, I, th- I think that's a huge part of it. Because now, all of a sudden, Hulk Hogan's in every nutrition aisle, at every supermarket, every drugstore. You're seeing his face in this context. 
you know? Not good optics. No. No. And I think it's a lot di- it's a lot different otherwise. And I think also in part because is he big and he bl- and bloated and a lot bigger than he would be off steroids? Yes, but Hogan never had a bodybuilder physique whatsoever. Hogan was all about the mass. Mm-hmm. Hogan was never cut. Yeah. It was you know, mass. Meltzer used to get into kind of polite arguments with Vince about that, where Vince would say he didn't think that Hogan's, you know, physique or mass or whatever was part of his success. You know, he'd tell them he doesn't have a cut on him. You know, he's not cut up. He's not shredded. And then Dave would say he does a five minute bodybuilding proposing routine at the end of every show. And I guess they just agree to disagree, but well, the th- the thing is, is that his it's about the arms. Yes, Hogan, it's I mean, about it's having about huge arm arms. Mass. Yes, it's not it's not having the the cut. It's about the the, the arms, the biceps, and then it's not about the generally a very distant second. Also, the big the big traps and lats too. Yeah, it's the upper body. It's the it's the upper body of getting that so like upper upper body. Yeah. Yeah, the upper upper body, absolutely, yes. He's not Rick Rude, let's put it that way. No. Um, okay, so what else here? So the variety thing, you know, obviously there's much more in there than WBF stuff. But, and I didn't read all of it, but my big takeaway, I, I don't think they necessarily paid for this, but it has a lot of those... Um, I don't know if you've ever looked at any of these old trades and seen this stuff. They would have, for special like events and stuff, certain business partners would buy ads congratulating other business partners. And throughout this 21-page special section... On I'm the- an avid billboard, I'm an avid reader of old Billboard magazines. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know all about that. <laughs> so... That 21-page special section on Titan is absolutely filled with, you know, XYZ Arena congratulates the World Wrestling Federation type ads. So, do I think there might have been a little bit of a deal made here? Quite possibly. Do I think Titan paid for it? Probably not. But I think think there's more to this than just Variety deciding to do a 21-page feature on them. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's more to that, so. Yeah. Uh, oh, Dr. David Black? Yeah, there's that, yeah. too. Yeah. He's he's on, on the actual testing side. He's been a part of every, basically, I don't know if he did the cocaine testing, but once they start the steroid testing, he has been on the laboratory side of every drug testing program they've had. And the thing is, he's a re- he's a long time reputable dude. Look at who he was working with and stuff. So, well, it's not some Johnny come lately. And he doesn't have the baggage that once they bring him on, Doctor uh, Moroji Pascali has either, where he was the guy who was telling all the powerlifters how to beat tests. So he doesn't have that either. And you, if you read his congressional interview from the Waxman investigation coming after Benoit, you know, in 07. He really does come off as someone who is trying to do the right thing. Like, they get into this whole thing, because he talks about, like, I am a forensic toxicologist. I like to look into this stuff. Finding out about this diuretic 
that was, I think, really like a prescription diuretic that was being sold in some supplement called Star Caps. And test, like, going out of his way to get it and test it and then alert the feds about it. And other stuff, too. He's, he, he came off like a genuine person who didn't quite get the lengths that wrestlers would go to to get around this stuff. Like getting testosterone prescriptions from a doctor and whatever. Yeah, he would uh, learn quickly, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, so. pretty much. And then, you know, the whole thing where uh, they realized, wait a second, we need an MD because he's not an MD. You know, is a PhD in toxicology, I think. If he's disputing any of these prescriptions, so that's where Tracy, Dr. Tracy Ray, who I, I don't know if he's still involved anymore. That's where he came in. And of the, you know, of the drug testing people or wellness program or whatever you want to call it, Tracy Ray is the one in those congressional interviews that actually comes off kind of sketchy. Because what happened was there was someone in WWE who claimed that their doctor had diagnosed them with a pituitary dysfunction that required them to take HGH and various, and I believe various steroids and stuff. And then the doctor who the Waxman committee brought on to do some of the questioning goes, okay, wait a second. You have this specific, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name, this specific pituitary issue in front of you here. But the doctor didn't prescribe this person cortisol. Someone has that condition. They need cortisol because otherwise they, their immune system's so messed up that they could catch a cold and die. You didn't find it strange that this part, that this doctor didn't prescribe it. You didn't call them, et cetera, et cetera. Like he he came off much more as someone rubber stamping things than David Black ever could have, which I found interesting. Um, anything else we got here? Is that about it as far as variety goes? I mean, that's about it because, I mean, yeah, I mean, everything else is what it is, the stuff we talked about. But, yeah, the heat is heat is coming on, and it's only going to get hotter as we go forward in 1991 and 1992. Absolutely. All right, now let's go to the land of the rising sun, and we'll start with New Japan for wrestling. All Japan's off. New Japan Pro Wrestling just completed one of the most successful weeks of business for any company in pro wrestling history. The group grossed a report at $4 million between live gates and ancillary income on just four shows. Three at Tokyo Sumo Hall and another in Nagoya at Aichi Prefectural Gym. All four shows, all four shows were sold out in advance with 11000 plus each night. The shows were headlined by a four-night singles heavyweight tournament, which saw one upset after another. The highlights from a crowd response criteria were the final matches at Sumo Hall on August 10th and 11th, both involving Keiji Muto. Of course, we won't talk about the 11th. That being when we do that week. Uh, Muto pinned Big Van Vader for the first time ever in a match to determine who would make the finals the next night in 1354, when Muto cradled Vader coming off a power slam attempt and the audience flooded the ring with pillows, which is a sumo tradition that is considered the highest honor. Is it, though, because I thought the sumo association was really pissed off when this happened? Well, maybe it is, and maybe it's both. <laughs> so, oh, that they go. don't Good. like it, but it's still become a tradition. It's yeah. Normal. Yeah. Yes, and for, the, right, for the those big... who don't know, the reason they have pillows is that the seats at Sumo Hall are these boxes. And I forget if you have to buy them or they're provided to everyone, but they give you these cushions to sit on. Yeah. 
The big outcome of the tournament was the pushing of the three musketeers, Mudo, Masahiro Chono, and Shiyashimoto, as three top singles names in New Japan, and the phasing down of Riki Choshu and Tatsumi Fujinami, two longtime legends who were both past their prime. Dan doesn't know this is the case. However, the big story of the tournament was Choshu doing clean jobs to Chono, to his SDF on August 7th in Nagoya, Crusher Bam Bam Bigelow, and then Shinyashimoto. As the rest of the storyline goes, Choshu suffered a concussion from a series of DDTs by Bigelow on, on August 9th at Sumo Hall. Then came back August 10th for his match with Hashimoto and injured his elbow and shoulder. The Hashimoto finish was really dramatic. Hashimoto was giving Choshu some of the stiffest kicks you ever want to see before Masahito came ringside and threw in the towel for Choshu. But before the ref could see the crowd, see the towel, Choshu grabbed it, threw it in the stands, which caused a huge pop. However, Hashimoto then gave Choshu a flying spin kick for the pin. Those close situations that Choshu proved completely to everyone that this week that he wasn't a selfish booker and admitted to himself that the time has finally come. What an incredible finish to both put the young guy over and still keep yourself strong in defeat without compromising the guy you put over. Yes. Choshu, who is 39, was Japan's most popular wrestler during the mid-80s and at least among the hardcore wrestling fans. Itoinoki had always performed more general public name appeal and recognition, but Choshu was considered the more popular among wrestling fans. Probably Choshu likened booking wrestling to a deck of cards in that vernacular. Inoki was the ace of spades. Paul Tommy Gilbert was the ace of spades. While Choshu was pretty much considered as the biggest star by stature in New Japan, he believed that once Inoki was gone from the scene, there were no more aces in the deck. They say he believed to make the promotion go, you have to play a lot of different hands. Choshu's different hands are pushing many different people as competitors for the top position and creating the any one of the top guys could be any of the other top guys on any given day when any number of finishing moves atmosphere that was the real store of the tournament. And psychologically, it makes every near-fall submission during the match seem important. What an amazing booking mind that man had. Abs- I mean, good lord. Although we should give credit to Hase, too, as his assistant. Yeah, but Choshu's the... I mean, yeah. He's the head booker. He's still driving. Choshu's the guy. Hase, Hase is, is, is is right-hand man, but Choshu's the guy. And my understanding is yeah. Hase's responsible for more stuff than we realize, in part because he's not the one to take credit. In general. I think, ha- not, I, well, I think Hase is more responsible for what's going on in mid-card and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, Choshu's like he's the one responsible like for the Hase Ishin gun feud or whatever. Well, Choshu's the guy that's in charge of the main main stuff. And, and, and again, this time I would say Hase's probably, you know, I would say Hase's influence would grow more as time went on. But right now he's an active wrestler all the time. So he's he's mainly focusing on that. Well, actually, you're right. Here's how we know that Hase's influence isn't big at this point. He's still being pushed heavily. <laughs> yes. Once once he's so. in power, he's like, no, screw that. I don't want to book myself in a prominent role. Yeah, that's, how, that's exactly how you know, too. If there was a downside of the week, there was a reaction to the returning Akira Nagami. Nagami cashed the IWGB World Junior Heavyweight title on August 9th, beating Jushin Liger in 17-16. But the crowd reaction wasn't favorable. It was Nagami's first match in Japan since losing to Liger at the Tokyo Dome show in March. But fans were disappointed that he didn't show any new moves and also seemingly has caught up on, ha, have caught up on the gimmick of Liger dropping the title in order to regain it. When it was with Naoki Sano, it was the first time, and Sano was awesome, and they had some of the best matches of the decade. With Pegasus Kid, the situation was similar. While with Nori Hanaga, it was such an upset, the place popped big, and Hanaga became a cult hero in Tokyo. But it was too soon. 
the Hanaga angle was in April to try and repeat the Hanaga angle when another wrestler fans didn't take a serious world title contender and didn't work. When Nogami kept the title next night against Brian Pillman, the crowd heat wasn't there. When Nogami was heavily booed on the August 11th show against Hana- Nogami was booed against Hanaga and even did a job for Hanaga in a non-title match. Oops. <laughs> I completely forgot this title reign happened. I have no memory of this. Well, it was a bomb. And the thing is, it haunted Nagami for a while. I mean, yeah, Nagami would, would drop that gimmick and wrestles you himself. Mean the, uh, the, the, like, Kabuki-ish type gimmick. Yeah. He wrestles himself and, and got over with Azuka, you know, as a tag team and JJ Jacks and all that stuff. And then eventually, you know, join High Gun and all that. But, yeah, he wasn't the same for a while as far as on that level. I just realized something. I think I know why I don't remember this. I think they erased it from the history when they did the history of the junior title videos. <laughs> Possibly did. Because, okay, here, here's how everything goes in 91, okay? You know, Liger had won the title back from Benoit in November. He vacates it in April to do the thing where the title will go to the winner of Top of the Super Juniors. Hanaga wins the title in the upset in the finals on April 30th. Drops it back to Liger about six weeks later on June 12th. So Nagami wins here on the 9th. And Nagami loses it. I mean, they give him a three-month reign and he loses to Hanaga in November. And then Liger finally gets it back from Hanaga in February. I watched those History of the new, uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight title videos a lot back in the day. I feel like I would remember this <laughs> if it was on there. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't. I, ki- I, re- I kind of feel like it went Liger, Hanaga, Liger, Samurai. The way they had it. And now I'm kind of curious to see if anything has the well, listing from that. Uh, you know, the thing is, is that... uh Liger only had, I mean, Nagami only had one offense, and it was over Hanaga on September the 12th. Huh. And and then he lost it again. Again, which is weird because, I mean, he beat the guy with Dragon Suplex on uh, September 12th. Why is Hanaga getting another shot in November? <laughs> weird. Yeah. Very weird. Because why why would I want to see them again? Because he just beat, beat the dude in September. You had those sense. videos at some point, right? Not those, no. Oh, you didn't? Okay. Um, it, Those are a hell of a way to catch up on the history of that division. Ten one-hour volumes going back to Fujinami as WWF Junior Champion. But... Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm very curious to find... It. I'm I'm looking so far. I'm not seeing the match list, so... But overall, the three nights were so successful in New Japan. It's already announced it will run consecutive nights, three more consecutive nights, Sumo Hall, next year. Oh, if they only knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. All right, the complete big money tour began on August 7th in Nagoya before Full House 11,000 fans. As Kim Duck and Masakurisu beat Tesla Shigoto and Nuranaga, Hiro Sato and Super Strong Machine beat Hiroshi Hase and Kensuke Sasaki when Machine Pen Hase. Masashi Oyagi over Mr. Danger, Mizuru Masanaga in a match with Double Juice. Which ended with both men shaking hands and agreeing to form a tag team. Wallace, he's not Mr. Danger yet. Oh, I just, well, still. Masanaga is a legitimate protege of Oyagi, who is from Nagoya. 
Jushin Liger, Shiroko Shinaka beat Kunia Kobayashi and Akira Nagami. Ellie Gante and Brian Pillman beat Osamu Kido and Kingo Kamura. And then in G1 matches, Tetsumi Fujinami beat Big Van Beta with a backslide at 12-14. Masuyo Chono beat Riki Choshu with the STF at 14-17. Scott Norton over Keiji Muto with a power slam at 9-59. And Cheyon Shimoto over Kershaw Bam Bam Bigelow with a DDT in 10 minutes. Then on August 9th, at Sumo Hall, before 11,500, Oyagi beat Michiyoshi Ohara. Honaga, Goto, and Stromacine and Hirosaito, Raging Staff, beat Kunai Kobayashi, Osama Kido, Kikunkomura, and Shiro Koshinaka. Hiroshase and Kinsuke Sasaki beat uh, Brian Pillman and Black Cat. Higate and Masaida beat Kim Duck and Masakurisa, and Higate beat Kurisa with a claw. Then Nogami winning the junior title from Liger. <clears throat> and in G1 matches, we have Bam Bam Bigelow of Riki Choshu in 10 10. After series DDTs, Mudo over Fujinami in 1356. Hashimoto and Chono went to a 30 minute draw. And Invader was Scott Norman by Count on 1053. The fact that New Japan was able to stop this show in advance was doubly impressive considering it was the first night of the three-night run. Fans knew ahead of time the following two nights, in particular the final night, was going to have the biggest matches. And also because SWS was running a big show the same night, you'll call Marina. And free tickets are very easy to come by on SWS shows. More on that in a few minutes. And real quick, I, I pulled up uh, WrestlingEmporium.com on the Wayback Machine. And, okay, yes, it did, it did include that Nagami reign. I just have no memory of it for some reason. Weird. Well, don't stand out. It didn't stand out, then. Not clearly. Right, August 10th, Asuma Hall for 11,500. Saw Kunio Kobayashi and Mitsushi Ohara beat Black Cat. Hiro Yoshi Yamamoto, featured Tenzan. Duck and Kurisu over Hiroseido and Goto. Asei and Kensuke over Osama Kido and Kengo Kamara. Akira Nagami over Brian Pillman with a German suplex. Ellie Gante and Jushin Liger, team of the tallest guy in wrestling, the sword of superstar in wrestling, beat Noryonaga's super strong machine when Higata put the claw on Hanaga. And in the tournament, Chono made Bigelow submit with the octopus hold at 12.38. Fujinami went to double count out with Norton at 7.56. Hashimoto pinned Choshu with the dramatic finish at 7.50. In which Hashimoto needed a clean win to tie Chono and force a playoff to get to the final the next night. And the Muto Vader in 13.54 to determine who would actually advance it to the finals. For your video buffs, Day believes the four tournament matches on August 7th. Life and Tiff will appear on the television over the next three weeks, but the final night will be produced for a home video rather than free television. Okay, this ends up not being true. There's a home video, but the tournament finals absolutely aired on TV. Um, but the thing that, and it's always kind of stumped, I think, everyone why this is the case. They did not tape the show on the 10th. Very weird. They, it, Very thank weird. God it's Japan in 1991 and someone had a camcorder and shot a very good handheld. So thankfully we have Mudo Vader which is a great match and, you know, amazing crowd reaction. But I, I don't get it. It's New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's, you know, it's the G1 isn't the G1 yet, but it's still there. this big first annual major tournament where they're running Sumo Hall, three back-to-back nights, plus another show in Nagoya at a similar size arena, and they're all selling out. As, you, you don't tape that? I bet they taped it. I bet they pretty much had to. So you think the tape got messed up? I mean, it's possible, but... If they taped that show, that stuff would have eventually... If they taped the show and, and nothing happened to the tape, it would have showed up on Classics, at a minimum. And it didn't. I would have thought so. So it could have been a problem with tape. Who knows? Well, we, we need to remember, too, it's, a lot of the stuff is older. But and this one time, they, well, here's the thing, too. They're, they're, they're taping all this shit for, for Valis. 
So the Vala stuff may not have aired on. But there's on, no Val, but there's no Valis video of this show that we know of. Just the handheld. No. Who knows? Who knows what? Who knows what was released and what we what get was got and what wasn't got. Well, yeah, but I wonder if it's tape issue because there is like, especially going from like the early years to the mid '80s, there is a lot of stuff that they lost the masters of. The most infamous one is when they did that five versus five elimination series in April '84, the one with Takati Atsu that got you know the match of the year hype. They put out a commercial tape of that, I believe, shortly thereafter. And it's noticeably lower video quality than their usual releases because something happened to the master tape and they had to use a copy someone recorded off TV. So we have a precedent of something like that happening where a tape went bad, you know, right away. So I can see that happening here. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very possible because that just doesn't make any sense for not to have any type of tape of that. Yeah. Well, especially how they were doing at the time, some of the stuff they were taping. I mean, that seems like a pretty big deal. And also because it's it's Mudo's first win over Vader. Yeah. But anyway, if you haven't seen this stuff, folks, you need to find it. Yes. However I, you can find it. The, that, I mean, that match, you know, because <clears throat> it's not shot by New Japan, you know, I think, I'm not sure if it's on YouTube, but I'm fairly sure it's on Daily Motion. <clears throat> Oh, I'm pretty sure it's probably not on YouTube because they probably got it killed. Well, but, I, you know. that, that does remind me. Someone told me oh, – I forget who it was on Twitter – when they're you know, one of those discussions about how pushy it, – it's more TV Asahi now than New Japan. New Japan seems to be cool with everything, but TV Asahi does <clears> the <throat> takedowns. The, this person was in Japan in 06, shot a video on a digital ca- or a camera or an early phone or whatever – of Taguchi dancing posted it. I believe it might've even been as an unlisted video on YouTube at the time. And then like recently, all of a sudden there was a takedown of it. Hmm. So th- th- who knows what's going on with them as far as that, but yeah, the best to look at daily motion, although stuff's been pulling, been getting pulled off daily motion too, but I believe as a handheld, it's lower priority usually. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, just great stuff. And uh, yeah, Tremendous uh, era in Japan. There's a lot of stuff going on. Oh, wait a second. Right. I just realized something. What? The lore, as Meltzer has explained it over the years, is that the reason the fans, besides that it's a great match, the reason the fans did the pillow throwing again for the after the finals, I believe he said that was from the fans knowing that the semifinal night was not a TV taping. Okay. Because they knew that their big moment would not be on TV if unless they did it again. Okay. So, you know, we've got some contradictions between the initial observers contemporaneously here and then what I recall Dave saying later in historical stuff. All right. Um, in non-G1 news, David Gobashivili and Alexander Karelin, both gold medals to Super Heavyweight Sydney Freestyle and Greco-Roman, respectively, at 1980 Olympic Games, were in the New Japan office this past Tuesday, me and Ricky Choshu, and apparently will make pro wrestling debuts for the end of the year, according to a story in Tokyo Sports on August 6th. Dave still finds it hard to believe that Karelin would do any pro wrestling because he's considered far and away the most awesome force on the amateur mat, and it's already thought about being the best amateur Super Heavyweight of all time. Dave doesn't know if the IOC, International Olympic Committee, has changed its rules since four years back, 
when Yoshiaki Yasu was trying to compete in the 1988 Olympics, the IOC turned him down because they ruled he was a professional athlete. That's not eligible for amateur, amateur competition. Of course, things have changed because Michael Jordan can make what he's making and still be eligible for the 1992 Olympics under new guidelines. Perhaps Karelin can work a few pro matches and still win his 1992 gold medal. Also, wasn't there a whole thing where uh, Yasu either sued them in Japan or appealed it in the, you know you know, court of arbitration of sport or whatever it's called and won and got the ruling overturned. Wasn't that long before this? Um, yeah. Cause he wasn't trying to compete in the Olympics again after 88. No, that's also weird that Dave's saying this here, but also obviously, you know, we already know the dream team's coming like Dave said. So I don't think it's an issue anymore. So the issue is, is fact that, Karelin's Russian. As far as what? Why he's not turning pro. Oh, 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 oh that he still wants to be a state, a- state athlete, you mean? Well, I think, well, the thing well, is... Well, no, it's they, New Japan. They'd probably be negotiating through the government. Eh, not you to think be a this, regular... You think, well, you think in 91 they wouldn't be? Okay. I mean, not regular. Not regular wrestling. I mean, it's different to do appearances here and there. I get, I I get what you're saying. If they're not bringing I don't, them in as regular... Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Or bringing them in as bringing a group in as they did before, where they brought the team in. You know, there's probably some difference there because you know I don't think they wanted one person to be the star or something like that. Right. right, right. Anyway. All right. Uh, let's go to SWS. The Road Warriors is expected to catch the second annual SWS Tag Tournament on August ninth at Yokohama Arena before a crowd announced at fourteen thousand six fifty. Dave hasn't saw anyone there live, so don't worry. What if that number was exaggeration or heavily padded? The Warriors beat Tenugurichiro and Ashurahara in 607 when Tenra did the clean job and what was reported been a great match. In the semifinals, Tenru and Hara beat Yoshiaki Yasu and King Haku in 1642 when Tenru pinned Haku and the Road Warriors beat the Takano brothers, George and Shunji, in 346. Have you ever seen a match that looked as physically uncomfortable to be part of as Tenru and Hara versus Yasu and Haku in 1991? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Tenru and Hara in the first round beat Keno Nagasaki and Shinichi Nakano. Haku and Yasu beat Samo- S- Samson for you. I said Samoan for Yuki. Samson for Yuki and Takashi Sakawa. And the Takano brothers beat Tito Santana and Great Kabuki with Tito doing the job. Warriors had a first round bye. Prelim results saw Nokisano beat Rip Martel, Tatsumi Kitahara over Masao Orihara, Gorosurumi, Apollo Shigawara, and Fumihiro Nakura over Roadblock, Rochester Roadblock, Brooklyn Brawler, and Kenichi Oya. See, they almost had Arakawa. that New York theme there, and then they ruined it. With Oya. Don Arakawa over Hiroshi Atanaga, and Akira Kadiyama over Tetsuya Yamanaka in your opener. Tenru, who's run the group, was said to be very happy how the show turned out. He's also said to be salivating over the prospect of booking top matches in 1992 involving Ric Flair, including possible Flair versus Tenru, Flair versus Hogan, Flair and Hogan versus the Road Warriors, and Flair and Hogan versus Tenru and Randy Savage matches. And press all those options running two Tokyo Dome shows next year. So, yeah. SWS was something else. Mm-hmm. Back in this time period. The WF connection and everything. And, uh, you know, it looked like that Tenru had a big thing going on. You know, um, 
big house here at Yokohama Arena, whether it was legit or not, who knows, but still, I mean... Well, it's SWS. There's probably a lot of eyeglass store giveaways. Impossible, but yeah, so... What are your thoughts on all this? As far as what? The, the plans, the Tenru, or his preferred Well, just the whole thing. Me. The whole thing. Mm, it does would have been interesting matches, um, but they don't happen for a number of reasons, including no more SWS. Although we do get player Tenru in War on the early shows. And some WWF, WWF involvement for a few months after that. Um... And I, it just... It, how do I put this? Other than the guys who were just beating the shit out of each other... It just so much SWS feels like guys... Kind of... Intentionally slumming it... Knowing they're making big guaranteed money. Well, it's a different type of work. Yeah. You know... I mean, it's the Tenru style. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Tenru's working like Ten- I mean, they're working like Tenru was working in latter era all Japan of his run there mm-hmm. before this. Yeah, that's, that's Tenru cool. was a different guy. I mean, he was working. He was doing the bomb. I mean, it was bomb throwing. You know those type of matches. Once he once he went heel and feuded with Jumbo. Yeah. So I think that's what it is more than anything else. So. I, I guess that's part of it, but I. I... I don't think there's any real scenario where they could have ever really been successful unless they had gotten, like, a real TV deal. That's what they needed. Well, I mean, well, FNW didn't have a TV deal. But that's a different situation, and they're aiming for different scale. Mm, yeah, I guess. This is trying to be another, like, top-level traditional promotion. Yeah, I got you. But uh, yeah, I mean, SWS is is a really fun promotion to me. I I thoroughly enjoy watching SWS stuff. So uh, it's just different. You got your WF guys here doing stuff, and just got just a different mix of talent. So I really dig it. So uh, Dave noted that Hara was said to have looked all about as good as he did when he was a fired a few years back, which says something for a guy who's not forty four years old. I love Ashura Hara. <laughs> After you know. From 1987 on, I love Ashura One of the biggest crowbars in wrestling history, but in a way oh that's very God. fun to watch. <laughs> yes. A man who like, could legitimately kill you. But and, also in all uh, Japan, in all Japan at least, him and Tenro also were more of like a, a double teams, like Midnight Express tag team to some degree, too. Yeah, but God love him. Oh. So great. All right, FMW, the show, uh, biggest show of the week for them, was August 3rd at Hiwasa Municipal General Gym in front of 3,058 fans. We have The Shooter over Masashi Honda, Yuki Morimatsu over Kimiko Masuda, El Pandita over Yukihede Ueno, Reggie Bennett, Combat Toyota, Erika Chishuya, and Yoshika Mayo Damari over Megumi Kudo, Miwasato, Yuki Nabeno, and Keiko Iwami. Hurricane Walker over Akihito Ichihara. Amigo Ultra over Iji Izaki, the future uh, Hayabusa. And Amigo Ultra, Bix being the future Damian Seiseiseis. Yes. The Gladiator, Mike Awesome over Kim Yun Han. And Tarzan Koto, Big Titan, Rick Wagner, and Horace Boulder beat Asushi Onina, Sambo Asako, and Ricky Fuji in the main event. So there you go, early FMW. 
and uh, yeah, you're starting to get some of the names, and some of the young young folks are starting to get in there, and it's starting to take shape of what FMW was going to become. So. Really, the most interesting thing on this show, I think, is seeing how high on the card uh, the match between the future Damian and the future Hayabusa is. Yeah, because that's not typical. Considering, yeah, they're their age at the time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Wing! Victor Kionos' Wing promotion debuted before Pat House of 2200 on August 7th at Tokyo's Cork and Hall, with the big news being the arrival of TNT, who jumped from New Japan to this group, Savia Vega. Says this group was apparently being partially financed by Capital Sports of Puerto Rico, which Kionos is part owner. TNT team with Mr. Pogo and Steve Collins from Florida, summing for Billy Joe Travis... Managed by Victor, loses the top face trio in the group of Koichi Kimura, Akatoshi Saido, who wears a judo outfit to the ring, and Mr. Takuda, who used to work for FMW. Semifinals, a Lucha Libre tag match with Dos Carlos and El Fantasma beating the key letter and Fishman. Plus, working underneath on the tour with the great Wojo, yes, from Indianapolis. The Headhunters from Florida said it'd be very green, but worked hard and showed potential. The Mongolian and Gypsy Joe. Mongolian, I'm thinking, is uh, Mongolian Mahler. Yeah, full results. Hiroshi Shimano over Masayoshi Motegi in your first match on a wing show. Jet Jaguar over Mongol Man. Not that Jet Jaguar. The Headhunters over Ryo Miyaki and Yukihiro Kanemura. Gypsy Joe over Masaru Toy. Ghost Carter and Fantasma over Fishman the Killer. Great Wojo over Hideki Osaka. And we should actually and, mention, uh, yeah. Condolences on the death of Osaka. It has not been a good few weeks as far as uh, that. Yeah. And Extra um, Saido, Koichi Kamara, Mr. Takuda, Mr. Pogo, Steve Collins at TNT. And it's noted this group was looking to bring in independent workers from the United States. Which they would. Yeah, and they got hooked up with Memphis not too long after this as well. So here you go, Bex, the debut of Wing. And boy, uh,. Japanese wrestling wouldn't be the same after that, would it? Nope, wrestling stars of the international new generation. Um, what a weird promotion. You know, at this point, I, you know, with the debut, they're not even really leaning in, like, the deathmatch type direction yet. It's this weird hybrid of stuff. I think the thing is, is that I think Wing pushes FMW. Yes. I, th- I think that they're, they're, they push FMW to becoming what FMW becomes. You know? I think so. Um, who knows what FMW would be if there was no wing, if we would have the FMW that we that we would have. Well, because also for the first couple of years, I think everyone forgets this, wing did pretty good business. Well, absolutely. Wing did very well. So, yeah, I mean, it was a definitely needed competition for FMW to push them to another level and Wing went with them and then we had two really solid uh, hardcore wrestling promotions in Japan at that time. And it's such a high... Giving you a different flavor. You know, with the people they bring in though as far as foreigners, so many luchadors, so many Memphis guys, um, decent number of Texas guys, PCO, as Bash the Terminator, teaming with Bill DeMott, Headhunters, like you know, all sorts of luchadors. Like, it's one of the more diverse promotions stylistically, certainly, up to this point. Yeah. So thank God for Wink. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
All right. Koji Katao announced his retirement pro wrestling on a press conference on August tonight. It said he was training to become a karate fighter and is training with a karate coach. Originally, Katao was going to stand for wrestling and have yet another promotion formed back by Hachiro Tanaka, who owns PWF and SWS. PWFG. (sighs) (laughs) How how many promotions was Tanaka willing to fund at the same time? He loved him some pro wrestling. This was in the cards. Now ends up happening. He funds war early on, Futuragumi early on, SWS the whole time. Like, what? What? Just so weird. Some of it was stylistic, but some of it was also dealing with internal politics by giving people their own promotions. Mm-hmm. In this case, I think he must have felt that Katao was mainstream enough that he needed to try to hold on to him as hard as he could. Well, he was a big star. As much as, you know, he was what he was, he was still a big star. Didn't his New Japan debut with Bigelow the year before do something ridiculous like a 25 rating? We talked about that. Yeah. In the past, yes. That's why everybody wanted to use him. Even with his issues. And also, as much as he would slide a lot once he was out of New Japan, he showed a lot of promise as a worker there. If he would have stayed there, it would have been interesting to see how his career would have went. Yes, absolutely. All right, all trans women, all Chicago's out of action at the most inopportune time, tearing ligaments in her knee or ankle on August 9th. Last stuff happened on my birthday. She is said to be out until the end of September. Well, that showed August 9th, for 2100 and Sue, TSU, Yumiko Hota over to Shigamata, and Akira Hokuro, Bull Nakano, and Kyoko Inoue over Jungle Jack, Ajakon, Baitsukamura, and Karo Ito. Are these the full results? Like this is a festival show or something? That's all. This that's that's all that that's all that's there. Okay. Who knows? It's yeah. I'm gonna assume incomplete without further information. Uh, probably so. Yes. So. Yeah, Ajak would come back. So there's that. But yeah. Yeah. And she wouldn't really slow down as a worker until what, like the late aughts. Yeah. If not later, I mean, I saw her. I saw her. Great performances past that, you know, when I saw her live the first time at those Shikara Joshi Mania shows, which was, I forget if it was 2010 or 2011, you know, it's a, she had some impressive longevity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess in part because even with her size, she was not working the same style with all the up and down and bumps that most of her colleagues were. Yeah. Alright, let's uh, go to Germany now. Full Eurasia. We go to CWA, or Austria. But really here. Foreign wrestlers currently in Otto Vance's Vienna Cup tournament, which ends on August 27th, are Takuki Yazuka, Chris Benoit, Dynamite Smith, Johnny Smith, The Barbarian, which is the equalizer for Morgan, Dave Sullivan, Buffalo Patterson, or Peterson, Daryl Peterson, a.k.a. Max Payne, and Joe Cruz, replacing Terry Funk, but a cancel tour due to his back injury. Oh, that that's a suitable replacement. <laughs> what a replacement. Joe Cruz, Crockett job guy. Uh the big show of the tour will be August eighteenth with Big Van Vader being brought in to try and regain a CWA world title from Rambo. Luke Poirier. In order of up attendance, Vots came out of retirement for the five hundred six second time to feud with Buffalo Patterson. Patterson also has a dressing room brawl eighty Steinblatt injured his leg and resulted in Steinblatt being out of action. Dave's not sure if it's a work, to build a grudge or not, but he'll have to assume that was the case. 
All right, two uh, cards here we'll talk about. August 3rd, Indiana saw the Barbarian beat David Taylor by DQ. Steve Wright, Alex's fa- father of a Klaus Karoff. Rambo over Joe Cruz. Benoit Twin St. Clair going to WDQ with David Finley and Johnny Smith. Fit Finley. Autobots over Buffalo Patterson. Oh, we got another card. August 4th in Vienna. Rambo won a battle royal, and then Rambo over Karoff, Benoit over Joe Cruz, Wright went to a draw with Finley, and Colonel Brody team with Johnny Smith to beat Franz Schumann and David Taylor by DQ. Then August 7th, Colonel Brody over Steve Wright by DQ, David Taylor over Tony St. Clair, Fit Finley over Chris Benoit, and a controversial match, which will lead to a stretch match between the two of them. Klaus Karoff over Takuya Zuka, and the main event saw Otto Vance, Rambo, and Franz Schumann beat Joe Cruz, Buffalo Patterson, and the Barbarian. So, yes, we have a team of Joe Cruz, Max Payne, and Dave Sullivan. Sure. (laughs) Um, I've seen... I've definitely seen Finley Benoit, and I think I've seen Benoit and Sinclair... Excuse me, I almost said Sinclair. Sinclair versus Finley and Smith, and both are really, really good. Um, A long time since I've seen those, though. An interesting group of people here, but most of them fit in, at least. Yeah, always fun to look at see, see who's on these shows. See the wild mix of talent, absolutely. Yes. And also, just as a reminder to everyone, because I still see confusion over it. Steve and Bertie Wright were not German; they're British. Alex's mother is German. Yes. Mile Zerno of Yugoslavia left over because of a civil war in his homeland. Wow. Well, that's the. Um... The big war that's going on in, in mid nineties, right? Isn't that the uh, the so. Serbia, uh, all that stuff? When that that war? I think it was. Uh, Yugoslav wars <clears throat> on Wikipedia. Uh, well, there's multiple. Okay, so the this is okay. This is no. There was the ten day war in June, and then the Croatian War of Independence. Uh, yeah, is what's ongoing at this point. It, it, because in August is the Battle of Yukovar. So, okay. yeah, things are really yeah, heating up. And yeah, and that keeps going. That keeps going until 95, but then in the meantime, there's also the Bosnian War going on, too, at the same time. That's what I'm saying about Bosnia, yeah. And then Kosovo's in 98, 99. And yeah, yeah, that's later. But Bosnia is one of the... Yeah, I... It doesn't it feel like everyone's just collectively forgotten all this stuff that was going on in the Balkans in the 90s? Well, the Clinton Wars, yeah, because those were the wars he was involved in, and, you know, but we didn't have to go over there, really, so people forget about that, absolutely. Chris and Watts working in Europe now until December, at which point he'll probably join the Global Wrestling Federation. Uh-huh. If only that would have happened! That would have been <laughs> interesting. Benoit and 123Kid feuding over the lightweight title. Jerry Lynn. That would have been cool. Benoit working with Eddie or Terry Garvin Sims. Chaz. Chaz, yeah. Hmm. That, yeah, pu- that would have pu- been something. They pushed Barry Horowitz. I mean, yeah. They, they had some good matches for him there, yeah. I, I, I would assume they'd put him in the light heavyweight division. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So okay, I'm wondering why this doesn't happen because you know at this point Global's launched and we know what it is. We know it's not what it was supposed to be a year before. So I don't think anyone has any false illusions. Oh, I just realized though, who's booking Global at this time? Chris Bellini. Bellini, who had just been in New Japan recently with Chris Benoit. 
Bellini, who is no longer booking Global in December. Bellini. There you go. Who is booking Gilbert? Well, I just gave it away. Who is booking Global in December? Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. Exactly. That there you go. Oh, there, yeah, there it is. And maybe they didn't want to, they didn't want to spend the money too. So right, because I would think they would have had to get him a visa and stuff as well. Yeah. All right. Well, that's halftime. So uh, after some great 1991 commercials, we'll come back. We'll talk about Patreon. We'll I did talk about IWTV, all the other stuff. Hit the plugs, and then we'll come back and we'll go to Mexico. We'll talk about. A big show at Arena Mexico featuring a big match. Uh, why did UWA not have a big show at El Torreo? You'll love this one. News from Puerto Rico, including all sorts of uh, interesting names on those shows as well. All that more after the break. Food reporter Bert Wolf for Puritan Oil from the makers of Crisco. The newspapers are filled with saturated fat. If you're reading the stories and cooking smarter for your family, and you'd like to know once and for all which type of cooking oil is lowest in saturated fat, read the back of the Puritan label. Here's the most common vegetable oil. Here's olive oil, corn oil, and Puritan oil. It's lower than all three. Puritan oil, 94% unsaturated. No oil is lower. Now here's a smart way to make a chicken stir fry. With skinless chicken, white meat only, it has less fat, but it still tastes great because Crisco makes Puritan oil. And they make it to let the delicious, light taste of your cooking come through. With Puritan, you can cut down on saturated fat. And I promise your family won't miss it. 94% unsaturated Puritan oil from Crisco. Trust Crisco because you're cooking for your family. Verabank, one of the nation's most prestigious financial rating services, lists East Des Moines National as the only local Blue Ribbon Bank for eight consecutive quarters. That's safety. East Bank's solid capital level, liquid assets, diversified loans, sound management, and friendly, competent personnel contribute to its Blue Ribbon rating. Visit an office in your neighborhood today. Your bank for all reasons, East Des Moines National sandwiches I ever had were in Philadelphia. A ton of roast beef, onions, green peppers, and for that Philly touch, melted Monterey Jack or cheddar. They call them deli melts. And to this day, the only place you'll find them is in Philadelphia. Deli melts for a limited time at thousands of Hardee's everywhere, and also Philadelphia. Right now, buy any beverage and get a commemorative Flintstone anniversary glass for only 79 cents. Collect all four. Only Hardee's. Hi friends, I'm Terry Kranz from Terry Kranz Crossroads in Fort Dodge. I'd like to invite you to my first anniversary sale with specials like these. A 1991 Toyota Corolla, only $89.90. This is a brand new car. A 1991 Toyota Camry, only $10,990. This is new also. Or better yet, come to Terry Kranz's Crossroads today. Call 
Call Terry Crane's Crossroads now at 1-800-433-IOWA. Or better yet, come into Terry Crane's Crossroads in Fort Dodge today. It's amazing what these kids know. Well, they don't know everything. Like this sugar sweetened Kool-Aid's got less sugar than Coke or Pepsi. Less than Coke or Pepsi? 25% less. Really? They know everything. Having kids means having Kool-Aid. It's a place where the sky is blue, where the air is clean, where the people are warm. It's 40 degrees inside if you don't count the windshield factor blowing through these cracks. Where the doctor is in. This is my office. In over his head. I think his teeth hurt. The beavers? The critics say it's fresh, original, and surprising. Give me bagel and cream cheese. What's the bagel? And one of television's truly fine series. Sometimes you gotta suck it up. Be a man. Northern Exposure. Mondays at 9, here on TV8. 322 base, striking heading your way. This is not a drill. The Royal Tanker has run aground. This is what we do every day in the Coast Guard. Be part of the action. Call now. Okay, strike team, wrap it up. All right, we're back. Happy Jones, great 1991 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show, where we'll begin with our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. And, yeah, we haven't started recording the August show yet, but we will soon. Bix is already uh, steadfast working on the notes, getting them finalized. But, yes, we are going to discuss Superstar Billy Graham versus the World Wrestling Federation. Yes, and child abuse of the mind. <laughs> yeah, so there should be a lot of interesting quotes on this show and uh, all the stuff that Billy Graham did over the years. And, uh, yeah, it should be very interesting. A lot of dirt being thrown around, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it should be uh, should be quite the show. So you definitely want to listen to this. A little departure of what we from what we've been doing lately, which is good. We need yes, it. Yes, yes. Um, if you've ever wanted to hear uh, in its full context, uh, superstar Billy Graham yelling, "Vince McMahon fondled my arm into a live microphone," this is your show. <laughs> he fondled his arm. There you go. Well, and Vince McMahon fondled man. a lot of things over the years. Ah, goddamn pal. Um, you know, that we'll have clips, you know, we'll have the Hogan Arsenio stuff and Superstar's reaction to that. I even put in select excerpts from his uh, Zahorian testimony and how he's uh, not exactly listening to the judge's instructions. I'm shocked. And of course, the, you know, one of the main events, right, you know, leading up to when the settlements and stuff all happen is the wwf magazine story now it's our turn which was supposed to be the first in a series confronting their accusers from throughout the scandals and of course it was about one elder wayne coleman and boy is that a trip oh i'm sure it is so we have all that and more patreon.com slash twenty sheets five dollars a month Allows you access to our Patreon and to listen to our entire near five-year full archive of shows, whether it be the monthly shows, special shows, theme shows, whatever we've done. So yeah, definitely want to get on that great uh, deal for all this audio. You can't beat it. So $5 a month, patreon.com slash 20 sheets. $1 a month gets you access to the Discord and thanks in this segment. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Uh, make sure you pick a show that we haven't done already and have a backup choice handy if the show that you want to do has been picked or uh, will be done in the future. Or, uh, somebody else may have picked it on the calendar. So always be prepared and have back, a backup handy. Let us know why you want this show to be done, too, so we can 
make sure that it doesn't conflict me on the shows that we have done because these dates can get funky through all these six years we've done this show now. Um, make sure you get this information in before 30 days. We have our Wednesday to Tuesday uh, timeline, 10-year rule in effect. Follow the Patreon.com uh, protocol and get this information to Bix, and we should be okay. Then your $50, you can send in for a segment of that show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you so choose, which Mark Cole's doing next week, which we'll talk about that in just a minute. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, who have to, this week is our new and or returning patrons? All right, because we're recording differently than usual this time. I actually forgot to sort all this in advance. So who did we end on last week, Chase Nakarado? Well, we recorded it last week on Sunday, so we're on, we're on the time. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who we, we didn't change there. days. <laughs> no, but I think some of these people joined later in the day. I'm trying to remember because not all these. Oh, we do well, we mentioned Mason. Chase Nakarado. I'm we pretty do sure Mason or Gareth Elton. I think we did, right? Yes, yes. I mean, I remember Gareth. All right, so we would like to thank Trey. We mentioned Trey, I think, last week, but we we'll thank him again. again. Thanks, Trey. Okay. Um. All right, here we go. Then, okay, so we would like to thank Tom Kaiser. Thanks, Tom. Yes, Tom has uh, been around for a while. Yes. Derek Reed. Derek? Yes. Uh, th- thanks, Derek. Yes. Spelled like spelled like Derek Lewis, not, not D-E-R-E-K. Uh, D-E-R-R-I-C-K? Okay, I got you. Yes, Derek Lewis, who, as we're recording this, lost his uh, UFC interim heavyweight title shot badly the night before. Uh, oh. Okay, who else do we have here? We'd like to thank Louis Nelson. Thanks, Louis. John. Thanks, John. James Brennan. Thanks, James. Joshua Rollins. Thanks, Joshua. Mr. Joshua. Thomas Martin. Thanks, Thomas. What? Am I missing something here? No, I'm just saying thanks to Thomas. Okay. Uh, Michael Leach. Thanks, Michael. 25 from Andy Linton. I don't think I've gotten an email from yet, but... It was earlier today, so thank you. Oh, thank you, Andy, for the 25. And Jeff Quinn. Thanks, Jeff. And we have to thank everybody for uh, being patrons, whether you just started or you've been there from the beginning. We thank all of you for being a part of our Patreon at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, IMDb TV, and there's a lot that's happened since we last talked about IMDb TV. We have SCI take place over the weekend, night one and night two, and uh, the future show from earlier Saturday, all of which are on demand already on IWTV. So everybody go check that out. I thought the tournament was really good. So definitely uh, watch that. And, um, yes, yeah, it's a different dynamic because they're at TWE Arena in Red Bank, Tennessee, so a smaller, more intimate venue than what they've been doing in the high school. So... Check it out. Really fun show. All right, so shows, actually. All right, Bix, so what else has caught your eye on IWTV? Well, this week? last week we neglected to mention the uh, new AIW shows that had been live-streamed and went up. Including... Yes, we want to apologize to our dear friends at AIW, yes. Yes, but including the uh, Chandler Biggins Memorial Tournament, which took place yes. on July 30th. Yes, Hard to believe he's been gone as long as he's been gone. Chandler was always a great friend and guest, and uh, he is still sorely missed to this day. God, it's been what? It's been over four years already, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because at first I was I was thinking three, but then I was like, no, wait, three is when Thorn was sick. Because that was New Orleans, and that was three years ago, coming out of uh, the trip home from that. Yeah. So, you know, good, you know. Glad to see them, of course, keeping his name alive and doing the big memorial tournament. And also that that show was basically exclusively AIW homegrown guys, too. Yes. Which was it's nice. always good to have, have have that in a situation like this. Sometimes you just need to stick with the home folks. Yes, and also uh, our friends at ESW ran their first show back since the pandemic. And that's on IWTV as well. Yeah, Daniel Garcia. Uh, his home promotion, so to speak. Yes, Brandon Thurston as well. Colin yeah. Delaney. Well, Colin Brandon. Delaney, I guess he's more of a 2CW guy as far as his home promotion, right? Um, uh, I guess. But yeah, so that that went up, and now they're back. They ran oh, what's the that really cool looking venue? Oh, Riverworks is the name of the place where they run, and where uh, I believe where the Andy Williams, you know, Butcher from Butcher and the Blade uh, Christmas shows have been held as well. So that's up as well. Lots of other stuff went up. Uh, another new C4 mixtape, or is this the one we talked about? No, this is the one we talked about this week, I think. So yeah, so, you know, the SEI shows were really good. Also, the TWE show from Thursday night will be up on demand yeah, soon. Um, they did not li- live stream that, but that'll be up soon. And Between the Chiefs guest, Between the Chiefs guest, Daniel Maccabe, dear friend of ours, uh, competed on every single show that yes. took place in that arena. Yes. I guess he was in a tag on Futures, and he also, also besides the tournament stuff, at the TWE show, he had a match with uh, Damian Tangra which I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, so... Yeah, check it out. And, of course, Wild Side. Check all the Wild Side stuff out. And uh, we'll be getting together and doing one of those shows in the near future. So yes. definitely uh, ch- check all that out. All yes. right. Well, we didn't even give the proper plug. So independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. You won't get anything extra for the time being, but it will help us out if you convert to a paid subscriber. BTSPOD is the code. And all that's in the show description as well. And yes, but since we've gotten a few of those questions again lately, all this stuff is in the show description. Yeah, just read the description. For it. it has the link. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, Viper VPN, real quick. We, uh, we had a listener ask us about that on Twitter this past week, wanting to know the referral link. So let's make sure we keep that fresh in their minds, Bix. Yes, and that's in the description as well. But tinyurl.com slash btsvpn. If you're looking for a VPN service, either to stream uh, region-locked content or for privacy reasons or whatever, Viper VPN is, is a great choice and offers maybe the best deal in especially the bigger name VPNs, which is 60 bucks for three years, which comes out to less than $1.67 a month. And they have apps for, you know, Windows, Mac, Android, iPhone, iPad, also Android TV, and I believe, you know, they have the instructions if you want to put it on your router, all the usual stuff. But I especially like having the Android TV app because then I can just run it in the background and, you know, use whatever. So tinyurl.com slash btsvpn. And yeah, check it out. And yes, they offer... Someone asked me, I didn't give the actual number, but like they offer surprisingly generous uh, referral percentages. So that Can we thank for that? Yes, of any like legit of anything that anyone could do right now, as far as like outside of the Patreon, 
like Viper VPN is the thing that probably would help the most from your individual action. If, for those who are curious about that kind of thing. Mm hmm. Yes, absolutely. All right. Uh, plug time. There is a new Exile on Bad Street that dropped over the weekend as Rob Naylor and myself went back to 1986 and did our own fantasy draft as a listener suggestion. And we did that and we went through all the rosters of all the major groups and others except for Japan and well, Mexico too, and uh, built our own super card mega shows out of it. Yes, and, I'm sure Rob's had Abaduba Davian. Yep, Abaduba Davian was definitely Rob's uh, crown jewel pick of the whole draft. But it's definitely an interesting show because uh, you know we have a lot of fun doing it, and we I think we surprised each other in some of the picks that we made. And you'll be surprised at some of the picks that didn't get made, people that didn't get drafted on these shows. But we both uh, built our super cards, then we, you know, broke it down match by match and talked about them, and you know, even laid out finishes and you know, even plans for future big shows if if they're you know in that universe. But uh, yeah, really fun to do. Uh, this is a show that we can just sit back and just. BS and stuff like that. And it's kind of like a fantasy sports type deal. So really fun show. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And yes, we will do another one. You know, we're not going to do this regularly, but we will do another one maybe next year where we'll go to a different year, like maybe 91 or something or 92 and draft then and go that way and just keep it fresh and do it like that. I think it's, I think it'd be a cool thing to do once a year. So yeah. everybody go listen to that. It is up on the feed now. I have a so, question though. Yes. Does the next one include Japan, so Rob can draft Jumbo to Asarto. <laughs> you, well, if we go on the nineties, we're definitely going to probably include Japan. Okay. So <laughs> eighty six. I mean, like we talked about in the show, eighty six. You still have a lot of territory involvement. It's like the last great year of the territories. So yeah. So. And it's 86. You know, the Japanese wrestlers among American fans is, eh, you know, it's not that big of a deal as it would be in starting in the early 90s. So, yeah, if whenever we do 90 shows, you can definitely believe that we have a Japanese representation on those shows. Absolutely. All right. So uh, everybody go check that out on the feed. Now, um, next week on Between the Sheets, like I said, we have a Patreon request to show Bob Mark Cole making his return. Go back to 1985, where we'll talk about the reason why he picked this show. Robert Fuller turning on Bob Armstrong inside the steel cage. We'll play that whole scenario out, and that was like a 10-minute thing. So we'll play the whole thing. Looking for us, the notes are only 12 pages long. And um, we'll, we'll have all that, which is a very pivotal moment in the history of Continental Championship Wrestling. So we'll have that. We'll have Dave's thoughts on Crockett Promotions. You will be very surprised at what Dave thinks at the time. We'll have New Japan making big talent uh, moves, negotiations with different promotions. Dave in Memphis at WFIA, well, whatever convention in Memphis in 1985. It's technically Wrestling Fans International. Which he just, he calls WFIA in a newsletter, so he was even confused by it. So we're talking about Dave in Memphis again, and this time it's for a Bastion match with Idol and Lawler against the Freebirds, Gordian Hayes. So we'll have him running that. Isn't that the uh, the one where the match ends with uh, Jerry Calhoun being stabbed in the face with scissors? Yes, it is. Um, 
And then we have World Class in the Northeast. We'll talk about that. AWN and ESPN. And we'll have uh, some fun clips of WWF, including Terry Funk on TNT. Gene Oakland hanging out with Corporal Kershaw in the woods. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R, show proper MPT Sheets pod. Bix at David Bix. And uh, you didn't have anything this week, did you, Bix? Uh, I don't think so. We'll see. Well, let, let, well, as become the case lately, this has become like our musings segment. And um, we record, me and Naylor recorded that show Friday night. Mm-hmm. This past Friday, as we record this, and as we record the show, is when the big news came down of all the cuts that WWE made, or from as you the called in- it the, on Twitter, the Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan, yes, on NXT, and uh, and yes, it's it's come out that uh, you know, Mike Johnson, I think, was the first one to put that out there. Your friend Mike Johnson mm-hmm. that put out there that. Uh, this is the beginning of a total new uh, regime change, basically, of NXT, where it's going to go back to the way it once was, and it's not going to be dependent on independent wrestling as much as developmental. We're going back to that direction. Younger guys and, and girls, big, bigger, more people that look like they could be future stars in the business instead of, quote-unquote, midgets and... People over the age of 30 years old. Yes, according to Dave Meltzer, the actual memo said no more midgets. <laughs> Which is funny because uh, I think one of the most successful people that ever came out of WWE developmental is Dave Batista, who was over 30 years old when he signed with WWE. Shh, so don't tell anyone that. <laughs> also, of the older guys they kept, one of them was uh, Drake Maverick. Yes. Well, he's a he's a character, though, Biggs. He's a character, like Mr. Imus. And he's also, I guess you could consider him, quote-unquote, a midget, too, couldn't you? That's Well, that's where I was going with that, that of the of the older NXT guys they kept, that he was one of them, despite being, you know, the smaller guys being 37 years old. Basically, and, and you know, we talk, this is, uh, talked about this last week, and I, and I brought it up again. On, on Twitter this week, and I've actually seen more people talking about this now. So I want, again, I want credit for this. Okay. When this happens, about Triple H eventually starting his own thing, him and Stephanie cashing out and starting his own thing, or maybe just him by himself. So it's going to happen, folks. Wait, I mean, that dude, can you just imagine him Friday night when that all that stuff happened and he saw his beloved NXT just get basically gutted? And one night while SmackDown is on the air and these and some of these guys are actually on tape working 205 live after the fact they got cut. Can you imagine what that guy was going through that night? And also, here's the thing, though. And, you know, they kept some, but you need people in their 30s in developmental. You need veterans to work with people. Well, here's the thing. Not everybody was over the age of 30. Well, I know, but that seems That's to be the, other the only thing pattern to the some of the cuts, though. And there's no rhyme or reason for them because Bobby Fish just worked strong on t- on NXT. You know, they were you know doing something with that. Leon Ruff had just returned, basically. They just, just got put in a stable six weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really weird how all that played out, and 
again, it, folks, if you if if you don't think this is Nick Khan, get your head out of the damn sand, because then none of this shit start until he got there. When was Vince McMahon ever involved in NXT? Right, even he was. The specific cuts were a Vince decision. Well, of course, he's the makes the final calls. Yeah, but you know that's the one thing. Yeah, Vince will always be the final decision maker. He could nix anything he wanted to because he's Vince McMahon. But he has so much trust and faith in Nick Khan right now that Nick Khan, like I said last week, has more power than any person not named McMahon in the history of that promotion. And what you just saw Friday night sealed the deal more than anything else. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that was a crazy list of people. I mean, there's some names. Okay. I, I mean, I got, but there's some names. Like, how, how and why? You know, well, also I mean, some people that barely had any time there. Anthony Henry was signed in January. Yeah. He's only been working like mainly 205 Live, basically, which that shows deader than dead. And also, so, he had that really good TV match with Roddy Strong like less than six weeks ago, too, where he looked like one of the best guys in the whole company. Yeah. I mean, this is. This is Nick Khan saying, we don't need this shit. This is too much. NXT needs to, if we're, I mean, if we're going to have developmental, we need to have developmental. Cheaper, cheaper talent. You know, co- talent shouldn't be getting paid main roster money in this promotion. People shouldn't be sticking around forever. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. So. One thing I've been needing to do that I hadn't done yet was check out how many matches Kona Reeves has actually had in his time in the system. <laughs> he, when Naylor and I was talking, he was there when Naylor left. Was that that's how long when he, he came in? Well, he had just started, but he, but yeah, so that's like, the, so he was in the, no, eight years. I think it was 2013 eight, when Rob got let, yeah, let go. Yeah. So he was around there. Then that dude was a lifer in NXT. Okay, so let's see. So, and I forget, did they train him from scratch or did he have previous experience? I think he worked. He worked on the circuits. Okay, he was he. Oh, he was a WXW guy. WXW Alpha. That is Alpha. Yeah. Okay, so he. Okay, at least according to results. So if he was in, no, he couldn't have been in the system when Rob left. Okay. Yeah, I, well, I thought not. he was, but. The early I robbed it too. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. Well, I'm guessing he did some tryout camps though. Probably. Um. Okay. So going back, it looks like he he starts in WXW in December 2013. He wrestles there through September 2014, and then his first NXT result is uh, as a and this is as a Noah Kikoa is a battle royal April 4th 2015. Okay. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it, it, NXT is going back to where it was, like Florida Championship Wrestling, early NXT days. And what a coincidence that's, that that uh, the day we record this on Sunday, there's a thing about how they're planning a massive tryout in Las Vegas on SummerSlam weekend yes. for who, anybody who wants to try out. Okay, let's see if you can guess this though. When do you think Kona Reeves' last match was? Last year. February 19th, about a month before the pandemic. Yep, it's last year. Yes. Losing to Keith Lee in 13 seconds. Yes, I remember that when I was watching. But, 
Yeah, again, folks, WWE is not a it's not a wrestling promotion anymore. It's 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 been that way for a while, but it's not a wrestling promotion no more. It's not really for wrestling fans. I mean, WWE is for is WWE. I mean, the fans that watch WWE, that's what they watch. That's what they know. Like people that are straight wrestling fans, I mean, you watch it and because it, you know you've always watched it, but just remember they're not looking out for what you are interested in mainly. They're looking out for what they're interested, their fan base is interested in, and for people that you know think that this is you know in times, believe me, it's far from that. Because good lord, they're making big money, and that's what it's about. It, you know, they're about pleasing the stockholders and all that stuff. Stuff, all the stuff we talked about last week. So, again, it, my suggestion to you is: if you know you're so upset with WWE for doing what they're doing, don't watch. Yep. Don't support them. And if you want to, you want to keep WWE Network because uh, you want to watch the old stuff, whatever. Viper VPN is right there for you. <laughs> I mean, use that and watch the international versions of the network. That's all you got to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't get don't don't give them your money if you if you're not happy with what they're, what they're doing and all that stuff. Don't support them. Don't watch it. That's all you got to do. It's not that hard. So, and there's probably and suppose there's more coming. So we'll see who if anybody else gets cut. I hope they don't because it's us for people losing their jobs. And goddamn, I, I hate it for people that's still there that's on the eggshells because they don't know, you know, they don't Especially know what's going to happen. Basically, uh, like every well, not even just the NXT guys. Like basically everyone other than like the top three guys in the company, well, guys, people have no have have no job security right now. You just don't know. It could be anybody. It's all it's all you know, willy nilly, so to speak. So yeah. And also, yeah. we, should, we should shout out Alex Zane for having the best uh, social media reaction to getting released. Did you see this? The former, the former Ari Sterling, yes. Yes, he... Because he was one of the people that was released during SmackDown, but had a match they had taped that was about to air on 205 Live after SmackDown. Mm-hmm. So he had already changed his Twitter display name back to Alex Zane, and it, it, it took a selfie video... Of him next to the TV as his match started playing and making a face. Yeah. So. <sighs> He'll be fine. He's one of those people who I think will be fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, the Indies uh, has got got getting talent back. So there's that. So, but yeah, yeah, it just sucks that people are losing their jobs. So. And also with someone, someone like Anthony Henry, who was basically had basically decided to retire until he got the offer. Like. I kind of like there's so much better a spot for him on the Indies right now. Yeah. And also his tag team partner is in AEW. <laughs> so yeah. I think a lot of people, a lot of these people are going to do fine. It's going to, you know, it's going to be the lifers, I think. Who, well, suppose AEW has got four more shows they got that they're, they're going to do. So well, not all wrestling shows that are in development, but God almighty. I know. <laughs> Oh my God! It's of a overexposure coming. Ooh. Anyway, all right. They so, have four shows now starting this week. So I know, and there's gonna be four, four more. Ooh. Well, one of them is gonna be the the Cody and Brandy reality show, and I'm guessing the other three won't all be in ring shows. Either. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, I'm sure Twitter's just gonna love it. 
Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm sure there's not going to be any creepy reactions at all. <laughs> well, I mean, Cody and Brandy doing Ms. and Marie's a tribute gimmick, then, yeah, sure. I'm sure that's going to be great. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for us. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's go to the North America now. And we don't have Canada, but we'll start in Mexico in CMLL. Had a show to rent a call sale on August the 4th where we had a seeding uh, battle royal for a uh, little tournament deal, I guess, even though it doesn't look like a tournament to me. But anyway, um, Lola Gonzalez won. Uh, Zuyema, La Serenita, Claudia Yvonne, La Diabolica, Maria del Angel, uh, Tania, Pantera Serena, Miss Janus, Superestrella, La Venus, Celine, Lady Stars, La Caria, uh, Lady Apache, and La Kira was in the Battle Royal, which led to a, a tur- tag tournament. There's a tag match, and then there's trios matches. This makes no sense. We have La Carilla and Lady Star over La Quiera and Lady Apache, Miss Jana, Pantera Serena, and Tanya over La Venus, Sanina, Superestrella, and La Serenita, Lola Gonzalez, and Zuyema over Carly Yvonne, La Diabolica, and Maria Dana, El Hel- Del and Hell. I don't know. Aguilas Solitaria, Sikon Ramirez, and Pantera, Bestia Savaje, Esperjo de Otutumba, and Javier Yanes, Egipcio, Emilio Tales Jr., Fuerza Guerrero over Chava Guerrero, Mando Guerrero, and Mano Negra in your main event. Now, they return to Arena Mexico on August 9th in front of 17,000 people in the 17,500 seat building. Well, we should explain why they're returning, shouldn't we? What they're returning from? Yeah. This, I believe, is the first show back from the, what was it? It was Cien Carlos Rio de Jalisco Jr. mass match, right? That, with the sure? crowd? Wasn't that 1991? That was 1990. <laughs> then what would they That was September returning? 1990. That was an anniversary show. That's, well, okay, that was throwing me because I thought it was an anniversary. So wait a second, what were, what are they returning from? What was running in the summer that they had to? They they would leave in Remanco a lot this time of year. And they would. It is whatever, whether it's different events, circus, circuses. Well, circus, there's times. January. Yeah, but there's just different things that they would go away from a remake for a while. Okay. And this time, I don't know what this one would be. I really don't. But so, eventually, it would just be the circus in January. Yeah, because they would. I mean, they would do this in, in spring and summer. They would okay. take weeks long breaks from running the remake and just run Arena Colosseo. So when did so they I, return from the damage that was done with the overflow crowd for Anniversario in 1990? Oh, shit. I don't know. I would have to go research It was that. at least a few months, right? I would have to research it. I don't know. Okay. I can't tell you off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm curious how the Coliseo show we talked about drew, too, by the way, with the, you know, almost all women's lineup. Oh, that... All right, so the mass match, they were in Mexico two days later. When? Then they then they came back October seventh. It was only a few so, weeks ago. Okay. They they had it open, but sections were closed off. Okay. So they still ran the building. They just closed off some oh, of the. Oh, so the, the damage was only to the upper deck. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, I didn't realize that. I thought it was bad enough structural damage that was the whole building, but it makes sense that they were able to open back up relatively quickly, and that there hasn't been an issue since. So it couldn't have been too bad. Well, they own the building, so they can do what they want. Well, yeah. All right, so anyway, uh, they had 17,000 in the 17,500 seat building. Uh, it's Ringo Mendoza, Black Magic, Norma Smiley, and El Dandy 
uh, one from Pizzagarera, Dere Estrada, and Perojo in a two-star match. Apolodantes won a Caballero Contra Caballero match from El Mornaca Javier Cruz in a match that went four falls. Cruz won the first fall by submission in 33 seconds. Dantes won the second fall in 231. Third fall went to a double countout in 448. Not too much arguing about who would get their haircut in a double countout match. The commissioner ordered a fourth fall. Where Cruz, the Rudo, had Dante's pin on three different occasions, but picked him up at two before finally Dante's hit a non life suplex once again for the pin at 414, and Dante's got his head shaved, two and three quarter stars. Then we have Conan, Octagon, and Cam- Canadian Vampire Casanova beating Pedro Aguayo, Satanico, and Cien Caras. Weird match without that much wrestling. Lots of brawling, some of which was good, some of which wasn't. Rudo ref Gran Davis and technical ref Roberto Renhel kept arguing. The Rudo stalled a lot in the first fall. Face count, the technical ref counted them out on the ring when they were just stalling in 25. Second fall saw the Rudos lose again when Gran Davis held Conan and Pedro came up the ropes. Conan moved. In the pretty Rico see Gran Davis hold a guy like Conan for that long to begin with. And Pedro gave Gran Davis a fly clothesline. Gran Helsey and Aguayo hit the referee call for the DQ on the Rudos in 9-22 in a star and a half match. And then the main event saw Elantis keep the NWA World Middleweight title, winning two out of three falls from Blue Panther. Elantis won the first fall 741 with a Scorpion Deathlock. Panther took the second and 140 with a submission. Elantis won the third fall with a Moonsault Body Block in 1128. It was a must-see match for tape collectors, not because it's a match of the year or anything, but because of a different variety of wrestling holes, particularly by Panther, who's some, also a technical wrestler when allowed to be, as this match showed. It's almost like watching a match with Carl Gotch. It wasn't as dramatic as some matches might be, but the exchange of unique calls made it entertaining in a different way. And it's certainly one of the two of best three CMLL TV matches thus far each year. Three and three quarter stars. And the other match we didn't mention was the opener with the women again. Carly Yvonne, Lady Star, and Mata Villalobos beating Lady Apache, Lola Gonzalez, and Vicky Carranza. Yeah, I've seen that uh, Panther Atlantis match, and it is a hell of a singles match between those two. Panther was amazing in this era. Any thoughts on uh, the card here and that match in general? I feel like I've watched it. I don't remember that much specific about it, but it's... I mean, it's canonically considered one of the best Blue Panther matches available on video. Yeah. I mean, he's really becoming a big deal in this time period because people are are seeing him more. Makes a big difference. Because of the TV. Yeah, because he was a UWA guy. Well, and he, I mean, he would work, you know, EMLL, then CMLL, but he was mainly a UWA guy. And then, you know, as, in this era is when he starts working more and more with CMLL. Which probably also explains why he went to AAA, since he came in when Pena was booking. Yes. That probably has something to do with it as well. Yeah. He made his best money with Pena. You probably say that, you know, in biggest well, matches. Yeah. Love machine, all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you look at the the matches on this show. I mean, there's no other than the main event. There's not a lot of great wrestling. This is a, it's obviously a Pena show, so it's about the characters and the and the gimmicks. And look at the business is doing seventeen thousand fans. What have what, what what have we been saying lately about the wrestling business? Well, Apollo Dante's versus Javier Cruz is also a really strong for especially the hair match is a really strong match on paper too. It's two and three quarter stars rated by Dr. Lucha. And uh, I remember, I've seen that match too, and it is good, but. But I mean, as far as not... drawing, that that match would be up there too. 
Yeah, but it's but again, it's not the work rate match. The, you know, sure. or it's not the blood, or it's not the bloodbath you would expect the hair versus hair match to be too. So there's there's, there's that as well. But uh, mm-hmm. but that yeah, doesn't I affect mean, how it would have drawn. It could have. People could have went in there and wanted to see the the uh, the blood. But I mean, uh, but what I'm saying is, it's about the, the personalities and the gimmicks. Yes, yes, that's what's drawing. Well, and of course, what is Atlantis's nickname? <laughs> Eliodolo de los Niños. Yes, he's the big kid draw, or one of the big kid draws. And uh, leading to this, Atlantis is back on top in popularity, with Casanova falling down the fourth and Octagon, the most popular from most this year, all the way down to sixth. Conan is second. And he's drawing the ladies. So and so is Vampiro. Yes. So they're getting draws from all from all different directions at this point in time in that promotion. You got your kids, you got your women, and you got, you know, you got your guy, guys that the guys like. Like the Rudos and stuff like that. So yeah, they're hitting they're hitting it all on all cylinders in this era, for sure. Yes. And by the way, too, like again with Vampiro and his appeal and stuff, for anyone who's never really understood how Vampiro became a big star, the way I think to really just get it, and this is easy to find on YouTube, I think there's a bunch of versions of it. Look up his hair match with Parata Morgan from I think ninety one. I think it's ninety or ninety one. Um and just watch the entrances. You know the one I'm talking about where the crowd is just roaring the whole time? You're muted. Sorry. Is that the Monterey <laughs> match? N- uh no, we're in Mexico. You know, it was one I just watched the other day. It was uh, Vampiro against um Rick Patterson, Sangre Chicana on a three way. Mm-hmm. Where women were coming into the ring to just touch Vampiro, <laughs> and, and then there was a steel cage match against him and Sangre Chicana. Just the heat's amazing. I mean, Monterey. He, I mean, good lord, that they, they were just like treating him like God in '92. Amazing to watch. I mean, that say what you have about Vampiro, that motherfucker was over like hell mm-hmm. in he his peak. It. Oh, yeah, and, and, and he's a guy who was not a great wrestler. Didn't need to be. He did what he had to do. He had the charisma. He had charisma that very few had in that country in that time period. And he just had he had everything it took to draw the demographics that he needed to draw. Yep, exactly. Just a, a tremendous performer. Yes. All right. Tremendous performer in another way. Mysterioso suffered a serious right knee injury and returned home to L.A. and expected to undergo reconstructive surgery. He actually suffered the injury two weeks ago, but continued to work on it and only made it worse, which necessitates the major surgery. There's talk of it being career-threatening. Mysterioso is actually an American who was trained by Rey Mysterio for Lucha Libre style. That's Rey Sr. It's funny reading this, career-threatening, because Mysterioso still works. <laughs> I mean, that dude still goes. I mean, he's not what he was, but he still goes. Yeah. He still works. And he was tremendous in this era, you know, team with Volador and all that stuff. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, hell of a talent. Hell of a talent when he was at his peak. Yes. His his knee, like Volador, though, his knee is what eventually beat. Well, Ryan that's a hard style. Yes. That's a hard style, hard rings, everything hard in that era, for sure. 
Japanese magazine Weekly Gong reported this past week about the closed-door meeting in June where some of the veteran wrestlers, particularly Satanico and Nismar, complained about characters being pushed instead of those with ability. <laughs> like we were talking about. Yeah. Well, what's making money? You know? Characters. And God loves Satanico and Nismar. They're amazing performers. They weren't in vogue in this era. Yes. and uh, Not like that. What Dr. Lucha added about that when he sent his facts to Dave was, my comment is that it isn't as if Octagon or Volador are bad workers or no good. Octagon can have more complete matches than Atlantis, but it seems they do push no gimmicks who can wrestle, not just the gimmicks, and there's still a place for work rate, see the pushes for Cruz, Dante, Blue Panther, etc. It's just that I mean, they weren't the Peña guys, and the Peña guys are, are the... I mean, Pedro Aguayo, you know, is an older guy, but... He, he ended he up had, with he, in the Peña click. Yeah. He was the Peña guy, and, and because he just... He worked well with those guys. Satanico, I mean, I guess because Satanico was more of a, you know, traditional wrestler... He could brawl, we all know that, but he was more the traditional mat wrestler, and Pey and that wasn't what Pena was going after, you know, on his side of things. Right, and the great so, workers who he was pushing were people who either were characters too, or who he knew could work a program storm with. And Satanico so definitely was a character, that's for sure. God knows. And Satanico, so hell, we're talking about this, you know having these issues in 91, 10 years later, he's one of the best, you know, top guys in the company in, in major feuds. Drawing. He's one of the best so. all around performers in the whole world that year. Yeah. But I'm saying he's, he's drawing, you know, yes. he's, a, he's one of the top draws. He was such a so, top draw. What was it? 53. I believe that yeah. his, everything he did in 2000, 2001 got him into the observer hall of fame. That year. I think it helped us to who, who he was character too. And the promos and the laughing and all that stuff. But God, you know, what an amazing performer. And even the nickname El Rudo Numero Uno de Mexico. Oh, yeah. Well, he was. Yes. All right. Uh, UWA. What an amazing story this is. There's no card El Torreo on August 4th because of a Vanilla Ice concert. <laughs> ice Ice Baby. Yeah, I mean, wow. they showed you how big of a deal he was. He was... He was uh, 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 running the gig at El Torreo de Cuatro Caminos, which is a huge, huge bullring. He was a phenomenon, even in the 1991. Yeah, I'm trying people, to see if I can find that, anything. Yeah, people but. forget how how long, you know, he was around. Because, um, I mean, Ice Ice Baby, that was 90, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um... Let me see for sure when that was. Okay, Two Day Stream came out in ninety. Uh came out August at the end of August ninety. Ice Ice Baby. Uh yeah, that was a it was released on August twenty second, nineteen ninety. And when did it go number one? Um not too long after that. But that was a huge fucking song. And then uh, he had his next single, I Love You. <laughs> that came out. Didn't do so great. Um, but 
Yeah, and it had that had his version of play that funky music, but he was also did the uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles deal, the soundtrack, and the go movie. Go ninja, go ninja, go. He had Cool as Ice, the movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because Cool as Ice came out in like October '91, so this is around that time period where he's getting ready to to put that out. So okay, I'm not deep. sure this story is true because. I went to setlist.fm. The only songs listed um, for any concerts he had at Tore- El Toreo in 1991 are Ice Ice Baby and Play the Funky Music. But they're listed as happening on June 25th and June 26th. Or excuse me, June 26th was uh, Plaza de Toro's Guadalajara, but 25th, it has June 25th as Plaza, excuse me, Tor- Torreo de Cuatro Caminos. So where was he at almost before? Uh, let's let me see. So Vanilla Ice, let's just search for just Vanilla Ice, nineteen ninety one. Uh, let's see. Is this an order? Doesn't look like they have anything for August the fourth. Mm-hmm. Or let me see if I just do or Aug the fourth. Let me put in specifically Vanilla Ice, Aug four or Aug nineteen ninety one. I guess that's so. I mean, granted, they don't have full set lists, but. It doesn't look well, it doesn't look like this is the correct date if we're going by setlist.fm, then I don't see how someone would put up a false or why anyone would put up a false setlist or anything there, do you? No, who knows? I don't know. Miss I mean But why would that be that I mean, because you know Dave's getting some Doctor Lucha. It's, I don't know well, is it in the Doctor Lucha faxes? I didn't look at everything. All of his Lucha stuff's coming from Doctor Lucha Bix. Not everything. <laughs> Isn't Conan a subscriber already? Conan has nothing to do with UWA. I'm just saying, as an example. <laughs> I don't know, but that's what's reported. So, yeah, I mean, setlist.fm.fm at least doesn't really even have until any doesn't even have any concerts listed for in August. Really. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I'm I'm trying to find something else here. Uh, okay, it's got it does have them listed for June 25th on another website, but yeah, they, concert archives does too. Yeah, there's a tour T-shirt. Let me see if it has a listing of all of the uh, okay cities Agenda on concerts or whatever that is has July 31st 92. What I what I searched for now was Vanilla Ice and Torreo de Cuatro Caminos. At first, I was searching for Knock okay. On, but I realized most of them are going to list it as Mexico City, so it's better to search for Torreo de Cuatro Caminos. Well, whatever. So, if it happened, it happened, it didn't, it didn't. So, maybe it was a fake vanilla ice. <laughs> maybe it was Vampiro. I, damn mm-hmm. it, you beat me to it. <laughs> but anyway, um, oh, what the hell is this? Okay, hold on a minute. Uh,. Here's the thing about Vanilla Ice. Uh, well, I thought it was. Anyway. All right. So uh, enough of that. They ran Arena, Arena, uh, Arena Pueblo on May 5th. May 5th. April, August 5th. Good Lord. Uh, Anjo de la Muerte, Cassandra, and Kinish went against Akiyoshi, Takayama, and El Samurai. Ghetto, Jado, and El Samurai. No, Jado, Ghetto, and El Samurai. Mayflower. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Mayflowers, Pimpinella, Scolata, and Rudy Reina went against Celestial, Catania, and Marlene. Not anymore. 
Katakomni 2, Super Pinoco and Super Raton against Babyface, Ejenjo and Rambo. Drago, Silver King and El Tejano winning against Black Power, El Signo and Negro Navarro. And it Connect defended the UWA Heavyweight title against Enrique Vera. And I'm pretty sure we can all guess what the result of that was. So, there you go. There's your UWA for the week. Now let's go to Puerto Rico, WWC. We got some shows to talk about here. Juan Ramon Lubriel Stadium in Bayamon. We have uh, in our opener, El Galan Mendoza and El Profe winning against Coco Beware and Ricky Santana. Sure. Caribbean heavyweight title. Fidel Sierra beat Super Medico number three as Jose Jr. Jose Sara Jr. won the title. Abdullah the Butcher went up against El Gigante Warrior. WC television title. TNT defending against Coquina. Huracan Castillo Jr. winning against Miguel Perez Jr. And Carlos Colon defending the Universal heavyweight title against Dino Bravo. Then on August 9th in Ponce, at Coliseo Pachin Vicens. We have El Vikingo defeating El Zodico by disqualification. Ciclone Salvadoreño defeated Randy Rhodes, not the guitar player. Rockin' Rebel over Greg Robertson. So here's your Philly offer match. Miguel Perez Jr. over Nikolai Volkov. That happened. The Patriot over Aki Malumba. Kamala 2, Ben Peacock. The Renegade Warriors defeated Joe and D. Malenko. Lale over El Vigilante by disqualification. Bronco Numero Uno and Sasha defeated Muhammad Hussein, Lou Fabiano, and Debbie Combs. Southern Rockers, Rex King and Steve Dahl defeated Solid Gold, Jose Estrada Jr. and Julio Estrada. Amaris over La Tigresa, Carlos Colon over the Iron Sheik, and Abdullah Butcher went to double count out with Invader number one. And then the next night in Bayamon, it won Ramon Lubadral Stadium. Sumerico defeating the Caribbean heavyweight title against Sumerico 3. Coquina winning against Solomon Grande. What a match that is. WC World Tag Titles, Invader number one and Bronco number one defending against the Samoa SWAT team, 7152. Huracan Castillo Jr. against Miguel Perez Jr. and Abdullah against Carlos Colon. Quite the list of cards there, Fitz. You got a lot of talent at that time. Absolutely. There's a lot of different people in and out. You know, different names. Coco Beware, you know? So, uh, pretty cool stuff. And and I, we don't have any WCC, I don't think, from, from this time period in 91. I think it the TV that we have pretty much ends in the spring. So, don't have that. But, uh, yeah, good shit here. Love WCC. All right, now let's go to lovely Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The performance of Katniss Jack was amazing. This past Saturday night on Joel Goodhart's show in Philadelphia, which everyone raving. Jack, who has a re- returned WCB starting date as a heel to be among the quartet of lazy villains who will be programmed with crazy villains, excuse me, I said lazy, crazy villains who will be programmed with staying until the end of the year, planned for tonight in St. Joseph, Missouri, where three matches on one show, all against Eddie Gilbert. Gilbert was also scheduled to return tonight in WCB's Babyface. We'll talk more about that later. Despite the crowd being only 562 fans, Jack had said ahead of time we were going to try and had the best explosive match, false game we're in the building, in the history of wrestling, followed by the best stretcher match and capped off by the best cage match. <laughs> as far as the best in history goes, that's open to debate, but they guess there's no, no debate in that both Jack and Gilbert were, weren't willing to do just about everything to make good on that statement. Explosive match went on second to show. 
with it mainly consisting of brawling over Pennsylvania Hall with tables and chairs and garbage cans. Gilbert used heavily in the match with them training one hit shots one another, hitting trading hitting one another with what whatever wasn't nailed down until Jack pinned Gilbert in sixteen thirteen. The match scribe is be, going between four and a half and four and three quarter stars. That should be enough for a good week's work. This morning, one person says best singles match thus far in nineteen ninety one United States. They came back two matches later for the stretcher match. One of the highlights of this was Cactus come up the middle road to the floor with the elbow drop on the garbage can. Gilbert, who was lying on the garbage can, moved. And later dumping the contents of a garbage can out, and Gilbert broke a non-gimmick wine cooler bottle over Jack's head. Both guys used heavily in this one as well, which went about 9.50, with Gilbert winning when Jack did a stretcher job after the beer bottle incident, and the match said to be between four and three quarter and five stars, which might make it again the best singles match in the U.S. this year. A couple hours later, after many of the fans had already gone home because the show went four and a half hours, they went out to completely burn out audience. And did a steel cage match. Then both getting out of the cage, brawling over the building once again. By this time, everyone has seen more than enough brawling over the building in juice. Highlight of this match was Jack standing on top of the cage, Gilbert drop kicking the cage, and Jack crotching himself, then taking a bump backwards from the top of the cage to the arena floor on his back. Mick, why? The actual finish of this match said to be three and a half stars held back because of the drained crowd had nothing left to react with. With a WQ and Doug Gilbert and Bam Bam Bigelow did run-ins, which was up a tag match on the next show, provided none of those mentioned were already starting full-time with WCW, which Dave knows Bigelow was also WCW bound. All right, well, that's obviously not true. Uh, let's talk about the whole show, and then uh, we'll talk about this. All right, complete results from the TWA show at Pennsylvania Hall in Philadelphia, 4562. Saw your opening match, the Sandman... Meet Rock and Rubble in a three-quarter star match. Then Katniss and Ed over Eddie in the explosive match, four and a half. Luna Vachon over Medusa Michelli by DQ in a match where Luna juiced, two and three-quarter stars. Then we got the five-star stretcher match. Cry Baby Waldo won a handicap match over whoever. It just says Dud. No names listed. Austin Island went to a WQ at Buddy Landell in a match with a strictly brawl over the building using all kinds of furniture as weapons, four stars. The Fantastics, Simon Rogers and Bobby Fulton, beat Stan Lane and Jim Cornette. When Fulton pinned Cornette, when Cornette's a tip to throw powder backfired. Three and a half stars. DC Drake, Johnny Hotbody, and Larry Winters won an elimination tag match for JT Smith, Tony Stetson, and CNN, CN Red that lasted 35 minutes. It seemed like it would never end. Dud. All the TBA titles were at stake here, so when Smith beat Drake and won the second fall, he became new TBA champion. That burned out the fucking fans right there. And then Jack went to a WQ with, with Eddie and the cage, three and a half stars. Gilbert, Gilbert Goodhart announced on the September 21st insinuation of a Ric Flair Terry Funk main event, which seems to be unlikely. Medusa and Luna in a hair reserve match. The Gilberts against Bam Bam and Cactus. Not a definite seal like that was the cage battle set it up. The Sheet versus Abdul the Butcher in a barbed wire match. And Owen Hart versus Takayuki Azuka. Goodhart also announced that K. Jimuno and Jushin Liger will be working for him before the year is out. But Dave's pretty skeptical about, skeptical about that, since New Japan has a working relationship with WCW. It's about to send Hiroshi Hase and Kensuke Sasaki in full time, and Muno and Liger in for brief tours before the year is over with. Well, first of all, he does get Azuka. Well, yes. actually, we have more on that, so should we keep going? As Osama Matsuda, who works as El Samurai Mexico, and Takayuki Azuka will be appearing on Joel Goodhart's September show in Philadelphia. Goodhart did strike a deal with New Japan through Booker Tokyo Joe Daigo. 
in which New Japan will be sending a few guys to four good heart shows in 1992. New Japan wants to get the younger guys' exposure of working overseas and the magazine newspaper publicity that goes with it. It means a lot in Japan for a Japanese wrestler to work in the U.S., and that's why the deal was made. New Japan would rather work with WCW, but WCW wasn't as flexible to work with. However, New Japan's primary relationship in the U.S. is definitely with WCW. Dave doesn't know about the claims that the big names like Mudo and Liger were for Goodhart, however. Well, you know what happens there. Go ahead. Okay, so... Yes, Azuka versus Owen Hart happens. On the video release, it's the graphic before makes a point to put the uh, Good Heart Delivers label on it. Uh, no Mudo, no Liger, and there's only a few more shows anyway, but for the January show that never happened, one of the matches that was advertised was uh, Chris Benoit versus Shiro Koshinaka. So, yeah, I mean, Good Heart always delivers, huh? He's putting... Um... You know, Mudo and uh, Liger out there. He's teasing Flair. You know, Goodhart always delivers. Yes. All right. So where do we start with this? Um, Cactus and Eddie. Yeah, that was in. Uh, that was quite the the. That was quite the legendary match in the early days of the internet and tape trading this because mm-hmm. I mean this was a huge this is a huge deal. Oh, absolutely. I don't know the last time I would have watched it. I remember reading about that big bump but not um i don't remember if i ever saw i don't remember that vividly although if i remember right this is one of those good heart shows where we only have a straight up fan handheld isn't it or am i thinking of something i i don't think there's a commercial video of it which is weird because it's one of the more hyped ones but also didn't draw particularly well well what do you chalk that up to that this is such a small crowd for a good heart super show. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm looking right now. I'm about to uh, the others too. Yeah, the Cactus Eddie, the one that's on YouTube is a handheld, but it has commentary. Okay. So there is that. But it's a single is, camera. Um, pretty much, yeah. Okay, real quick. But it's got commentary. All right, so this was Summer Sizzler two, draw five, drew five sixty two. Um, previous show was Spring Spectacular on May 18th, drawing 1253. Uh, the previous super show, because remember, TWA did run regular shows that were more, reg- you know, normal indie shows with names on top. Uh, Winter Challenge was in March with over 1700. And that, uh, that was with Lawler Funk on top, plus, uh, plus the Eddie... Cactus original Falls Count anywhere match on the undercard. So, and then Automar Armageddon the previous year had drawn 1500 with accidentally started scrolling. Uh, that was also Lawler Funk on top. What I'm getting at of this is it, that it seems like the Lawler Funk matches, or more so Lawler and Funk specifically, were the big draws for Good Heart. Well, yeah. I mean, look who it is. It's all over in Funk. And it's also coming off of a TV program that these people would have been watching. Yeah, and Lawler. And, and, and we talked about last week. Look how big of a deal Lawler was to Philadelphia. I mean, the Philadelphia crew came down to Memphis to see him. Yeah, and then also... Uh, Lawler was tight with Dennis Corluzzo. I mean, he had that, the whole Jersey thing. Right? I mean, there's a, con- a definite connection there. And then when they come back in September for Autumn Armageddon 2, 
they draw 15-24 with uh, Abby Sheik as the headliner. What ended up being Gilbert and Medusa versus Cactus and Luna, I think Loser of the Fall loses their hair was the deal, and Luna getting shaved. Uh, Funk, Sullivan, Hart, Azuka, and those are main, like, main matches. So it's a more stacked card, plus it has Terry Funk and the Sheik and Abby. So we're kind of seeing who are the draws here. Well, don't tell Eddie that. He's king of Philadelphia. It's all the keys the king of at this point, unfortunately. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, yeah, I mean, this for people that talk about PWG today, this is what CWA was 30 years ago. Yes. I, I've, I've given this example before. There have always been smart mark, like all-star indies. The thing is, is that 30 years ago, they were using people who had TV names. Oh, yeah, star names, absolutely. It was a different type of thing. Right, it's basically, what can you do with the biggest names that are available to make attractive matches out of them? Yeah, exactly. But but again, but, but it was a promotion where people traveled to go see the shows, just like PWG. I mean, there's a lot of interesting similarities in in the two promotions. Well, the difference is Although, PWG makes money. Super Dragon ain't Joel Goodhart, I tell you that. They're they're different people. Well, and PWG makes money. <laughs> I mean, well, it's we should say Excalibur too, because they're each fifty yeah. percent owners. But yeah, but. But anyway, yes, you're right. Uh, yeah, it, they PWG makes money. Yes. Whereas Goodhart, as far as we know, maybe he made money on the regular shows, you know, Bar Wars and the school shows and stuff. But I don't think he made any money ever on any of the super shows, right? Uh, no, because there, so. there are all those stories about him like drawing a thirty thousand dollar gate on a show with a thirty five thousand dollar budget, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, if you have never seen any good horror shows, go check them out. I mean, it's it's, it's an interesting deal to watch Philadelphia before ECW. And you'll see some of the, hey, hat guy's there without his hat. He, I mean, he's in his Hawaiian shirt. So he's a Hawaiian with, shirt guy uh, or just simply John Bailey. Yeah, but he doesn't have his hat off. So. Well, did he, All did right, he let's, have more hair in 1991? That might be why. Yes, yes. He looked like Kelly Kaninsky. <laughs> uh Let's get to a, an, an awesome between the sheets moment here. Mm-hmm. And let's go to Matt Watch, just Steve Beverly. UWF owner Herb Abrams has threatened Joe Petticino's Global Wrestling Federation with legal action over the use of the Wet and Wild tag team. Petticino was called by Herb's attorneys on August 7th concerning the appearance of Sunny Beach's Steve Ray in the Global Tag Tournament, now airing on ESPN. Attorneys told Petticino that Ray was in their exclusive contract to UWF and claimed the Wet n' Wild team name had been trademarked. Pettisino told Matt Watts on August the 8th that Steve Ray told him he wasn't under any contract with Herb Abrams or anyone else, but we decided to pull the August 9th ESPN show, which had their match for the tournament, until they could find out the real story about this. Wet n' Wild made an appearance on the weekend syndicated Major League Wrestling show from the GWF, and Pettisino told Abrams' attorneys that the show had already been distributed to the stations, and they couldn't drop it. All right, so let's we got a checklist here. We have Herb Abrams, mm-hmm. we got Joe Petticino, mm-hmm. we got um, uh, Steve GWF Ray and Sunny GWF. Beach. 
Yeah, well. Yeah, UWF, GWF, anyway. We got uh, Joe Pettacino talking to Steve Beverly direct. Yeah. We got Marks. <laughs> oh, this is just catnip for you, Bix. So what are your thoughts on all this silliness? Well, we, when we did the Patreon shows, which, I mean, you know, they're also available for free, too, because we did that with the two Herb shows. But I believe I looked it up, right? There, there's no trademark. Yes. <laughs> it's for Herb. But he, but he got Joe to buy it, though, and forced him to take his TV show off the air for, for that, on ESPN for one day. Yes, he did. So. <sighs> Can you just imagine what that. Was there a phone call, do we know? Or. Uh, there obviously was something. I have I a guess it was, on that name, Joe Petticino. It was Herb's attorneys. Oh. So. Okay. I'm sure he was sitting there with them. Richard Hammond? <laughs> I don't think that was Herb's attorney, was it? I, I don't know. It would be fun if it was. Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe as Herb's attorneys. But, uh, yeah, the uh, this is amazing stuff. And that, and Steve ran Sunny Beach. Don't work for the Global Wrestling Federation after this. After the tag tournament? No, they worked the one table. That's it. But a lot of people only worked the tournament table. I know, but I guess they figured, well, shit, we don't want to deal with this idiot anymore. This guy's nuts. <laughs> now, speaking of nuts, Herb Abrams is trying to sell a 30-minute wrestling talk show with himself and Lou Albano around the cable networks. Actually, isn't that on YouTube, the pilot? Well, I know they had a segment with Colonel Red that went about 30 minutes on their regular TV show. What a long segment that was. Oh, my God. And then they did the one with Bruno. That went about 15 minutes or so. And then the one with uh, Colonel Red. No, this is that pilot. I mean, we're not going to... Even if we play anything, it's not the whole thing. But it's that guy that has a lot of... That Jonathan Plombin that has a lot of UWF stuff on YouTube. I'm pretty sure this 15... Well, almost 16 minutes with her, Bruno, and Albano is this pilot. Yeah, but there's one with Colonel Red, though, which is wild. Is it how long is that though? Long. Okay. I mean, it's 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 crazy because they did a thing in the ring from the TV taping, mm-hmm. and then they go to the studio where they continue it in Lou Albano's segment. It's so crazy. That, that whole thing went about twenty or thirty minutes altogether. I just watched it recently. What a woof! <laughs> My God. Yeah. Okay, let's take a peek at this real quick. Let's just see. I skipped ahead to when Albano's talking, so let's let's see what this is like. Oh, there's a long talk about steroids. No? Okay. The thing to do because the after effects are worse. Own up to what you've done. Because Don't deny it on openly TV throughout the world. Because the so-called superstar today, we all know what we're talking about, is a hypocrite. A hypocrite Hogan. that broke before national television to suggest that we only use steroids because there was a, an injury and instead of cutting the, I mean I, I could have I could have vomited when I heard this stuff when was it the Arsenio Hall show I was on bringing up other, other people because the, 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 facts are, the facts are that the court clearly showed that the good doctor was going to go to jail for maybe 44 years and three and a half million dollar fine Zorian. the reason why he's found guilty because he supplied that individual and many others with these deadly steroids for many many years and to come on national television and deny it all, that's, that's to me a great crime. That is absolutely And what crime. makes a real man is if someone had a problem, take myself, Bruno. 
I overdrank. I'm not saying I didn't. I'm openly coming out and saying that. But now I've realized it was wrong. You can kill with drinking. I tell children, don't go in, drink and drive. You try to set an example. If you've done wrong, get help. Don't go out and deny what you've done. Accept what you've done. Tell people what you've done. Try to set an example. Try to make it a better country, a better world to live in. Don't get out and deny it because that's where you're wrong. And he said, that's what happened to Gary Hart. Denied he was with a woman. He was this or that. I didn't do it. Come and follow me. They found him. And that lost the guy. Probably that cost him. Not the manager, Gary Hart. Politician. Openly. Richard Nixon. I don't believe well, he was a bad president. But he denied what he did. And when the American public hates that, go out and help. I don't think he was a bad president, even though he hired burglars to break into the Democratic National Committee's uh, head's hotel room. But he lied about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, that said, you know what's interesting about that? It never really hit me till now. He probably got so overwhelmed around like 88, 89 before the Mario thing. Yeah. Is it me or is it weird that Vince doesn't bring him back till like 94? I think it's because of all this stuff, you know, him work, doing opposition stuff, being with Bruno and all that stuff. Oh, the Nightline appearance about uh, the hot, the Hotline and, and, all, and all that stuff he was doing with Bruno. He, he, him and Bruno were tied to him. Is that? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And then I guess I guess it required him not just getting sober, but also becoming a vegan to get back in Vince's good graces for some reason. <laughs> but and that's something. It's weird. I mean, it's interesting hearing him talk about it, because I don't think I even realized he had ever talked about it. You know, I knew he had talked about cleaning up his life in general and going vegan and all that, or whatever it was. It may have just been vegetarian, but I don't, I don't think he ever realized, like, yeah, I drank too much. There, uh, yeah, we're not going to play this, because I mean, it's very long, but there's a point in this where Bruno, like, takes Herb to task, in a way. For what? I don't want to see... see well, it's, it's, it's like, I don't want to see... This type of stuff in your promotion, you know, mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. I mean, it's it's really interesting. It's but, interesting but I wish yeah. the one with Colonel Reb was on on here, easily available. Because he's also like he says though, like I had a problem. Was so, like good for him, you know. Um, but yeah, but like I said Bruno though. He's uh, he's something else on this. He's he's burying everybody. So <laughs> it's interesting, interesting segment, folks. Doggone it! All right. Um, too bad that they didn't get picked up on cable networks. That'd been better than some other bullshit that was on TV at the time. Well, if that right, so- score was still around, then maybe. South Atlantic Pro Wrestling. They ran in Gaffney, South Carolina on August 7th at NASCAR Armory. Ricky Nelson uh, retained the junior title being Ricky Starr. Jeff Husker over Scotty Piper, Bix. Oh, boy. <laughs> Is he friends with Dave Mysterio? <laughs> Scotty Piper. Uh, Tommy Angel and Tommy Seabolt beat Trent Knight and Tommy Landell. A lot of Tommies. Uh, <clears throat> NAWA slash SAPW title. Chris Chavez retained over Brad Anderson. And Manny Fernandez and Wahoo Dan with a double count out. Then on August the 8th in Sanford, North Carolina, we have Rob Zakowski, RVD, going to a draw with Ricky Nelson. Hans Schmidt, not the original, obviously, over Jeff Husker. Seabolt and Angel over Manny Fernandez and Trent Knight. Wahoo Medellin over Vince Torelli went to a WQ. Yeah, get Shamrock. And Chavez over Helmet Hustler by DQ. And Taylorsville, North Carolina, August 9th, they had Fernandez Wahoo going double count out. Chavez over Torelli by DQ. Seabolt and Angel over the Stormtroopers, Helmet Hustler and Hans Schmidt. So, yes, basically got a, a German Nazi tag team. Brad Anderson over the Husker. And Zakowski went to a draw with Ricky Nelson. Then Gastonia on August 10th. We had Chavez over Manny. 
Wahoo double count up with Torelli. Seaball and Angel over the Stormtroopers by DQ. Zagowski can go to draw with Nelson. Husker over Smasher Stone. And blah, blah, blah. Manny Fernandez is running the group. He's paying the guys 50 bucks a night. And most shows draw about 100 fans. Yeah. What can you say about the other thing? <laughs> um, the one thing I do want to mention, though, is Chris Chavez at this point is a couple months away from starting with the WWF. You know, he's he's not on TV until like, what, January or February, I think. But he's on the road as a full-time guy starting in a couple months. He's working uh, dark matches and house shows. Yeah, he's out there. He's definitely out there. Um, you would see his name in results, and then he would eventually shut up on TV. Yes, and it's Tatanka, which... Actually, wait, was his first skit Tatanka, or did they call him Chris Chavez in the first uh, vignette? He was Chris Chavez first. That's an interesting one, because that never really happens at the vignette stage. Yeah, he was Chris Chavez first. I can't think of any other example of that, can you? And they call and in the in the early in the early days of Tatanka, it was Tatanka Chris Chavez. I know for at least one week they they said that. Yeah. Vince said that. Looking at and, this, I've never seen this one. There's a Hamilton TV taping, or well, I guess it's more for like prime time and Canadian TV and international. But there's a Cops Coliseum show in November. Oh, it's the one with the Undertaker defending the title against David Boy. That has him working DiBiase, and it aired on French Superstars. Hmm. Which, but I feel like you've seen enough of this stuff by now to guess. What do you think Chris Chavez's entrance music was here? Oh God, I don't know. It's early '90s WWF, and he's a babyface. People want wouldn't know. So of course his entrance music is "Crank It Up." <laughs> How about that? Yep. Great and song. I see now. Yeah, like, uh, and the, it's even the way they have it on. Uh, History of WWE.com, December 29th. Uh, Superstars Challenge has a vignette promoting the debut of Chris Travis. Uh, January 12th Challenge has a vignette promoting, promoting the debut of Chris Travis. So then when do they actually start calling him to Taka? After the Royal Rumble, I think. But does, he doesn't work the Rumble, right? It's just, nope, so did they stop the vignettes and then started them up again with him as Tatanka is what happened, I guess? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay. I forgot it was that many weeks, though. They went, like, close to a month with him as Chris Chavez in the vignettes. Mm-hmm. I, I love to know the story behind that. I don't think I've ever heard that. Who knows? Maybe they were having cold feet. I don't know. And also, it's not when anyone could ask Bruce Pritchard because he's not there. <laughs> no, he's not. John Filippelli's there. All right, Peach State Wrestling. Been master's promotion. August the 4th in Cordial, Georgia. Drew 425 fans. Had a tag tournament featuring the Fantastics, Bobby and Jackie Fulton. The Blazers, R.D. Swain and Sugar Ray Lloyd, or as you may know him as, Glacier. Thunderbolt Patterson. Yep, you read that name right. And Ronnie Garman. Scotty Devani and Ritz King with Valet Vivacious Veronica. That's funny. The PYTs, not uh, Coco Norvell, met with manager Ronnie P. Gossett. So that is, are we to assume that? Fred Avery and, oh God, oh, I can't so remember the other George, one. There was a Georgia PYTs at the time. It's it's not Randy it Rhodes and Eric Fontaine. Oh no, it was Fred Avery and somebody else. Yeah, and they were fat guys. Uh, Sunny Beach and Daddy-O, Jimmy Powell. Chris Walker and Mike Powers, Mike and Paul Golden, 
the royal family, Jacko and Ripper, and the Nightmare Ted Allen, Mr. Atlanta, Tony Zane, plus more. That's an interesting lineup. I wish Tony Zane got to do the Mr. Atlanta gimmick on a bigger stage because he was really good at it. I really good some of that stuff. I'm curious because you, you he was a, put it over so much. I mean, Tony Zane was a big dude. I mean, you see him on TV on the Crockett TV. He was a big guy. He could work, and he got his he got a break working uh, for Blackwell under uh, wearing mess old mess superstar mask as Mister Atlanta and was a really solid main event heel working against Tommy Rich and the, and guys like that. Had a hell of a match time rich on that Blood Battles of the South videotape in lovely Jackson, Georgia. As Mr. Atlanta? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, I need to look that up because I, I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, To me, the most noteworthy thing here, though, is Scotty the Body teaming with Rex King being managed by Veronica. I know. That's what's funny. That's what I said. That's funny. Okay, so this is... Scotty, I guess, has moved to Atlanta for whatever he's doing with Pettisino. Mm-hmm. Where was Rex King based out of at the time? Um, him and Steve Dahl. I mean, they we talked about him being in Puerto Rico. Hmm. So uh, who knows? So presumably living in Tennessee or something when they're on the mainland. Could be, yeah. So within driving distance, maybe. And Veronica obviously would have just moved to Atlanta only to immediately lose her WCW job, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Because I doubt they're flying, right? So basically what happened here is they all happened to be in Atlanta, and someone was like, why not? <laughs> because, they, I mean, there's the history in, in Portland. That's what I'm saying. all that. She, she had been both their shoot and on-screen girlfriend, right? <laughs> yes. At time, for each of them. Yes. Yeah. What a love triangle. Someone needs to find Veronica Lane. Uh, who knows? Maybe one day. Because it, he must have an interesting story. Because there's so there's so much we don't know, and there's so much rumor that we don't really like. I I still don't know if I buy that whole she was having an affair with a married TBS executive thing at all. Uh, who knows? Like, clearly, there's a right. reason that she was brought in instead of Jeannie at first, though. But, uh, who knows? All right, now let's go to Memphis. And we have two episodes of TV. August 3rd, they showed a TV video, like a movie scene, where a woman's car wouldn't start and she went up to a house for help. But it was Leatherface's oh, no. house. Leatherface chased her with a chainsaw to her car, but her car started. And then Leatherface had a match. And at the winning, went after the job with a chainsaw. But Eric Embry and Dr. Tom Pritchard pulled him away. All right, so we're not going to play the match. We're going to play this Leatherface video. Now, obviously, there's no, no, all, uh, no, nobody talking, but. This is you got we gotta watch this, so let's go to the clip. I like too that because of Texas chainsaw massacre, he's teaming up with Team Texas. I also like that this is very obviously the long driveway to Jerry Jarrett's mansion. You 
you can mute this. Maybe I'll oh, drop I the volume. To, okay. There's no dialogue at all? None. All right, so we got the the woman looking at the house. She, she, she can get some help. All right, I'll tell you when you can unmute it. She's knocking on the door. No answer. Well, she's going to decide to walk around the, this house, shed, whatever it is. I'm, I'm right, guessing this is like a shed on Jerry Jared's property. Why right, she's walking through the woods? Are right, you going to mute now? Okay. Alright, so she something. she looks at this window and there's Leatherface sitting in the on a chair, uh, like he's polishing his chainsaw or whatever. She's or she's doing something. The chainsaw's sitting right there beside him. Yeah, well, I so can't she, tell what he's working on. Yeah, she's she's it's like he's working on some whittling or something. So she sees this and now she starts to scurry away. The, the the way that thing looked, he never saw her. But now here he comes running after her. Well, maybe he heard her. Yeah, with the chainsaw. She's, like, picking up speed. Are right, you going to unmute. Let's, let's... And this is who is Leatherface Carrie Nations. other face That's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Would you like to describe what just happened, or should I? Well, I in this era, the USWA had like the uh, ring girls, ring girls, or whatever. Well, the type ring girls, not the bikini. Thing, yeah, girls. sometimes they'd be in bikinis, hooter outfits, whatever. And this this young lady was wearing a uh, like a outfit of the day that like you would see, like a lady would wear an MTV video I or guess something. She's like. coming back from the restroom or something. And, and Leatherface is right behind her, trying not to run over her as she's walking, walking out from the curtain. <laughs> I have to see this again. Running to the ring. Oh, no. oh my goodness. She there has comes. no idea what's coming. She's, she, she seems to realize that she should not be on camera. Yeah, but she doesn't know what's behind her. It doesn't seem like it, no. So. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> So Leatherface wrestles T.D. Steele and uh, does Leatherface things, so. Okay. Oh, my God. You know, everybody takes, you know, shots at WWE and all the shit they do and, uh, you know, stupid skits, stupid gimmicks and stuff like that. And you see this type of stuff in Memphis and it's like <laughs> Memphis was doing all this shit 30 years earlier, you know? Mm. They were so ahead of their time. The lore of the Leatherface. <laughs> a new feud is starting up between Danny Davis and superstar Bill Dundee for the lightweight title with Dundee apparently on the road turn to turning heel the two are scheduled to wrestle the Coliseum but had TV and tag matches partners 
Davis did the, the first interview with Davis saying how, how they'll go to the rig as friends, wrestle scientifically, and then leave as friends. Dundee started laughing and said, you won't be saying that in three weeks because I'm going to do anything I can to win that title. Then the two started arguing. Dundee told Davis he was kissing up to the fans. The two ended up brawling and wrestling with one another and had a good match, which kept going until they cut away for commercial. And they came back, Davis, assuming that he chased Dundee away. Okay. Also, isn't Dave wrong in calling you Danny Davis here? Isn't he Nitro Dan Davis by this point? Oh, he's Danny Davis. In Memphis, he's Danny Davis. Okay. He's not Danny that Davis. He's Dan Davis. Oh, I don't, I don't remember him being really Dan Davis. Are he was, was, that, was that like end of USWA Dallas that he was Nitro Dan Davis? That may have been what that was, okay. but I mean, in Memphis and anywhere else, he was always Danny Davis. Okay. So, yeah. It's just your standard deal that Memphis would do with baby faces. You know, they would have this thing get heated, brawl, nobody turns heel. You know? There's no heel turn. Mm-hmm. It's just they have a conflict with each other and they resolve it. Mm-hmm. All right. So the return to Miss South Coliseum on August the 5th saw your opening match, Brian Christopher beat Sabu. And in fact, on this TV show, the August 3rd TV show, Jeff Jarrett faced Sabu. Although so, yeah. he's Samu here. Yeah, but it's, but it's Sabu. They didn't, want it's, they didn't want fans confusing with Coco Small, but yes, it's Sabu. No, 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 no. He was Sabu. This is a this is a mistype on cage match. No, it's not. He was working as Sabu in USWA. I've seen it. Put him. the clip. Put the clip on. For, well, then maybe this one is. Maybe they went back and forth. Then I've absolutely seen stuff where they called him Sabu. Yeah, find the find the match on this on this TV. Mm-hmm. It's on this one. Oh, okay. Which video? I don't know what you're doing. You just left the video. I didn't want to lose the time. So. Oh. We're not going back to that video. That's done. I closed that, that tab, though. Well, reopen it back up. Oh, wait. Let me, let me see. Okay, not doing that. I need to go get it then. One second. I didn't think we were revisiting it. Um, well, I wasn't planning on either to I know that I'm right. <laughs> maybe they went back and forth then. That shit like that happened. I, I don't ever remember being listed as Samu. They're going to... God damn it, I clicked the wrong... They click the skip. Hey, Brian Alvarez. Blocked. Sorry. Okay. Um, Brian in his short hair. I'm working. working, working. Alright, let me see if I find the match here. I think it's on this show. Alright, there's Davis. Yeah. Okay, here it is. Yeah, it says Sabu on the graphic. I told you. <laughs> but there are that but no, that's not a typo that it says that where you got the results. He was working as he they absolutely called him Samuel. I know this for a fact. Like okay. the, I believe the R V D match he's called Samu, because I remember seeing that on tape lists. Like people saying like, oh, he's called Samu here. When there were those original R V D versus Sabu comp tapes. Let me see. R V D Sabu USWA. If I look that up. Okay. Yeah. See? Okay, I see that now. Okay, okay, I got you. So that is a month earlier. So they changed before this. Okay. That was July 6th. Well, there you go. Okay, so we're... All right, anyway. Brian Christopher beat Sabu. Building D.B. Danny Davis winning the heavyweight title. Also, Colin beat Samson, a local guy. Robert Fuller beat uh, Barroom Brawler number two in a loosely town match. Uh, Crowbar was this, his official. Crowbar. 
And Crowbar was um, They're Jeff Vines Sword. And Jeff Sword. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, I forgot which is which. So, and then Jeff Jarrett beats Bone Crusher, who's Doug Vines. Well, no. Robert Fuller beat Bone Crusher in a losing time match. Jeff Jarrett missed show because of an injury. Even though the results on Cage Match has listed as Jeff Jarrett. Oh, okay. I was looking by what you had pasted here from Cage Match. Yeah, but Dave's Dave's report has it differently. Okay. And Lawler beat Leatherface in a hair versus mask match, or throwing fire and pinning him. But nobody recognized Leatherface when the mask came off. It was Larry Basil who works as Johnny Rotten for David Leahy's Virginia Wrestling Association. And Lawler suffered for no show cousin Harold and beat Eric Gibber by DQ when Dr. Tom interfered. In the finale, I saw Tom Pritchard and Mr. Texas beat uh, Tony Anthony in Dirty White Girl in Street Fight, which went until one person was left in the other way due to outside interference from Eric Embry. Huh. So, yeah, what a show. So, wait, is this Sid Vicious' Johnny Rotten or a third Johnny Rotten? This is, the, this is Maryland Johnny Rotten. So, okay. So, right, right, right. Because right, Sid's Johnny Rotten grew up with him, right? Mm-hmm. So he's from Memphis area. Yes. And, of course, what's-his-face, uh... Johnny Grunge had worked as Johnny Rotten previously. All right, so let's go to uh, Lawler and Leatherface, and let's watch that clip, shall we? Who's doing the announcing at ringside over here? I think it's David Webb. Corey's not there yet. You know what I mean. If not, take a look. Turn up the volume. The King climbs up to the second rope. Goes to drop the big bet by Leatherface. Quickly moves out of the way. Yeah, that does yeah. Lawler finds no one at home. It's Pritchard up on the ring apron. It's handing Leatherface something. Leatherface handed Pritchard something. Leatherface with the chain. That's it. That's the chain going in after Lawler. Lawler with the fire. Throws it on Leatherface. Pause. Pause. Okay, so Jerry just set Leatherface on fire. Uh, Leatherface apron, that is. So Leatherface's whole front of his body is on fire. Good times. Alright, unpause. On fire! Lolo seizes the opportunity, goes in, and takes the match. Nice fast count. Well, the big news really in the territory is they're back in the midst of Coliseum, hey. and we have a and we have a promo with uh with Jerry and uh, I think Eddie Marlin me, uh, with the midst of Coliseum officials marking this special occasion. So let's go to that clip, shall we? Including what's her face, the manager that they'd all been mm-hmm. cutting promos on for months. Mm-hmm. Oh, this should be fun. Boy, what a wonderful Monday night we had uh, last week. The uh, Homecoming 91 returned to the Mid-South Coliseum, and uh, quite a great matches there. The, the fans were terrific. The Coliseum people were terrific. The atmosphere was right. And uh, to make it even nicer, uh, before everything got going, uh, there was a special presentation for the 20th anniversary of uh, championship wrestling at the Mid-South Coliseum. Uh, in, a, in a way, it's your trophy. Thank you for your support over the entire 20 years, and, and also our going back. Back to the Coliseum has, of course, a lot to do with the fact that uh, that the fans uh, said we need more room. We're going to put more people in here. Take a look at this presentation with promoter Eddie Marlin involved. 
Eddie, Jerry, it's really an absolute pleasure to have you guys back in the building. And really and truly, we wanted to, to get together with you this afternoon and present a plaque to you. You know, you guys were with us 20 years in the Mid-South Coliseum. It was exciting, great family entertainment over the 20 years. And we wanted to say to you a very special welcome back. And doggone it, if there's anything we can do ever to make you guys at home and welcome you here and say we're glad to have you. Welcome home. Thank you very much, Don. You know, Don, uh, being back in the Coliseum is sort of like a homecoming to me because I've been coming here for many years. And, of course, this is saying uh, 20 homecoming. I'd sure like to come back in a few years and say our 40th homecoming because the building here is great. You know, a lot of people in other buildings come to me and say, Eddie, we're tired of sitting on these old hard benches. This is for you, soft benches, real cool building. And I couldn't accept a plaque like this without having our number one man, Jerry the King Lawler. You know, Jerry Lawler has won every title that is to be held in the wrestling business. And to me, this is another title for the King. Well, oh, I, I appreciate that, Eddie. But, I mean, uh, you know, we just wanted to say uh, thank you once again for being here. Uh, Don Jameson, the entire board, especially Beth Wade, have... have been a to make this, uh, uh, like you said, a great homecoming. It should be really great for the fans too, and and I think that's the you know the most important thing because uh, I think sometimes all sporting uh, sporting events lose lose fact of the or lose sight of the fact that uh, this is entertainment for the fans and it needs to be a good, fun, safe place, comfortable place for them to come. And there's nothing like the Mid South Coliseum when it goes for that. Uh, the parking now, the situation is great, safe. The, as you said, the seats are all nice and soft. And what I love about the fact is the fact that the, the wonderful, cool air conditioning in the building. Because it gets so hot in those ring, and I was about to die over in the Bipkin <laughs> building. But this is great. And, Beth, it's great to be back. And, Don, thank you for having us. On behalf of Beth and the Coliseum board, welcome home, Keith. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I'd like to add one other thing. On the plaque here, it says family entertainment. And we have plenty of security here so the people can feel free to bring their young children over, the mother and dad. <laughs> it's a family affair, and we're certainly proud to be back in the Coliseum. Maybe Beth could explain a little bit about there is a, a better, even a better seating situation where people are actually closer to it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure she can. What we've done is we've eliminated using the upper concourse, and we're just using the floor seats. So you'll access your general admission seats or, or what are considered the gold seats from the bottom area. It allows us to have a more... A uh, comfortable kind of intimate relationship and the fact that everybody's on one level as opposed to two different levels and we think it's going to work just great we're excited to see how it works tonight it worked just fine i'll tell you that's how it worked it was a terrific night there let us add our thanks to beth wade and don jameson uh, for the coliseum it especially beth wade yeah you want to explain that uh, beth wade is the one that was singled out the most by lawler and jared in the media let me see if I can find some stuff real quick, because I have some stuff I saved. You talk while that also that blender is going in the other room. Real quick. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and that's why they were in the Pilkin building. For all that time, is all the drama that was going on there between uh, the promotion and Beth Wade, mainly. Uh, okay, so. so okay, so I have an article from March, so it's been about four yeah, four or five months, okay? This is from the Memphis Commercial Appeal by Steve Gaither. I'm going to make this text a little bit bigger here. Uh, professional wrestling organizers say they will end their 13-year run at the Mid-South Coliseum. 
uh, after next Monday's bouts because of differences with Coliseum officials. Wrestler Jerry Lawler, a partner in Memphis Wrestling Enterprises, that that's what had been Warrior Sports, right? Yeah. Said Monday that the Colise- that Coliseum manager Beth Wade has taken steps to hurt wrestling attendance and cut its revenue through higher fees to force it from to higher fees to force it from the city and county owned facility. Waller specifically objected to a $2 parking fee and rising charges for extra security. Ms. Wade, who was hired last June, so June 1990, was out of town Monday, cannot be reached for comment. The Coliseum board chairman, Bill Frolla, and other board members said no one is trying to force wrestling from the Coliseum. Board, manage, uh, board member, Jane Pirati, said she believes the move became necessary because of decreased attendance in recent years. The Coliseum board approves contracts and sets policy. Jerry Jarrett, managing partner of Memphis Wrestling Enterprises, said Monday he has talked with uh, Christian Brothers University officials about using a school facility and with Memphis officials about using one of the smaller buildings at the fairgrounds. Jarrett said he hopes to have seating for about 3500 The wrestling organizer's lease at the Coliseum expired at the end of February. We don't have a lot of choices, but we'll do the best we can, blah, 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 blah. Or you see, the best for the fans with what we've got, so. Oh, here we go. Here's the actual... Here's the meat of this. Lawler said costs have increased to a total of $4,000 a night, including the base rent of $1,300. Lawler said the Coliseum board, at Ms. Wade's insistence, had increased security at a cost of $1,500 per night. He said fans have complained about the $2 parking fee that was implemented for wrestling about five months ago, and about a $1.25 surcharge on wrestling tickets sold at the Coliseum box office, also implemented about the same time. The surcharge on tickets was levied by Ticketmaster, who handles ticket sales for the Coliseum. I thought at this point, even if they use Ticketmaster for their ticketing, you didn't pay the service charge if you got it at the box office. So I guess that wasn't across the board. And then there's this. Since Beth Wade took over, the relationship between wrestling and her has been strained as best. At best, Waller said, she made it clear she does not like the event because it draws an undesirable element of society to her building. In other words, Lawler is... Jerry Lawler is trying to imply that she's a racist. It seems. Interesting. Yeah. And if she really said that, he's probably also not wrong. Well, notice, you know, the line about security, too, in that whole deal. Well, yes, and the neighborhood had changed in various ways, but still. Uh, there was another article a couple days later. I'm just seeing if there's any more quotes or anything. Leaving uh, the Coliseum after March 11th. Wait, Beth Wade told him it came as quite a surprise it had been such a long-term relationship. Lawler referred to Beth Wade as unquestionably the worst person I've dealt with in 32 years of the wrestling business. <laughs> this is a man who had his head shoved in a toilet by Gary Hart. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> he said that. Um... You know, they talk about the actual prices. You know, ringside was always seven bucks. Jared explaining ringside, so it became eight twenty-five, and then with the parking charge, uh, it, you know, it becomes ten twenty-five if a single person's coming. That's why the crowds have dwindled. He said uh, Monday's event, according to Jared, to about twenty-three hundred at the time. Jared said Ms. Wade has told Lawler that she quote wasn't happy with the wrestling crowd that it drew an undesirable element. If our fans are undesirable, we are undesirable. And said Ms. Wade, that was never was a quote out of my mouth. <laughs> we never had a conversation consider, consider, considering the makeup of his audience. 
but we had so many of his regular fans feeling this had become an undesirable audience. That's interesting. Well, again, though, still seems like the same issue is going on, which is, seems like she's saying that the white fans do not like that it's become a majority black audience. Especially knowing how things were shifting in that part of Memphis at the time, you know? Yeah. So, there is a lot going on here. Yeah, I mean, but like we said before, that type of shit was going on in other places and still goes on other places, yes. you know? You so. should say, though, they're not lying when they say that all of the changes with the Coliseum and the lack of lighting in the parking lot and at one point the lack of air conditioning, all that, like, that that absolutely did hurt attendance. Right? Yeah, there's a lot of things that went into that, yeah. so that's part of it. All right, Boss Winners. Yes, still managing in Memphis, 1991. Guys, a new team called the Goon Squad, who are two green mask guys that are going to work a program with Rolf and Chef Jared. Obviously, don't last long. But the reason why we're going to play this is because Boss Winner has gone through a gimmick change. No, no longer is he a plantation slave owner. He's now in a different type of world, the underworld. Let's go to the clip. Well, he was a plantation owner-looking guy with a name like a plantation owner managing a pl- a pair of masked black job guys. It was strange. Who wore cut-off jeans. And also, he never did promos and only managed them. Until uh, until he uh, until they got real gear. Yeah. Well, no, he still managed them after that. Rough and yeah, and then he, made, he well, he got promo time in 89. Well, 89. During the Soul Taker. Him and Nate the Rat and the, their feud for the Soul Taker. Oh, Jesus. Anyway. This way, it is the one and only Boss Winters with his new team, the Goon Squad. That'll be the Godfather, Davey. Yes, the Goon Squad, the faithful Goon Squad, is taking oh, the place of Omerita. The promise of silence. Yep. And yes, everything pertaining to family business. And with He's a mafia Godfather. Squad at my side, I will take the world titles. The Godfather will rule the USWA. All right, you're not going to do it standing here telling me about it. The way to win the world titles is to get in the ring, start work, working your way up the ladder, and get a match with the champion. You know, Dave, you should show a little respect for the Godfather. I do know where you live. I know where your wife is. I know your schedule. That's enough of that. How about taking him right <laughs> under the ring right there? Boy, I tell you what. Championship match is, as a matter of fact, signed with these guys coming up later on. Today, this is a... Uh, All right, so there you go. <laughs> I just want to see Godfather boss winners. <laughs> hey, like I said, this only lasts probably like oh, two weeks at the most. So, good Lord. Only a bit, this. All right, so... Um, Next, we get Dirty White Boy and Dr. Tom. Funny enough, they had a TV match. Eric Gambry interfered. Injured Dirty White Boy. Dundee's playing a subtle heel, but still come out of the face dressing room in his feud with Davis over the lightweight title. Dundee said in an interview that the lightweight champion has a match on a big show in Japan on September 7th. And we got a $40,000 payoff. And that's why the title is so important over the next few weeks. Wing. Going to wing. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, like I said, he's not turning heel. This was the title. Now, Steve Beverly... What, I need to know what Victor's giving him $40,000 for, though. I need to defend the title. Sure. Now, Matt, Matt Watch, of course, has this update. Eddie Gilbert's talking about being part of some sort of opposition group to USWA, but it'll be tough with no television. And he does work for one of the outlaws a little bit, right? Yeah, some. But... 
For those who don't know, this is the period where I don't think we ever found out what actually happened, or the why of it at least. Eric Embry is the book. Well, is Eric Embry booking still? Because Leatherface mm-hmm. makes me think it's Lawler, but well, Lawler. I mean, Lawler. Lawler has Lawler things, and he can do it. Uh, but the Book of Record is Embry. Mm-hmm. Embry had fired Eddie. I don't think to this day anyone knows why, but. Lawler and Jarrett refused to overrule it, and that's why it wouldn't have been this Goodhart weekend, because Lawler's not there, but I think it's in August that they do the Goodhart lunch together in Philly, and uh, I need to find a copy of that again. It is uncomfortable to watch. It feels like half the thing is Eddie begging Lawler to get him rehired. Mm-hmm. You've seen it, right? Mm-hmm. Outside of things where people were visibly intoxicated, have you ever seen a more uncomfortable shoot interview or Q&A? <laughs> no. It's weird. But, and Lawler keeps saying, well, I'm not the booker. You have to talk to Eric. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, about to go somewhere uh, else anyway. Yeah, eventually. Well, All right. Uh, he's not booker till later, but he's going to where we're talking about now in a couple weeks. Global. Let's go to Global Wrestling Federation, where the Patriot added the North American title to his TV title when the tournament held Friday and Saturday night at Sportatorium. From what Dave was told, the tournament, from an action standpoint, wasn't as good as the previous three tournaments, with the highlight being a three-and-a-half-star match between Terry Gordy and Cactus Jack. The final match ended up being kind of screwed up because of a problem with the finish. The Patriot wrestled out Perez. Perez, surprisingly, was cheered more than the Patriot the entire match, which is ironic because the reason he was originally put to go that far in the tournament was because it was thought he was over so strongly as a heel in the Dallas market. The finish was supposed to be the Patriot having Perez pinned, but Perez had his feet on the ropes and the ref counted the fall, but the Patriot making the ref stop his count in the ultimate good sportsmanship and eventually going on the win. Well, referee John Keaton kind of three anyway, and the match ended even with Patriot protesting the pinfall, and Perez leaving the ring looking as though the the finish was screwed up. In the post-match interview, Patriot was heavily booed. To rectify the situation, they'll probably have the two rematch for the title on August 23rd. Now, regarding the finish, Joe Pettacito told Matt Wash that they were de- debating the whole screw job finish scenario, saying they could do some like, like some promotions do and just ignore it and move on. But the Patriot would have a somewhat tarnished championship. And Dave believes Patriot's going to give up his TV title and do a six-man tournament for that title in a few weeks. Wait till yes. me fuck a tournament. Yes. And first things first, uh, August 23rd, when they do the rematch, that's when Eddie debuts. All right. So let's watch this finish, and let's just see how screwed up it was. Yes, because, you know, it's global. It would take forever to figure out when it aired, so it's better to just do it when it was taped. To the ringside area. The Patriots. He's selling on the floor. Trying to make it to his feet while Perez very confident inside. Perez is jacked. There. We've seen that where both men have their shoulders on the mat. Both men have each of their own shoulders on the mat. And one will get the shoulders up. Perez has his foot in the rope. It's a count of three. The Patriot gets the three count, but says the foot was in the rope. The official lays the arm. A confusing situation. Perez attacking. The Patriots just had him covered. What's going on here? Al Perez coming in with a chair. 
The Patriot gets the three count. Perez's leg tangled up in the rope. The official counted three. The Patriot even pointing out. We'll have to wait for the official. The Patriot and Perez facing off. And Perez throws the chair into the ring. The sportatorium is almost empty from how late in the tur- in the taping this is, by the and way. The Patriot has won it. We'll t- no, we'll talk about that. Let's take a look at the replay, and there you saw it. The leg was in, but a count of three. And there is your North American heavyweight champion. We will talk to the new champ when we return. You know, let's hear this promo. The man standing to my left had the television title in hand. Now, with the North American heavyweight champion, he is the Patriot. Well, you know, guys, I've always prided myself on doing things the right way. Being honest and working hard and giving a man a fair chance. Just like I tried to give Al Perez a fair chance. Tried to give him the benefit of the doubt to make sure things were done the right way. But evidently, Mr. Perez, you don't appreciate it. And I tell you what, you want to resort to such things as attacking me from behind. But you know what? Us as Americans, we're used to things like that. It's happened before. And we know how to respond. And we know how to fight back. And we know how to take matters into our own hands. And I realize I've taken on a great responsibility with this belt. Being the North American champion. A lot of people want it. But I tell you what, Al Perez, you've got first chance, man. Right here it is. It's mine. If you're man enough to take it, come get it. May the best man win. That's exactly fair, Patriot. Congratulations on the victory and on being a sportsman and giving Al Perez another shot at the title. What's next for you? You're television champion and you're the North American champion. What are you going to do about that situation? Well, I guess that'll be up to the powers to be in the GWF. Whether or not they want to let me represent them with two different belts. But I tell you what, no matter what they decide, I promise you one thing. With the help of all these other Patriots, we'll represent them in a great way. Congratulations to you, ladies and gentlemen, the North American heavyweight champion and the television champion, the Patriot. We're Joe Pettacino and Bonnie Blackstone, along with Scott Hudson. I'm Craig Johnson. Thanks for being with us. So- Thoughts? <laughs> You're muted again, Chris. You can hear the fans booing. You can hear fans booing, but it's not nearly as overwhelming as the report made it seem. Yeah, but it's weird that Perez was that was that over with the fans that were there. Yes. When he's supposed to be the heel. Yes. Now, real quick, too, we should also kind of describe how the finish looked a little bit to, for people who haven't seen this. So what happens is Patriot's selling on the floor, goes back in and just kind of as he's going back in and Perez is trying to bring him back in, kind of dives through the top and middle ropes into like this short distance body press onto Perez. Perez's foot gets tied up in the ropes, and that's why he can't kick out on such a mundane little move, which makes sense, because if your legs are tied up, it's hard to kick out. But the thing that I thought was interesting, you know, the greener guy, Del Wilkes, he does nothing wrong. He clearly does everything he's supposed to. One, two... He's pointing at the ropes. And Brian Keaton, I would think, knew the finish. Because why Why wouldn't he? So, I mean, this is clearly all Brian Keaton's fault, I think, right? Yeah, well, John Keaton. Wait, Brian Keaton or John Keaton? John Keaton. Wasn't there also a Brian Keaton? 
No. No. Okay, I thought it... Oh, who am I thinking of? I have no idea who you're thinking of. Okay. But, uh... But, yeah, I mean, it it, it was screwed up multiple ways. Yes. Um, I I believe when once they hammer this out and do the next taping, too, it's not a it's not a rematch for Patriots title. The belt's vacant again and then Patriot wins the title or they declare this null and void. I think it just gets so confusing. Here's what I these don't are, get, though. All these tournaments and fi- stupid finishes and shit. Yeah. But why didn't they? Why didn't they just restart the match? Well, we'll we'll talk about that. Okay. Um, because there's a a theory about this. Okay. All right. So anyway, from an attendance standpoint, there was both good news and bad news from the weekend going in. And figured the North America tournament would have the largest crowd the group has drawn thus far. Well, on Friday night they set the record, drawing eleven ninety eight, one thousand eighty paid. Saturday, for the tourney finals, it's August 10th, everyone figured they'd break the record. But it said everyone was stunned because the crowd dropped to 538 fans, which was the worst crowd thus far. And Dave told there were only about 200 fans left in the building by the time the championship match took place. Problem reason for this was this is the first Saturday night where they didn't offer a gimmick like tying in the ticket package for both nights at one price. Or often the second night at a dollar, second night at a dollar, as they've done previously. However, one would think if people were only going to come for one night, they picked the finals rather than the first round. But the Dallas audience is tradition bound to Friday nights rather than Saturdays. Joe Pettisino told Matt Watch that the August 10th show was tough because they were up against a big dirt track race that offered free admission in town. But what could he say? As who knows if that was the reason. Uh. Saturday wasn't a night for wrestling in Dallas. No. Not live wrestling. No. I mean, later on Saturday was when you watch championship sports, but that's it. So, I gotta say, though, I mean, especially since they had done it for the three other tournaments, why why didn't they do the package deal? I think that's yeah. part of this. Yeah, I mean... This wasn't an issue for the previous three tournaments. Yeah, I mean, they they really should... They really should have. But, um, yeah, that Friday night show kicked, kicked his ass. Mm-hmm. And that's a good house for that Friday night show. For Dallas Sportatorium in 1991, with this new promotion that at this point is using a lot of unfamiliar talent? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so the complete results. August 9th, syndicated package. So Renegade Warriors beat Ed Robinson El Diablo. Hansel Stranger, Marcus Bagwell over Todd Davis, Todd Burton. Bad news. That's all they call him. Alan Coeg over Rick Garen. <laughs> Wobble their own over Terry Daniels. The PYTs, Eric Fontaine and Randy Rhodes with Christopher Love. Beat Terry Garvin and Chaz. What a match that is when Chris Love interfered for Apprentice. Patriot over Rob Price by DQ when John Tim interfered. Stephen Dane over Tugboat Taylor. A match for the North American title. The first round match saw primetime Brian Lee over Wobbler on by the Q. Catness over Gary Young using the trunks. Patriot over the Soul Taker. Access to Demolisher over Terry Garvin with the Cobra. Steve Dewey to a cost over California Stud by Price. Stan Lane over Action Jackson. Interference with Jim Cornette. Austin Island over Scotty Anthony. Bad news over the Aztec. 
John Tatum over Jeff Gaylord, Perez over Hansel Stranger, and then Patriot beat Axis in the first second round match. Okay, before we get to the tenth, two things I want to talk about here. Do you remember who the Aztec was? No. That would be Teeny Airblast. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now that you say that. And it would I'm fairly sure it was senior, because I remember the gold mask. I don't remember when Junior started, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it's regular Teeny Airblast. And then the other thing I remember is, you know, because we have access to the Demolisher using the Cobra on commentary, uh, Scott Hudson or Craig Johnson are talking about other great le- wrestlers who have used the Cobra Clutch, like Sergeant Slaughter and the Mass Superstar. Well, of course. You can't acknowledge it about the same person. Of course, even though they sound exactly the same. And nah. exactly the same body type-wise. Nah. Yes. Also, I forgot about Austin Idol versus Scotty the Body. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. All right, August 10th. We had Gordy over Randy Rhodes, Terry Gordy over Randy Rhodes. Bad News and the Soul Take over Terrence Garvin and Barry Usher, son of referee Jerry Usher. Hans Stranger over Stephen Dane in a babyface match. When Chris Love came to the ringside and held Dane's tights as Stranger was pinning him without Stranger seeing. Okay. Dane got mad. <laughs> Dane got mad. Hold on. Dane got mad at Stranger and left with Christopher Love. And they're going to a, do a gimmick where Christopher Love manages Stephen Dane and the PYTs. But Dane is kind of, kind of the guy out in the cold and continues to get abused. Okay. Um, <laughs> when we do the Patreon show, one of the newsletters, maybe Matt Watch, explained this as basically being a Cinderella storyline where the PYTs are the wicked stepsisters and Dane is abused by them as Cinderella. And and Christopher Love is the wicked stepmother. Yes. Whose who's sexual fantasy is all this? I well, is there, I mean, is there a better sentence fragment in the history of the Observer than... I mean, it doesn't give the full names because he's already given them the other results, but the handsome stranger pinned Stephen Dane in a baby face match when Chris... Christopher Love came. <laughs> uh, you think he enjoyed pulling Steve Dane's tights? <laughs> you mean pulling uh, pulling his tights, which would then necessitate that everyone saw his ass? <laughs> oh man, I I I gotta think that uh, Bert's uh, helping with the book at this point. <laughs> or at least his own. Oh, if he pulled too too much, he wouldn't have had much tights left on Stephen Dane. Although the the the, the greatest line in the history of the Observer comes within a, happens. I almost said arrives, but that wouldn't have been good either. <laughs> um, in a few weeks, when Bird and the PYTs leave, and <laughs> it says Christopher Love, it said something like, Christopher Love has left the Gold Global Wrestling Federation, and he took Eric Fontaine with him. He sure did. <laughs> oh, man. Although, Eric Fontaine really doesn't look like his type, though. Well, whatever. All right, the Davis brothers, Mike and Tom, over the Renegade Warriors by Cutout. Scott Andrew over Rick Guerin. Gary Young and Jeff Gaylord over the El Diablo and Kidding to Stinger. In the tournament matches saw Katniss Jack over primetime Brian Lee, Terry Gordy over Stephen Dane. Too bad Stephen Dane then wrestled Steve do it to a Cox. Stan Lane pinned Steve Cox at the corner hit Cox with his tennis racket. That's true. Also, I'd be bad. Go ahead. What? Never mind. Also, I'd be bad, bad news by DQ. Alperez over John Tatum. Gordy over Katniss by count the best match of the weekend. When Katniss was missing elbow, dropped off the middle rope to the floor. Gordy lifted up 
the outside ring padding, and powerbomb Katniss on the floor. So that wasn't the first time he took it in the Vader match. He got powerbombed by Gordy here on the floor concrete. Which you think about as a killer bump to take, Dave said. Page number Stan Lane with coordinates interference backfired. Alperez over Austin used for an object given him by Bad News. Perez over Gordy by DQ and Gordy sent the referee and Pedro Perez won the tournament. Okay. Um, we talked about it when we covered this a few months ago, but it looks like the reason that the Vader powerbomb went so badly is that Vader was trying way too hard to be careful. I don't well, God, know. can you imagine if he wasn't careful? No, but <laughs> I don't know if it's the Joe Thurman thing. I don't know if that he's ever done it on the floor or whatever, but we noticed this, that he is trying to be so gentle in putting Mick down that he loses him. Yeah, but good lord. I know. I mentioned he wasn't careful. But it, I killed well, him. And the, well, he did it again a year later, and he didn't hurt him then. So clearly he learned something from it. Yeah. But Gordy doesn't seem like hurt him either. Uh, the other thing I was going to say, I, I can't even make the joke. I was going to try to figure out something about Lane and Cox and how Lane is the actual Coxman or whatever, but no, that would have been bad. Um, how did we not? How did we not get Stan Lane versus Stephen Dane? You mean like the Spider-Man pointing at the clone meme of the Global <laughs> Wrestling Federation? Yes, that's a, that's a good question. Now, do you remember the storyline that led to this match? Um, uh, not really. In the tag team tournament, Lane's partner was Steve Cox. Yes. And the thing was basically Cornette cutting promos like, oh, yeah, we'll win this, blah, 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 on our own. And then Scott Hudson would be like, what about Steve Cox? Like, ah, you know, whatever type of thing. And then when they do the the ring intros, Cornette does the big usual Stan Lane ring intro. And then he adds stuff like, oh, and his partner, Steve Cox. <laughs> And eventually, after they lose, they have their falling out, which leads to this match here, which I always liked that. I thought it was a cool idea. Like, here you have this legendary already tag team wrestler from two of the top teams of the 80s, and he has his longtime manager with him. Well, actually, not that long time, only four years, but still. And they're like, oh, we can do this ourselves. Although, I don't know if the gimmick works as well with someone who had already been a successful tag team wrestler in the area. Yeah. I feel like it might have been a little more effective with someone other than Steve Cox. Stephen Dane. That might have worked. I mean, he'd been in the area. He'd been in the area, but he wasn't, you know, a tag team guy. Right. All right. Now, we go to the Pros of Torch. One reason why the tournament didn't get gel so well is because there were more egos involved than ever, and probably because the boss, Joe Pettacino, was doing commentary instead of helping run things in the locker room. That'll do it. Um... Also, you you have Alan Coage and uh, Charles Wright in your locker room. Don't you think they could help you maybe help you manage some of the trouble? Yeah, but I mean, if you're not good, if you're the boss, you're not going to be out there. I mean, you need to have a strong hand. Why is it Bill Eadie being the strong hand? He's the well, booker. That's the other thing, yeah. Like, why isn't Bill Eadie running the locker room? I mean, he's working, yeah. but he has two matches across the whole set of tapings. That's weird. Makes no sense. That's Makes very no sense. weird. No, on the heels of the tape is in Dallas, Pesino's looking for a new location to take TV in the Atlanta area. They were hoping to get center stage from WCW, but WCW upped their payment for $2,300 to 
to block Pedicino from invading the arena. Pedicino still wants to tape shows in Dallas, but wants to tape in other places as well to keep it fresh. Uh, good luck with that. that and that's also so- ever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, once they lose any illusions of being a national promotion, it's a different deal. But it's it just felt it always felt weird that they're pretending they're this global powerhouse with the whole storyline thing of being an existing promotion that's now launching into an American branch. It's like, oh, they're, they're going to the Sportatorium and literally nowhere else. Yep. It just, it just, it didn't. No. What the do you think? doubling their price? <laughs> more than doubling. Oh, yeah, more than doubling. I read the first one. It's 26. Yeah. Jeez. Well, that's why they were taping all the different places in the summer '91. You know, oh, so, they oh, were. So they... wait a second. Okay, so it says WCW upped their payment. Okay, so that so what Wade really means is that Center Stage upped the rent and WCW eventually paid it. Well, that they were they weren't running there much. Well, that's kind you of know, in the summer summer '91. So this doesn't even really seem entirely true, though, does it? WCW upped their payment to block Pettacino? Doesn't feel like it. Yeah, well, Pettacino was coming in there because he thought he could get in with WCW not running center stage and having their issues. But they WCW wasn't running center stage because of the higher price, right? No. Oh, uh, I mean, that's unrelated. Okay. I think, I think the contract ran out and they just didn't run it. Okay. That's, and, and, and because they weren't going to meet the demands of running the building. So they were mainly running like Gainesville making. Oh, they were well. They, they were all they're they're taping Saturday night where we're going to talk about while well, well, ago in like uh, St. Joseph, Missouri. Oh, okay. So they're going different places. Uh, the one the per, until this happens and then they go back center stage. The person who plays the role of the boss may be changed from Scandal Akbar to Eddie Gilbert or woman. Okay. Akbar had not debuted yet, right? No. Okay. He ends up debuting before the boss reveal in a suit. So the mm-hmm. idea is you're supposed to think he's the boss because it's Akbar looking different and in the suit, but it's a swerve and he's coming in as the manager of Tatum and Price. All right, real quick, real quick. To yeah. inter- sorry to interrupt. Uh, the they go from April 29th to September 16th without running shows center, center stage. Huh. All right, go ahead. Yeah, so he does that, showing up in the suit. And in the meantime, so the idea had been... Uh, who went to WCW first? Gene and Clark? Or, well, we know Gene and Clark, because she started there already. What am I talking about? Uh, Gene and Clark's the original idea. She goes to WCW. They still want the boss to be a woman, because that's the idea they have. And the idea becomes Medusa. She signs with WCW. I forgot that Nancy's name ever came up, but I think this might be the only time her name came up in this torch here. I don't, I don't remember ever hearing anyone involved with Global saying that her name was in consideration. And she and and her and Kevin are, you know, definitely she's not, but Kevin's not with WCW. Right. Well, that's what I'm about to say, though. If you're going for that idea, now, granted, Nancy is not the Almost she would become later, but maybe well Medusa and Genie. I mean, well Genie was a solid promo. Medusa's not much of a promo at this time. Why not go for Nancy? Hmm. She 
seems like easily the best pick once they couldn't get their first two choices. They had the worst. They did the worst possible thing. That's well, 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 yeah. So Eddie, I mean, Eddie wouldn't. Anyone really have made much sense with how they hyped it up? I don't think, but would have played well off of the guys in that group because it was, uh, you know, Scotty the Body, Rip Rogers, Muckin Sing, Cactus Jack. Like he would, I'm sure he would have been great with those guys, but obviously didn't happen. I'm not even sure it was the idea. I, w- I wonder if maybe the reason his name is being mentioned here is more confusion over the Medusa thing. Yeah. So, you know, of course, it ends up being Max Andrews just deciding to do it when everyone keeps falling through, and then almost immediately having to drop the angle because, uh, as we've discussed many times before, that uh, he and John Horton, Craig Johnson, who's main job was working for Andrews and his syndication company going into some kind of sponsorship meeting with people at Eminent Mars and the first words coming out of the Mars rep's mouth being, so what's this I hear about you turning your back on your company? <laughs> really, legitimately one of the all-time great wrestling stories. It really is. And then they had to just basically retcon the per- the angle that the first three months of the promotion was built around out of existence. Yeah. GWF, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we got more. On the August Safe ESPN show, the group have probably its best back-to-back interviews Dave's seen all year by Jim Cornette and Scotty Anthony. The Friday show, Sketch ESPN was pulled, and the repeat shows put its place called the Herb Abrams, which we talked about that a while ago. Um, so there's that. Speaking of racing, Cornette had an interview on Saturday night after Stan Lane lost to the Patriot, claiming it was a conspiracy against them, like just like it was a conspiracy to do, do win his friend Pee Wee Herman. He said everyone wanted to finish off Pee Wee and that his trial, the judge wouldn't even allow him to be his own lawyer, and Pee Wee knew for sure that they could get himself off. <laughs> oh, man. And, well, finish reading this paragraph, though. Cornette introduced Stan Lane as the man who taught William Kennedy Smith everything he knows, and Lane introduced Cornette as the man who taught Pee Wee Herman everything that he knows. Uh, when was the arrest? Uh, we're in that time period of the trial. Okay. So, well, there was no trial. I don't think he took a plea. Uh, well, whatever. It was in July. I don't know if I see the exact date. There, and then there's a big story. It looks like in uh, entertainment. Could Weekly, you imagine right that? Could you imagine that story in social media times? Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now it would be di- there are things there are things that would be different in different ways though too. It, this w- it would not stay secret for cup for a couple days or whatever it was. You know, we would know within probably 12 hours, I would think. Um, but also, it would have to, it wouldn't be at a porn theater because those don't exist. Um, it would just have to be somewhere else in public. Um, let me ask you this. Is at the time, I don't know if, if I get it, have a good feeling on whether or not people did believe him. Do you think if it happened now, people would believe his? long-held claim that he was not touching himself and had not exposed himself in any way and that it was all police bullshit. You talking about Pee Wee? Yeah. Because I was talking about William Kennedy Smith. Oh, I thought you were talking <laughs> about... Sorry, I was... No, I was talking about Paul Rubens. 
Oh, Pee Wee Herman. That's a. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's silly. That's a silly deal. He's just jacking up in the theaters or whatever. Well, we don't even. Well, know. Well, he says he wasn't though. He has always said well, for the past thirty years that he wasn't. Well, whatever. It doesn't. I mean, it's funny. It's a funny story. I'm talking about William Candy Smith. Well, I, well, what, but the thing is, you know what though? And I think we saw this with Fred Willard. I, I think if it happened now, Pee Wee would get through it. Paul Rubens would. Well, again, it's, I don't. I'm not talking about Pee Wee Herman. I'm talking about William Candy Smith. Well, that's just a that's that. No one would ever. I mean, that uh, promo now either. But I'm saying that, but no, I'm just saying that story, if that story was around today, well, I'm pretty young, so it's like, it's not like I remember the Oh my God, that was huge. I don't know, I know it was huge, I just don't remember that much of it. Um, Alright, let me uh, run that down real quick. Alright, so so William Kennedy Smith uh, was a uh, doctor, member of the Kennedy family. He, uh, his mother was, uh, Gene Kennedy, Gene Kennedy, the youngest, youngest daughter star. of Joe. Joe yeah. Um, he was acquitted of trying and acquitted on charge of rape represented by a Miami based criminal attorney, Roy Black. That's a big time lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, supposedly he 30 years old. Uh, he was in a bar with his uncle, Ted Kennedy and cousin Pat, Ke- Patrick Kennedy. He met this girl, Patricia Bowman, a 29-year-old woman. Of course, the police have David, uh, police officers interview Bowman. Smith asked for a ride back to nearby house owned by the Kennedys. Smith and Bowman walked along the beach. Bowman told Smith to told police that Smith finally raped her. At about 4 a.m., she called two friends who retrieved her from the Kennedy compound and took her first to her, their home and then to their own home, her own home, where Bowman called a rape crisis center. A few hours later, she reported the incident to police, took the hospital for a rape kit examination, which documented sperm in her vagina, complaints of severe pain and bruising. At trial, Smith said that he and Bowman had engaged in sex, but it was consensual. Although three women, including a law student and medical student, were willing to testify that Smith had sexually assaulted them in incidents in the 80s that were not reported to the police, their testimony was excluded on the grounds that the pattern of behavior reported was not similar enough in its details to the Bowman case. Smith was acquitted of all charges. It took the jury less than 75 minutes to reach a not guilty verdict. Now, uh, in 2004, a former employee of the Center for International Rehabilitation alleged that Smith sexually assaulted her in 1999 for all civil charges against him. He denied her charges, calling him outrageous, and saying that fan persecution made him unusually vulnerable to these kind of charges. He later resigned from CIR. Social organization later announced two separate federal sexual harassment claims against Smith by former female employees of CIR have been settled amicably. And on January 5th, the court dismissed their lawsuit. Okay. Well, he was acquitted. I I never got the feeling that the public reaction was ever that he was innocent, though. Well, the thing was, it was all, it was all like uh, jokes and stuff about this whole thing. That's what I'm saying. How different oh, that were. would... Oh, I didn't really... I mean, well, obviously, we see here with the with the San Lane line, but well, Saturday Night Live, and, I mean, it, all the all your comedy stuff was all William, William Kennedy Smith was a big deal in the comedy world. So, w- with the idea of what, just that it was a Kennedy that got in trouble? That and I mean, yeah, just just going going in that direction, you know, mm. not taking consideration that this was a serious deal. It was all okay. <laughs> look at another Kennedy raping another woman or something like that, or. You know, bringing up Ted and Chappaquiddick and all this other stuff, you know? Yeah. As I say, could you imagine? I mean, imagine how that would have went over in today's time? Oh, oh my God. God. I mean, could you imagine how Chappaquiddick jokes would go over now 
like, and those are those those were a thing much more recently. Yeah. Ew. On top of everything else, um, but it is also a weird one too because like, I never got the impression that anyone ever thought he was innocent, which honestly, in a way, makes it worse. I mean, but it wasn't those things where okay, well, he got he got off. Oh well, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, that's the way the world was back then. You know. Okay. He's, he got off. Right. I mean, people didn't so I guess think innocent. of it as like, well, oh, clearly, even though he clearly did it many times, um, or so it seems. But who would, and then. Or oh, those allegations. I think sometimes I get him confused with Skakel, too. Because that was the other. It's, it's, the, it's the fact that he was a young guy. Um, there was something about a guest house or something like that that was always part of the running jokes. And. Like he was living in the guest house or something, and he was just—he was kind of. You remember how they like Cato Kalin was always portrayed? Yeah, like he was portrayed that way, even though he's a damn doctor. But yeah, um, I mean, I, you know what? I think probably the best way to explain this would be, and then we can—I think we can move on from it—is how do I put this? There is a, there was a time, and I guess 1991 was still it, where if someone who was considered either a bit of a, I don't even want, I don't want to say ladies man, because that's not the right way, but someone who was like kind of a very cavalier about, I guess, his promiscuity and was that type of guy. If that guy got accused of rape, it was sometimes lumped in with that. Do you get where I'm going with this? I understand what you're saying. That, like, it was treated as an extension of it. So, oh, we're already joking about how he has this reputation. This is just an extension of it, even though, obviously, it's not remotely the same thing and shouldn't be joked about. But, like, that's, that's, I think, the best way you can sort of explain what was going on, though. Well, this is also the same time period as Clarence Thomas is going to tell his stuff yeah. with Supreme Court, and that was major jokes, too, you know, of all that stuff. So it's just a different era. Yes. It is amazing Although, to think about how different things were back then compared to now. I mean, the same thing also about Clarence Thomas, though, and I think I think that part would, to a degree, would be the same today. I think there would still be people joking about specific aspects of that. Like, uh, still, there's no way. No, no, there's no, 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 no way no, no, Saturday no. Night Live and all them would be doing what and other comedy. Oh, I don't think but, they'd be doing uh, the same Stern things. But you, stuff like that would be you doing don't that. think there's there no would way. be. You don't think people on Twitter would be making long dog silver jokes? Oh, well, Twitter, all over the place. Twitter, yeah, Twitter, yeah, Twitter, yeah. But I'm saying okay. as far as a mainstream comedy show or even your talk shows or stuff like that. That's another thing. Your talk show monologues. Carson, Arsenio, Letterman. There is some I mean, terrible shit that was said in those through at least the mid-90s. I mean, it's just, it's a different world. It's a different time and place. So. I, it is, but you had the whole thing where Leno did all the OJ jokes and, you know, to a ridiculous degree, the dancing Edos, etc. And then whenever anyone would ask Letterman why he didn't, he was like, two people were killed. That's not funny. A lot of people made OJ jokes, though, too. So it's no, just, but you know, the, way, the yeah. way that Leno handled things was very over the top and different, though, from, from the others. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. SN, at the, at the SNL OJ stuff was about ridiculing OJ being a murderer, an obvious murderer. Leno was using just. Do you get what I'm saying? Leno was just using everything as joke fuel. I mean, then you had, you know, I mean, the, the OJ stuff. 
was one of the things that put Chris Rock in that next stratosphere. Talk about, talk about, you know, he talked about how I don't believe he did it, but I understand if he did. You know, that whole well, that thing. That was years later, though, that he that special. That was 96. several years later. 96. That special is from 96? <laughs> which, which special is that? Yeah. From 96 this year. Hold on. Yeah. Is he really that old? Yeah. Specifically, Bring the Pain? Or is it the one after? Holy shit, June, June 1st, 96? Wow. June 1st, 96, yep. Mm-hmm. I did not remember. So Okay, so this would be just after the civil trial then, right? Mm-hmm. Months. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow, I did not realize it was that. I think we also just forget how long Chris Rock's been around. <laughs> And that was his comeback. And that's the right, thing, that too. Was a, that was rebuilding <laughs> after, kind of rebuilding himself with movies a little bit after SNL didn't really help him. And then Bring the Pain just blew him up. Yeah. Tall Salads and OJ and I Hate Ends. That whole, those are the three things that was uh, the thing a part of that. Well, All that right, the, uh, wait, is that the difference between black people and N-words? Yes. Fit? Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Alright, so back to the, the Global Rust Federation. Pedicino told the Torch that he has no fear of losing the Patriot to WCW or WWF. And that's why they're so comfortable in pushing him like they have been. Well, he didn't. And as a fan back then and seeing the Patriot, I'm like, why is it I'm like, why is it this guy being pursued by WCWF? He can't He's nothing a against muscular dude. He could talk. Young? Nothing yeah. against anyone else there. He came off his major league in a way no one else in the promotion did. He was the guy. He was the the face of that company, the star. And and once he left that company, never recovered. I mean, he, him leaving was the was the blow. Yes. Um. One thing I noticed earlier too, I had never thought about before. That early Patriot mask looks way too heelish. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, they would change it so someone noticed something. But yeah. It, anyway. Uh, we got one more item here from Global. People in WCW told the tourists that they were surprised to see how well Mike Shaw does in heel interviews as Muck and Sang. The chances of him returning to WCW, though, as long as Jim Hurd is still in power, is basically zero. <laughs> so wait a second. No one in WCW saw his work in the promotion they hired him away from? <laughs> well, I guess not. WCW, everybody. Mm-hmm. Texas All-Pro Wrestling runs every Sunday night in Unicorn Ballroom in Houston. From what Dave's told, the guys are basically green, but all work very hard to make the shows enjoyable. That's pretty much what all good Indians are like. The standouts are Ivan Pusky Trainees, G.I. Bro, Super Collider, The Night Brawler, and The Gladiator. Okay. As we all know, G.I. Bro and Super Collider, Booker T, Stevie Ray. Any idea who The Night Brawler and The Gladiator are? No idea. Uh, let me see if I look at Booker. But yeah, there's Booker and Stevie in there, so that's good. Yep. Um, I, th- I think it's Stevie who said, "I have no idea what a super collider is." <laughs> I forget if it was him. It might have been Booker that said it, but well, it's a weird name. It it is. Um, I guess we should mention here that uh, Booker T lost his GI Bro lawsuit. Just, just a shame, I guess. Well, you win some, you lose some. It it. it, it uh, once I started actually following that thing, he really didn't have that much of a case. It was over if the video game company he was suing had, like, one promotional image that looked kind of like the comic book version of G.I. Bro in a specific poster. 
There yeah. Was, yeah, there just was not uh, much there. 80 Sharkish PWA drew 650 on August 3rd in Munison, Michigan. That's Charlie North with WDQ with the Punisher. Baron Varashki beat the Shocker. Norman, Mike Shaw, who's over big since he lives 30 miles away, beat T. Joe Khan. Lightning Kid over Jerry Lynn and other matches. Pretty much the same crew worked Colderon, Minnesota next day, except Khan beat Norman on that show. Hmm. So Shark. If that's a remotely accurate crowd, that's really impressive. Hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Not much in the, you know, you know no real like, big names. 650. Poor- yeah, Portland Sports Arena on August 3rd uh, saw John Rambo beat the Grappler. Don Harris beat Mike Winter. Jimmy Jeff Funk over Larry Oliver. Mike Miller over Dirty White Boy Bobby Blair. Bart Sawyer with Doug Masters. Steve Dahl went to a draw with Ron Harris. And the man saw Sandy Bar, Jimmy Jeff Funk, father and son, beat Al Madrill and Doug Masters. Now, August 10th saw one fairly big name no show and another return. Billy Jack Keynes is back on the heel again. And over $5,000 to anyone who can last 15 seconds in its full Nelson. However, Samoan Samu no-showed the card and his match against Mike Miller. The matches opened up being Jimmy Jack Funk before the trunks. Grappler slept for Samu against Miller. They brought all over the building for three minutes to both can out of the ring and then being rematched along the 17th. The Harris boys beat Mike Winter and Bar Sawyer two out of three falls. Let, uh, on that August 3rd show, Almadrill still won the tag title belt, so he wore it to the rain team with the Grappler in a title match against Steve Dahl and Crush. Brian Adams. Madrill ended up pinning Dahl to apparently win the titles using a foreign object, but referee Sandy Barr found out and reversed the decision. Dahl and Crush defending against the Bruise Brothers next week. No TV on YouTube here? Or just nothing interesting? Uh, nothing on YouTube, so... Um, eh. Yeah, nothing particularly noteworthy here other than more Crush in Portland as he's biding his time, waiting to be repackaged. Um, I will mention, too... Oops, because like, I wanted to see if I could find any identities for those other Ivan Putsky guys. I looked at Booker's cage match. Nothing, because I figured if there's an early result, I can click the card, see the people on it. And I see wrestling data, you know, except for one match in June 89, they look to have the same basic set of results. That doesn't start till 92. So I'm like, okay, I click on June 89. I may have found one of the greatest wrestling data or cage match mistakes ever. Okay. No result, but June 24th, 1989, WCW Great American Bash Tour at the Yaffa Mosque in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace versus Booker T and Stevie Ray, which is clearly someone seeing a newspaper ad for the Dynamic Dudes against the Ebony Experience and thinking it's Booker and Stevie. Isn't that just great? We've talked about that before. We did that specific result? The Ebony Experience. No, I know. It's 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 Ronson's and Patriot. Uh, or yeah, we talked yeah. talk about that between we the We talked about that, but I don't think we talked about wrestling data having this error, which it's weird that it's only one match, too, because it's not like there's only one answer. Well, again, I mean, I, and that's why you really can't search by wrestlers on that side, so, no, or any of the sides. I wouldn't yeah. do that. Well, unless there's an actual result, though. If there's an actual result, then you can trust it a little more, but yeah. Eh, not really. I mean, there's a, there, I've seen plenty of mistakes. So, so it, they do, no great, way, they do great work, but they make mistakes. There's no way to su- formally submit corrections or new results or anything, right? You just no. have to email them and hope for the best. I mean, that's plenty of wrong cities, wrong days, wrong matches. I mean, it, I mean, there's a lot of false results out there, so it's easy for them to get confused. So, 
And there's also there's still a lot of stuff on the newspaper websites that no one's really gotten yet. Like I was doing, I was looking up something for an article I'm working on earlier, and I found a result that was not anywhere. You know, not in Jim Zordani's old stuff, not on the database sites. No. Oh, there's a ton of that. Believe me, well, there's a ton some, of that. It was that. for someone that you would think would have been very well documented by the those sites. That's what I mean. But anyway. Well, still, there's a ton of results. It's not in any of the results sites. Well, yeah. Or, or, or Zordani. So, believe me, I know. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah. Yeah, but Portland, not in the best shape this time. And it's going down. All right, now let's close out with World Championship Wrestling and what a section this is. We got it all here, folks. We'll start with Matt Watch. Regarding rumors of a possible change of bookers, both Jack Petrick and Jim Hurd told Matt Watts they are not changing bookers. The story of Bill Watts talking to people at WCW was leaked by Ole Anderson, who has recently made an unsuccessful pitch to replace Jim Hurd. Watts did not talk to anyone at WCW, but Vernon Greg Gagne recently made a visit to Atlanta, but won't be hired for any position. Let's go to the torch. Torch Board Day originally intended the Gagne meeting was to discuss WCW promoting in St. Paul on September 28th at the Civic Center, and possibly taking over their existing time slots in syndication. Let's stick with the torch. Regarding Ole, Torch reported that a Turner Home Entertainment official saw the numbers that Ole was getting a year ago, and that they were much better than what Dusty Rhodes is getting in all departments, which led to speculation that they were going to possibly give Ole a second chance. Let's go to Matt Watch. There are other rumors floating around in the GWF locker room August the 9th that Jerry Jarrett will be getting hired by WCW. Matt Watch hasn't been able to get in touch with Jim Herb, but the rumors are unfounded. One GW performer was quoted as saying that Jarrett was going to work for WCW, but bet your last money that was the only way it would happen would be for WCW to control the Saturday morning WMC show. And Torch comes back with uh, with all the heat on Jim Herb right now. He's being forced to submit a written report on how he plans to rejuvenate WCW. Well, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> From Matt Watch and Torch, they're just hitting it. We're all in different directions. Yep. Okay. So the thing that kind of jumped out at me was the Ganyas, because they talked to them about this a year earlier and then asked for too much and nothing happened. What I'm guessing is happening is that I guess they still have their t- t- syndicated TVs, or at least some of them at this point. When w- Were you getting on Channel 14 or anything AWA syndication at this time? Like, uh, Channel is not a thing at this time. Well, you know what I mean. In this general time frame, when they were doing the classic shows after they stopped taping. No, but my brother had them on Satellite Dish. Okay, so you had seen some of them. I knew of it. So were they going this deep into 91? Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't even remember about this deep, but I'm not surprised. So what's happening here probably is the Ghani is panicking with the new TV season coming up in a few weeks. But they're wanting to get in as as local promoters too, and that doesn't happen either. Nope. Um, Booker's okay. With hindsight, Dusty must have had a three year contract that they just either couldn't cut or would have been difficult to get out of, right? I think that they all knew what the real. I mean, Jack Petrick probably knew what the problem was. It wasn't Dusty. Oh, okay, I get what you're saying, as far as just the larger issues. And you know what? I mean, the issue clearly wasn't Dusty, because his booking changes noticeably once Hurd's gone. 
again, we talked about this before. I mean, well, Herd it, changes won- before, it changes before Herd's gone, but once Jim Crockett has more influence, too. But Herd wanted his own version of the World Wrestling Federation. Mm-hmm. And that's and Dusty had just been there. Yes. And, and it's sure to Dusty to do it. Was he doing a great job under Herd, you know, until they toned things down? No. But he's doing what his boss wants. That's exactly right. He's being doing he's doing what he's told. Yep. He can't really fault Dusty for that. And Herb then, wanted all the elaborate gimmicks and entrances and all the stuff, and we all know that. So, well, we also need to remember too. Right now, you know, the, you know, the photos and the beginning of everything was, you know, probably in '90. But right now, summer 1991 is when the WCW licensed merchandise explosion happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when the. Uh, because the glo- if I remember right, the Gloobs, the Gloob action figures came out about the same time as the second series of the WCW, uh, me, the WWF Hasbro figures, which was around summer '91. May have been earlier. It, it, it was in '91. It was because, in '91. Well, because watch it. Series one of Hasbro was summer '90, but it was I forget exactly when series two and then the WCW Gloobs come out, but it's not long before this. Either way. This is when all that stuff is hitting stores. The globes, the bendy figures, the board game, the play money, the you know, the knockoff wrestling buddies. All that is in the same general time frame. So I gotta think that's also why Herd is being given a little bit more time and, and just they're basically waiting out the end of the contract to see what happens. And he's Jack Petrick's friend. Yes. You know, but well, things have been strained, if we believe Jim Hurd, because of the yeah. phone call that he makes to Steve Beverly. I forget the exact line, but something to the effect of, you just ruined my decades-long friendship with Jack Petrick. Yeah. But yeah, this time, I mean, in fact, the, and then you got the Oli thing. Oli's trying to undercut her with his, uh, his... You know, uh, inf- whoever he has the internal home entertainment that has influence trying to, you know, get him back in there, which is funny. Right, and it's but only only when no people, man, because he's been involved with Turner for all those years, so he would have connections. And it's also a few months after this that uh, that Oli gives the interview to Thunderbolt Patterson's lawyers, too. And, and trying to get Watts' name leaked out there and everything, and it's a... <laughs> so much stuff, but well, also part of that is that the Torch Summer Annual, I think, would have just come out with the Watts interview. Watts interview was like a, a week or two before dropped about a week before our week. Yeah, right, right. So we talked about that on the show. Gave. We talked about that on the July twenty seventh, August third show, which was also when we came to the realization that somehow no one had for over twenty years or twenty five years or whatever. That the reason that people thought that the interview got him hired with WCW, but the WCW and Turner people could say that, and maybe truth were saying truthfully that they had not seen all the racist and homophobic stuff, was that Wade had run a preview in the Torch that was full of the W that was mainly the WCW stuff and didn't have any of the offensive stuff. It was so, buried in there. No, my point being. It's most likely that no one in the office ever read the full Torch Summer Annual version. 
of and and uh, you know if I if I remember correctly, I came to the conclusion that that was done on purpose so they could hide that so Watts could get the job because they wanted Watts to have the job. You think someone told Wade to do that? Or no, no. Because they still I deny Wade... that anyone ever read the interview, but we don't know if they mean the whole interview or whatever. I I gotta think that that like Wade and other people in the Torch were so big Bill Watts fans. And... Oh, you mean that they're maybe even not in consciously, but because they wanted Bill Watts to have the job mm-hmm. again. You know, that, I mean that goes. You know, and as terrible as it sounds, especially with. Just how worse some of that stuff he says ages year by year. It, that this like granted, it's not the regular newsletter. Less people are reading it, but there was no big uproar over what he said at the time. And I'm not saying that to defend it or anything. I'm obviously not. No, just not defending it. You're stating the facts. There wasn't. I mean, it was again different time, different era. Yes. You know. And also, the thing that I find kind of fascinating with hindsight. The stuff that everyone always talks about is not even the worst stuff he says. Yeah. People talk about the, you know, the legally I should be able to discriminate, which, you know, some people excused away as being like extreme libertarianism or whatever. No, you can make his comments about like all the black countries are broke and all, you know, and the, you know, what it, what's the best thing that ever happened to the black race? They came here and they intermarried. But that's... <laughs> The other stuff's bad. That's much worse. That's much yeah. worse because, like, you can at least contort yourself into the idea that he was making a point about, like, free market or whatever with the with the discrimination stuff. You can't with any of the other stuff. Yeah, and then we got Jerry Jarrett, you know, and all that. And this, you know, this is going to be something that goes through the end of the year, and you know, with all the stuff that the. the not all the time, but still, you know, the stuff with Luger and Lawler and then the other stuff, you know. So, obviously, I mean, there's something going on there. Yes, and, well, oh, I forget which episode it was on. It might have been the one about him going to the WWF. I think it was. Um, Jeff, on his podcast, said a week or two ago that they had been, oh, I forget what the specific, but they he said they had been talking to WCW about something. And... That also, you know, Jeff talked about how I even tweeted about it. The Dusty wanted him to come in, and this was this was at some point when they were running Dallas. So some, you know, had to be ninety one. Had to be ninety one. Presumably, yeah. Had to be because they're ninety one. Dusty's in WCW. They're running Dallas. Oh, right, so. sorry, yeah, it's a, yeah, the Dusty part. Um, the Jeff had no idea they made an offer. Until Jerry was telling him on the bus back to Memphis, oh yeah, by the way, they made you an offer for like $156,000 a year, and I turned it down. <laughs> Which, boy, does that explain, or maybe not explain, but that I feel like that does teach us a lot about their relationship, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and Jeff would have, Jeff, I mean, it'd been interesting to see Jeff in 91 WCW. Light heavyweight division? It's possible. I think he would have been like, I mean... Or maybe like just a mid-card t- sometimes... Maybe t- like Pillman. Maybe been like Pillman. Honestly, him and Pillman would have been a hell of a team in this era. Too. Yeah. Um, also, I, I'm actually curious to ask Jeff about what he remembers about the global stuff. Because granted, you know, 
Clearly, his dad compartmentalized a lot from him, but it seems like he has a much better memory and is overall much more honest than his dad. So I'm curious what he remembers about all that, because would you agree with me that Jerry's recollection of all the global stuff when he's done books and interviews and stuff does not really seem to fit with what happened? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Jerry's not a young man, so that happens. I know, but I'm know? talking going back, you know, 15, 20 years, too. Yeah, but still, I mean, it happens. No, right, so I'm curious what Jeff knows, but... Anyway, all right, so anything else we have here that we didn't... Oh, uh, well, I mean, the, obviously they want that WMC time slot. That's not gonna happen. Oh, no. And Jim Hurd doing a written report. On how to rejuvenate WCW. And that's, I'm sure that was something. I would love to see that. All right, well, let's get on the steroid topic. You know, continuation from WWF earlier. Dennis Brett on the 900 number said that, this is from Dave, said that WCW would be tested for steroids next time they had a drug test. But Dave doesn't believe any policy decisions on the subject has been made. Brent brought up the subject to say that if you see wrestlers in any organization getting smaller, don't jeer at them, but applaud them, because they and the wrestling business are better for it. Well, Matt Walsh talked to Jim Hurd on August 8th about this report, and Jim Hurd said he does not intend to test for steroids. Hurd said he hadn't heard Brent's hotline segment, but regarding testing, he said that the deal was if Vince tests, he was going to lie. And if we don't, then we won't. Hurd said the sheets have been all over him about this, and he was sticking to his guns as these guys are all adults and independent contractors. So if they want to do this to themselves, then that's their business. Hurd seems to be forgetting that the actions of his company, by who is being pushed as a top attraction, is blatant encouragement of steroids. Whether this is right or wrong, a subject for another debate another time, Banabal steroids are classified as federally controlled substances, which makes their use for non-therapeutic purposes illegal as of February. WCW should at least create a working environment in which they aren't encouraging their employees to break the law in order to get a career break. <laughs> so Jim Hurst is like, oh shit, you do whatever the fuck you want to do. <laughs> wow. This is Jim Hurd knowing that there's not going to be any heat coming on WCW from the media or the government. I think. Exactly. Yeah, because we're, we're WCW. We're lowly WCW. Yeah, and, you know, as we talked about earlier, though, at this time, there was not actually going to be any heat on WWF from the federal government. They were not looking at them at all, really, coming out as a warning. The steroid trial for Vince that ends up happening is all just a byproduct of the Ringo investigation. And we still don't know why it switched and all that. And, and, and WCW wasn't a promotion that had been built around steroided up guys. No. I mean, there, there are more coming in and getting pushed in this time frame. And Luger but it's not Hulk Hogan. No. WCW is always Ric Flair. I mean, yeah, Luger and Sting, but they, I mean, nobody was on the level of a Hulk Hogan or Walter Warrior. Where their entire image was steroid based. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you have Vince McMahon, the owner of the company, you know, being implicated in all of it too, which is a juicier story. Yes. Now, I don't. I don't think anything changes if Luger isn't getting so much bigger in 91 as far as, like, him getting the title and all that. Do you, do you think maybe he gets bigger in 91 thinking he should be doing that, knowing he's getting the title? Or something? I think he's getting bigger because he don't think he can get in trouble. You think he just wants to? Yeah, I think that, that Herd, I mean, Herd's laying it out there. I ain't doing shit to you. 
So why not? And I think Luger in his mind was going to go to WF anyway. So he knew he'd go to WF. He's going to need to get bigger. Even though they're supposed to be tested except for steroids. Well, I guess that's something we could say is that even before they start running out of dates on him, you know, with the maximum dates he had on the contract that causes the issue where he basically disappears for two months before losing the title, he really does seem checked out throughout this whole heel run. Yes, I think I think that the flair thing really killed him, killed his spirit. The fact that he could that he didn't he wasn't able to beat Ric Flair for the title. That he knew he was like really lame duck. Yes, I just killed his spirit because that was the that was his uh, Moby Dick, you know, his white whale. He never got to beat Flair for the title. This was going to be his chance, and this is taken away from him. Yeah, and he had, been pro- he had been promised it and promised it and promised it by Jim Hur, and it never happened. And another another problem with all this too, and I think that probably hurt Luger is. Like, they had not hyped up the Flair match well at all before Flair left. Well, I mean, why? Why don't? It's easy to see why because they they knew what was coming too. I guess, but they really. The only thing that really set up that match was him beating Muda at the Clash, right? Yeah, that it was the number one contenders match. Mm-hmm. So your your build for this, and they really didn't push more in a storyline sense was him beating Muda in one of the most rushed co-main events in the history of Major League Professional Wrestling. But they were leaning towards the history. Yes, they were. They were, but... In the grand scheme of things, was it probably the right idea to want to go with Luger in this time frame? Well, and also, he would have been a babyface? I think so. Flair... Flair just didn't feel... How do I put this? He just didn't feel like he was the right guy for the spot at the time, I don't think. He never just did. the comfortable one. He never did. You know, I mean, you can't use the excuse of, uh, about, you know, saving the belt for staying. You know? This just feels like Flair being champion because he wants to be champion at this time. Exactly. And but, know, they should have done a better job getting Luger ready anyway. That's another thing. Yeah. It's just a mess in general. It, well, this is WCW, everybody. What do you expect? Mm-hmm. But any other thoughts on her comments about the steroids? Not really. I think it just kind of goes to what I said. Like, this is him knowing that the heat is not on him. Yeah. I think it's that simple. Well, here's the interesting story that you, you have some input about. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Matt Watch. After failing to reach a financial agreement with Tribune Broadcasting's WPIX... WCW Pro Wrestling New York move, will move to WCBS on September 22nd in a 12.30 a.m. time slot. Jim Hurd told Matt Watch that they were very happy at PIX, but it's an economic thing. Turner Program Services bought a pay and they reported $13,000 a week to retain that 9 a.m. time slot on PIX. Hurd would not confirm the price, but Broadcasting Insider said WCW would pay $10,000 a week for WCBS' slot. Her said the image of them being on a network-owned station is great for WCW. And they feel like it would hurt them at all in promoting their shows in the Meadowlands. This time change will definitely skew more adults than the PIX time slot. And real quick, before we talk about this, uh, other TV news from Watch is WCW was going to lose their San Diego TV slot, but likely be back on WMLMT in Memphis at 10.30 a.m. on Saturdays, going head-to-head with USWA. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, so there's that. 
right. Now, the 12.30 a.m. time slot, I didn't put it in the notes, but of course, it's a, that that was the old slot, the midnight slot that WWF had for all those years on WOR. I believe once they make the switch, it's 12.05 a.m. on WCBS. So they had Turner time on WCBS. It doesn't... Um, well, because remember, a lot of a lot of places of late local news ends at 11.30. Yeah. So whatever, 11.30. Yeah. Whatever would have been 11.30 would have normally, you know, would have gone to uh, that. Okay, so first of all, with inflation, that's almost 26 grand a week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the end, pretty much the end of me watching WCW syndication until like 99-ish, because at the time we did not have a VCR yet, and then when we did get a VCR, so I had two. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, but my parents were so often renting movies on Saturday night that there wasn't a place for me to record it. So, you know, I'd, I'd catch up on whatever aired on the recap shows, and that was about it. You know, or that aired on the shows that kind of over, you know, with Pro, where Pro was kind of overlapping with main event at one point. Um, I, I, I get it that they're balking at this price increase, although it's a curious that we don't get the original price here, right? Yeah. Um, and also, they're getting paid already. It's a show that does good ratings and is customized for them. Why are they asking for so much more money? Maybe it's one that, of those deals. Well, go ahead. Maybe it's one of those deals where they, prob- they probably didn't want to have them anymore and put that big offer out there so that they would take it. It's that don't want to sell at price. Right. I got to think you know? that they were on WCBS. They were paying ten grand or less then, right? Uh, I guess. I feel like that's at least a decent guesstimate there. But <sighs> this is a bad move. Just a bad, bad move. How many how many metal intros do they even run after this? Um they run some they run maybe one or two more in ninety one, but that's about There's it. One in December, I know. I think that's that might be the only one. Let's see. Okay. East Rutherford. Uh Okay. So oh my god. All right, I gotta give you these. All right, um, I'm not going back into '90, but in '91, January 11th with the world title change, five thousand, but bad snowstorm that killed the walk up, famously. Um, April 4th, 4800. July 3rd, which originally was gonna have Flair and is the famous, you know, with the show with the wheel on Flair, chance all night and more games on top, drew 5800. How much do you think they draw on August 29th? Uh, about three three grand. 1,800, well, 1,800 paid. Huh. Then October 16th is canceled, and they're back up to 5,000 for December 27th. Now, let me see real quick if there is anything in 92. Oh, I typed in the wrong thing there. CW92.htm. And... Okay, they do run in. They don't run until March. Forty five hundred paid, and that's it. So, I, I guess the well, because the time the the TV switch actually didn't happen yet when they ran in August. So it's probably the bad taste that the previous show left in people's mouths. So, at shocking. Least, so 
the first date they have booked after the move is presumably so bad that they cancel it on the advance, but the next two do okay. The next two do in line with what they had been drawing. So that's actually kind of interesting. I'm not sure what I make of that. Like, what do you think? Uh, who knows? It's hard to say. But still, this is... I get it, but I think you're right that PIX probably just wanted them gone, but they needed to figure out something else. 12.05 a.m. being your only syndicated show with local promos in the market. And also, I don't think they kept it as Pro Wrestling New York once they moved it to WCBS. I'm pretty sure it's worldwide, if not right away, then pretty quickly. Yeah, it's just a regular show. Yeah, so... I I I I don't get it. There's there's other things they could have tried. I'm curious, even though it's not the same audience. I wonder how much it would have cost for them to. Well, no, they probably couldn't have gotten MSG at the time. But like a sports channel or just something, just to see. I'm, well, I mean, they want. I think they wanted to be on that network on station too. I think that's part of it as well. Her wanted to be on that marquee which channel. Doesn't matter to WC. fans or anything. Like that matters to Jim Hurd. Clearly, yes. That's the thing, Vic. You gotta people gotta remember. You gotta remember this, especially he is now. as corporate as corporate gets. Yeah, you gotta remember, especially in nowadays, what wrestling fans want is basically you know minuscule to what the wrestling powers want, especially in WWE. Well, it's all and- about they want they want the prestige, they want all that stuff. Wrestling fans aren't, aren't like that, you know. It's just a totally different thing on what you want, right? And also, it's it's probably some of the Bischoff mindset where you know, like things would be with them going to Disney and all that. It's like you know, we can say that we're on CBS's flagship station, that kind of thing. Maybe this can help with ads. I, I don't think it really would have helped in any way, but just it, it completely changed though how WCW was seen in the New York market. Yeah, that, that's the thing because they were doing the custom show too. So to get rid of that too, like it just even if the outside of that October date, business did seem to hold steady. But like I do, like kids at school and everything because of the times not changed. Like just we're not talking about WCW as much. Yeah, but like I said though, that was the old WF time slot where they did very and and, and like uh, one of the newsletters said, it never stopped WF from drawing in, in New York. Well, there's an asterisk there because some of the time when the WWF shows were on around midnight on WOR, they also aired in different time slots on uh, WNJU. So yeah, but still. Broadcasts. Their main deal was WOR, though. Yes. I didn't know until I ever got tapes of it, though, about that they had the WNJU slot. I thought... I thought that was only for Florida TV and the Spanish versions. I didn't realize they ran the regular English TV on there. Anyway. All right, so let's go to TV tapings. Tons of news starting with the syndicated TV tapings for the weekends of August 24th and 31st on August the 5th in St. Joseph, Missouri. For Pat House 3249, that's great. Even if that, even you know what? Even if there's a lot of comps, that's such a small market that that's pretty impressive. Yeah. In the dark match, Terrence Taylor and Richard Morton beat Dustin Rhodes and Robert Gibson when the heels used the computer on Gibson. Then for Worldwide, Ron Simmons won a squash match. He should challenge Lex Luger. Luger came out with Mr. Hughes and Harley Race and Triple Team Simmons. That's a Barry Wyndham, now full-fledged babyface, made the save. 
Well, when Simmons asked, not exactly yet, but when Simmons asked Wyndham why, Wyndham said he's been around a long time. It's not going to let guys get away with that kind of stuff. Dave wants to know who has the bounty out in the yellow dog now. <laughs> Later, Wyndham was jumped by the same threesome, and Simmons made it safe for him. The Patriots, Chit the Firebreaker, a.k.a. Curtis Thompson. Oh, of course. Yes, that would be ass. And Todd Champion, doing a military gimmick debut, and we're giving a big push, but then getting a great reaction. Well, that's not really... I mean, one of them has a military gimmick. Well, Dave's well, getting the report. Yeah. Oh wait, I misread it. No, he means it's it's with not like yeah, Chip the Firebreaker, AK Curtis and Todd Champion doing the military gimmick. He doesn't know he's called private Todd Champion, so it's Freddy's Todd. Kevin Nash was back as Oz, and people hated it worse every time he came out. But this between was, the grand uh, this this is this is different Oz. This is Oz without all the extra well, let me continue. dressing. Let me continue. Yeah. Between all the grandiose set designs and all the talk and work that went to the gimmick has to be the biggest flop gimmick of the year. It's okay when something flops, but in this case, it isn't. Because it's flopped so many times, it's past time to c cut the losses. But since so much money was spent, they just have to keep pushing it to try to justify the expenditure. They could have saved us a lot of money by asking anyone who's a fan what they thought of the idea before they went and spent all that money because it's had flop written all over it before it escaped from the egg. A new terminology for bad gimmicks. <laughs> but they didn't I care. That's what they wanted because it tied in the Wizard of Oz and Turner. And MGM and blah, blah, blah. But I believe, because we had the hiatus, isn't this when he does the toned-down version of Oz? Well, he does that, but I, don't, I, don't, I think here he's still doing it. So here he's still got the wizard mask and the robe and the... But they're not doing all the full Kevin. I mean, Kevin Sullivan and that stuff. Yeah, Kevin Sullivan is not there under the rubber mask anymore. He's just doing the one man gang stuff. Um, oh wait, yeah, wait a second. Kevin Sullivan is in WCW. We were talking about that. We well, I'm not done yet. Well, Nancy's not there either way, though. But well, still, I'm not done reading the, reading the notes yet. So, oh, well, okay. Um, but anyway, they did that with Vinny Vegas too, didn't they? Where he had it periods where he existed where he was just a guy in tights and boots yes it was weird he was still in the gimmick but he wasn't both times rick steiner rick steiner and bill casman worked as a tag team with Kaz doing most of the work if you can call it that <laughs> says steiner still has a bad elbow richard morton beat johnny rich to advance a lightweight title tournament as did brad street <laughs> brad Armstrong's bad street yeah. beating joey Matts. Putting established TV jobbers in a tournament should do wonders for a credit bit of a new title. Mm -hmm. Dustin Rose, Big Josh, and Tom Zink won the six-man titles beating the, the Freebirds when Zink pinned Bradstreet. Johnny Badward was a full-fledged babyface without ever even turning. Patriots beat Arn Anderson Larry Zbysko by DQ. Then a big white boss was brought to the ring as a present for Sting. Sting opened up the box, and out came Abdul the Butcher, who attacked Sting. And WCW Pro tapings saw PNU's rap to a lackluster reaction. This gimmick is rapidly running out of steam. He's not lying. Dustin Rose beat Porkchop Cash. Ron says we don't aren't interested in a very good match. Patriots beat Freebirds and Ontario September matches the house show September. Casimir beat Rip Rogers. Taylor over Gibson with Morton DT Gibson behind the rest back. Dark match main events had Sting over Nikita called by Countout in a death match. Rick Steiner and Bill Kazmaier beat the Hardliners in a terrible cage match. This Cavs was in most of the way with Steiner pit Dick Murdoch. Advertised Bobby Eaton versus Steve Austin never took place. Eaton got nine off take his driving test. 
Interesting. While Young Pistols, One Man Gang, and Black Blood didn't appear as advertised. So there's Sullivan's guys not there. So Now, the tour said they held, there was a meeting held with all the wrestlers at the taping announcing everyone would be fined a day's pay, their annual salary divided by 250 at the no-show in the event. It was not a welcome speech considering there's expected to be layoffs in a few weeks, and morale is already low. Wait a second, who in WCW 1991 is working 250 days a year? Somebody is, obviously. <laughs> That's weird. I, I, I thought, like, it, I was reading along and I think it's going to say 365, and it doesn't. That, that there's something missing here. There's got to be. Now we're going to get one of the rare trifectas, where we have all three newsletters covering different parts of a story. Ooh. And of course, who is it? Who does it involve? Thomas be- Edward Gilbert Jr. Mm-hmm. We'll start with Dave. Eddie Gilbert was scheduled to debut at the tapings, but no show because he was unhappy about his babyface role. Gilbert was originally scheduled to wrestle Morton in the light heavyweight tournament semifinals at the Clash in Cleveland on September the 5th. Matt Watch reported that Gilbert wrote Jim Hurd a long letter telling him he felt it was against his best interest at this time in his career to return to WCW as a babyface. He felt he'd be more effective as a heel, but he was told that slot went to Ricky Morton. And then the torch comes through saying that Gilbert was going to be tested for his loyalty during his first few months before getting any type of increased push. But he feared that when his test was over, there would be no increased push. <laughs> well, well, well. Somebody's been pretty busy talking to people. <laughs> um, did you also get the impression that he showed Steve the letter and fax, or faxed it to him or whatever? Oh, Absolutely. But how about all three having some sort of different type of information? I know. I'm trying to figure it out if that's better or, or, or worse than when they had nearly identical versions. I think but, it's better because at least he's he's mixing it up and trying to make it not look so obvious. Well, it's also he's they're not inconsistent stories. They're just different parts of it. Well, there's different, yeah, different uh, details. Yeah. Um. You know what, though? I don't know if the I don't know if the thing about testing his loyalty is necessarily from Eddie, because is Eddie really gonna be the one to broadcast to the newsletters? Yes, they don't trust me because I conned them into a release a year ago. No, I think he would. You think he would do that? I think he. I think it it wouldn't be in that type of vein, but I think it's trying to it's trying to make him look like he's trying to make it look like he's like a martyr or something, or they're they're picking on him or something like that. Hmm. That they want to test his loyalty. Well, shit. I wonder why. Because he lied to them about an injury he had to get a release. Yes. You know what's ridiculous about that too? This isn't 2021 WWE. Do you think there's any chance that he would not have gotten his release if he asked? He would have, I think. Especially with the way he was being used. I think it's most likely he would have been, especially given the reason he wanted to leave, was to be able to get the book. Yeah. You know, like I really don't think... He... I don't think there's any way that... Uh, that her doesn't give him his release. It was all nonsense. It was just working to work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that, that's Eddie Gilbert. For better or worse. It definitely is. 
<laughs> well, you need to get information out of him. So that's one thing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, starting several months after this is when he uh, discovers the information superhighway. <laughs> yes. And makes at least one burner account to post on CompuServe and ask what people thought of Global TV to get feedback from them. <laughs> yeah. And knowing Eddie Gilbert, probably much more than that. Yeah. But it, but it's not, uh, it, you know, it's 1991, 1992, so I doubt he has, like, multiple accounts. Yeah. Cactus Jack was at the tapings, but didn't rustle. Bam Bam Big was supposed to start the tapings either this week or next. Didn't happen. But interesting to see him there in this time frame as well, like Jeff Jarrett yeah. in 91 WCW. And if the people who could have come in or were about to come in did come in, especially towards, you know, end of the summer, early fall, where things start to turn around. That, that That's an even more interesting company at that time than it was in practice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, the August 6th WCW taping for 17th, 24th, and 31st from Sioux City, Iowa, drew 1580. As Tom Zink the Diamond Stud, Patriots beat Taylor and Morton in the tag tournament when champion pinned Taylor. Cactus Jack made his TV debut. Rick Steiner and Bill Casimir beat the one-man gang and the executioner, taking Black Blood's place, who was fired. So that's why Billy Jack's back in Portland. In a tag tournament, a terrible match. Dusted over Steve Austin by DQ in a TV title match when Lady Blossom interfered. Then the August 24th tape, had PN News beating one-man gang by count-up. But after the match, left PN News laying in the ring after 747 splash. News had a lot of school friends, and he's from nearby Harlington, Nebraska at the show. So they fucked him up. Hey, WWE ain't the only ones. Luger pinned Ron Simmons in a hot match. Jimmy Garvin over Chit the Firebreaker with Hayes interfered in a game of WDT. Austin and Diamond stud over Robert Gibson and Dustin Rhodes with Morton interfered and caused Guess Who to get pinned. August 31st show had enforcers over the Patriots to advance the tournament and the only not squash. In a bout for the main event, Tom Zink and Big Josh beat Diamond Stud in Oz. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash by disqualification. When Stud used Josh's gimmick on him, Dark Match saw Casimir Steiner over the Hardliners in a cage match. Terrible. Carl was advertised as Luger versus Simmons in a cage. Took place, not in a cage. Austin versus Eaton didn't take place. And Sting and Steiner versus the Hardliners in a cage, which took place in a cage, but Sting was given the night off. Okay, wait, now, wait, 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 wait. Now, well, hold on. Let me finish. Let's okay. go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. There was no announcement or refunds offered to the benefit of the kids in the crowd with their faces painted like Sting or, or the other fans. At a time when WCW needs all the fan support they can get from their loyal followers, they continue to ignore the little things that could be one piece of the puzzle rebuilding. Okay. Now. Do you want to read the next thing first? Yeah, Wade then goes on this about, <laughs> about uh, Dusty Rhodes. Some teenagers happened to see Dusty Rhodes at the event. They told him they were big fans of his and asked for his autograph. And Dusty, according to the teenagers, did not even acknowledge their existence. Wade said that he has personally witnessed similar scenes. And he said that he has no problem with turning down autographs in a respectful manner, but to not even acknowledge them when the fans who pay your paycheck is beyond explanation or excuse. He's right. If they're being polite, just, just, and you, even if you're just not wanting to do it, just just get, just throw out an I'm sorry, I'm in a rush. Yeah, and the fact that he didn't acknowledge him, I think, yeah. was the worst. That's all. That's all you have to do. That's it. And he didn't do that. And yeah, there were a lot of stories about him that were like that. So it's it's not surprising. Okay, here's it's and it's WCW everybody, but still, 
you have the cage. You have another cage match. But then the other cage match that was advertised as a cage match, you don't do in a cage, even though the cage is there. What? Like, the way it sounds, they taped it for television. Because it's in the middle of all the TV matches. So they were going to give you a cage match on TV. Luger Simmons? Uh, yes. Did that air on TV? I mean, it's listed with the TV matches that Dave has here, the A24 taping. Is there a Luger Simmons match on the A24 WCW Saturday night? Oh, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I don't know. Let's see. This is a night, August 24th, 1991. No. Yeah, there's nothing like that on the show. Well, then who knows Who knows what the deal was then, but it's listed with those matches, so Although I don't know. Although there is no non-squash match on that show at all, which is a little weird. Yeah. Right. In this era, there's usually some kind of TV main event, isn't there? Well, the TV main event on that show was... Um, let me go back to it. I was watching the video. Uh, the TV main event was the uh, was Arn and Zabisco against the Patriots on the twenty fourth. Yeah, I'm looking at the video right now. Oh, the one I'm looking, I am looking at it on ProWrestling.Fandom.com as an entry, and it does not have that. Yeah, August twenty fourth, ninety one on the YouTube, and that's the main event of the show. Huh. Uh, and that's that? and. Now, the WCW, on, on these notes here, it doesn't have that at all. It has Jimmy Garvin as Chip the Firebreaker. Does he even have the does he even have the enforcers against the Patriots at all in this taping? Yeah, on August 31st. Okay. But but this is, let's see what else. I uh, Zink and Josh against Stud and Oz. Let me see if that's on this show. All right. Okay, here's Zink and Josh. No, they're working job guys. Mm-hmm. So obviously, this stuff was taped out of order. Yeah, well, they did that a lot. Because Oz is working some job guy. And Oz, let's see what Oz is coming out to at this point in time. He's working Kevin Grant. And uh, he's wearing, yeah, he's wearing the cape and the full mask and regalia. Okay. Well, there you go with that. Um,. This is just bad, though, all this, like, all the cage match thing, and then also, I'm sorry, he's advertised, it's a TV taping, can't he have a different day off? Uh, silly. Just bad, just, just bad, and very WCW. Were they doing, like, a whole Midwest swing, though, or was this just an outlier where everyone had to fly to Iowa and then back to Atlanta? They just ran St. Joseph's the night before, Vix. Oh, yeah, sorry. I forgot that was the night before, though. Um, but wait, was he... Wait, now I'm forgetting. Was he in St. Joseph's? Yes. Then what? He's on the Midwest Loop already. This is, this is just bad planning. That's all it is. All right, let me see here. Okay, so... All right, um... Yeah, he beat Nikita in St. Joseph's. They had worked Topeka uh, the night before... They had Kansas City, Topeka. They did St. Louis. Okay, they did a lot. They did Springfield, Missouri on the first, St. Louis on the second, Kansas City on the third, Topeka on the fourth, St. Joseph on the fifth, Sioux City on the sixth, and then came back on August eighth and back in Myrtle Beach. And Sting was on that show. So, so the 
I wonder if day off means something else, since it is the maybe he got maybe had a little injury, maybe had a little bang up issue, family something. I'm wondering, yeah, I'm wondering if there's something else here because it it's the last show of the loop you're already on. I gotta think there's something more going on than just he was given the day off. Yeah, something, yeah, something's off, but anyway, anyway, yeah. All right, um. Let me go back to what I was doing here. All right. Uh, there was no admits of that. Caddis Shatner, WCW has committed. This is still a torch. Caddis Shatner, WCW has committed to anything beyond these initial tapings. Caddis has no choice to make between his freedom to work wherever he wants, especially GWF, where he could be a major player, or join WCW if the money offered is substantial enough to justify dropping everything else. And Wade also had Japan there, too. He could be a star in Japan, you know? Yeah, it's not like he just went on a Japanese tour where he didn't do well and quickly realized he was not going to be invited back. Wade, yeah, Wade's very opinionated in this issue on some things. Okay. Yeah, he's pushing his agenda. Because it sounds like he does not want him to sign with WCW. <laughs> he, wants our, he wants him to sign with our good friend Joe. Yeah. I guess. Arn Anderson supposedly looking at return to WWF, which could eventually lead to him forming a regular tattoo with Ric Flair once Rick's singles run cools off. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> All right. House shows. Kansas City on the third, or 2200. It's JYD pin Black Bart. Diamond Stud over Tom Zink. Trying to be better over PNUs. Freebirds over Young Pistols. Austin over Big Josh. Dustin Rose Robert Gibbs over Taylor Morton. Best match on the card. With Dustin Penn Taylor. Barry Wynn over Yellow Dog in a good match. Sting over Nikita by Count on a death match. Bobby Eaton and Hell Gonti over the Hardliners in a cage match. Terrible. Luger over Simmons when race interfered behind the rest back, and he dropped Simmons. Good match. Topeka on August 4th drew 1,800. As PNUs beat Johnny Bad by the Q when Tanner Long interfered. Diamond Stud pins Zinc. Freebirds over Young Pistols. Very good match. Dustin Rose and Gibson over Taylor Morton when Rose pinned Taylor. Barry Wyndham as a baby face beat Bradstreet. Very good match. I like to see that fucking match. Yeah. Austin over uh, Black Bart. Bad. Sting double counted with Nikita. No DQ. Hardliners over Junkyard Dog and Big Josh in a cage match. Something for Rick Steiner Gigante, okay, which was wait, terrible. Wait, 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 You can't substitute both guys in your main event cage match on a team. They could do they could do whatever they want. And Luger pin Ron Simmons who has Phil in the but Ray scooped it off. Has there ever been a national promotion with worse booked house shows than the first few years of WCW? Mm, no. Myrtle Beach on the eighth drew one thousand fans as PNU's pin Black Bart, Big Josh over Bradstreet. Freebirds over Young Pistols, Morton over Gibson, Zinc over Diamond Stud in 45 seconds. Also went to a draw of Eaton and Sting double count with Nikita. And if, we... if, well, and if it's Zank over Stud in 45 seconds, I think this is also when they're doing the finish where he pins DDP. Okay. And then Charlotte on August 9th. First time in Charlotte, I think, since Flair. Drew 980 paid. As Big Josh beat Bradstreet, PNUs over Johnny Bad, Freebirds over Young Pistols when Bradstreet interfered, Sam Houston over Black Bart, Tom Zink over Diamond Stud in less than a minute, Ricky Morton over Robert Gibson, Austin going to a draw with Eaton, Rick Steiner and Ron Simmons over the Hardliners, Luger over Wyndham in a real good match, and Nikita over Sting in a chain match. This was the show that some of the Charlotte media suggested boycotting because of the flair situation. But the crowd wasn't much lower than they'd been averaging. The last two shows drew about 1,200 each previously. And while they were we want flair chance during Luger's match, they were actually less vociferous than in most arenas of late. Yes, the Charlotte media was openly calling for a boycott. Yes. 
Who were we referring to here? TV, newspapers, newspapers. I guess that that the the, the flare friendly newspaper because they were. Well, okay, because I'm I, newspapers.com has the Charlotte Observer for sure, right? Yeah. I I searched for August 1991. There were no results for Ric Flair. If I search for July, let's see if we do it by newest. Uh, there had been nothing in the Observer, the Charlotte Observer, since July 16th, and the last met that last mention of Flair was what is this? Looks like a column. So this is Tom Sorensen's column for Tuesday, July 16th. And one of the blurbs, it's, you know, you know the, how there would be sports columnists all over the place that would have, like, multiple bullet point columns. Yeah. So, uh, here's what he says. I'm not saying I have an interesting desk, but on it are a yellow brochure with the words, How to Get to Heaven on a Motorcycle, and a fax from an attorney for the National Wrestling Alliance, who we can assume is Bob Trovich, right? I guess. The fact says Charlotte's Ric Flair is still the champion of the NWA, a cooperative wrestling promoters. It was another group, World Championship Wrestling, that two weeks ago fired Flair. Uh, on Monday, this newspaper received calls when, from Flair fans in Florida and West Virginia. People care. So, I'm assuming it's TV or it's one of the smaller papers that we don't have. Yeah. What is the rival paper there? I don't know of the rival paper. All right. Anyway. let's keep... Oh, no, wait. Here we go. Uh, no, I found the actual article. There's there in, on July fourth. Uh, he specifically recommended the boycott. It was the headline on the front page of the paper, or at least the front page of the sports section. Well, there it is. Yeah. All right, the TV ran to TBS the weekend of August third and fourth for the lowest in the history of the station. In August, is traditionally the highest rated month for cable television. Although the link between that and Flair's lead in the promotion has to be at best a very small indirect link. Since the ratings have been on a steady major downturn since late March. They obviously didn't consider strong enough the possibility that Flair would take his belt and WF would recognize it. David thought the odds were against it as well, but in the same situation, he wouldn't risk the possibility either. WCW did a 2.1, Main Event did a 1.9, Power Hour did a 1.1, which is half of what Gunsmoke reruns did in the time slot before Power Hour was put in that time slot. Wow. Not great. The lowest in the history of the station. Lowest wrestling rating? That's what it said. Just read it. Uh, wow. Let's go to some clips here. So, on World Championship Wrestling, we have a Jimmy Bad Steve Austin little mini feud going on here. Both guys still pretty fresh in the company, and uh, Dusty's them put them together in a way. So... We have two clips here watching this play out. And again, Jimmy Bad is still a heel here. And Austin, of course, is the heel TV champion. Well, so, the heel face alignments in WCW at this point are a little odd. Well, you can also tell that they're ready to turn Johnny B. Bad babyface. So you can. But this, this is also the same period where Barry Windham has turned babyface, but is still being advertised on the heel team for the next pay-per-view. Yeah. But he's already alive. Well, we'll have more on that in a minute. But let's go to the uh, Jimmy Bad Steve Austin saga here. Welcome back, everyone, to World Championship Wrestling. Beautiful Bobby's coming up next in the ring. But right now, I understand Paulie dangerously standing by with stunning Steve Austin and Lady Blossom. 
All right, Ross, I'm back here in the media room at the Tallahassee Civic Center. I'm standing here with Lady okay. Blossom and her client, the world in front of a green screen. Champion, stunning Steve Austin. And, sir, I saw a couple weeks ago Johnny B. Bad coming out here. And I don't think you have to worry about Johnny B. Bad. What I think that should be on your mind, sir, right now is beautiful Bobby breathing down your neck is all the contenders oh that are God. coming after you because you are, as Chris. the world's television <laughs> champion. What is happening with Jeannie's hair in the green screen? <laughs> This this green screen it's it's a WCW logo s green screen it's a multicolor deal and Jeannie's hair is changing colors in the screen in a way and kind of moving like it yeah. looks like it's being blown around but I don't think it really is they I mean why why do we even need this green screen here I mean this is thinking too much because you know they didn't use the green screens in eighty nine. You know, they started they using them the, more in 90 the, like, and 91s when they really go overboard. With it was just like a photo studio type backdrop. Usually. I think this is Jim Jim Hurd wanting to be like WF. Yeah. Oh, my God. It looks like it, like one of those really bad WWE 2K games. Yeah, it does. You know, where like where they just couldn't figure out how to make women's hair and anatomy work. <laughs> well, <laughs> insert your joke here about WWE and women. So. Oh, boy. The best wrestler on television today. Oh, well, you were there, Paulie. When I first came in this organization, I said I was going to be the world television champion. That's exactly what I did. I took the belt from Bobby Eaton. Yep. And I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Bobby Eaton is one of the finest in the world today. And I'm thinking about... What are you doing? Well, I was just looking at my new earrings, my brand new earrings. Your brand new earrings? Well, oh, where'd sir, you get that's them? That's why your hair Well, Johnny B gave them to me. Johnny B. Bad gave you these earrings? Yes, he, he gave me those earrings. Well, don't I buy you nice things? Yeah, I, they were just so cute. I mean, I couldn't help it. They don't, were so... don't I buy you nice clothes? Yes, you do. I, what? I, I, listen, I am the world television champion. If anybody's going to buy anybody what? anything, I'll buy you something. You don't need these. You don't need those. What is If anybody's going to buy you something, I'll buy it for you. I'm the world TV champion, and we'll do things my way or not at all. Thanks for coming. Uh, well, from the media room... Stunning Steve, not too happy with Johnny B. Bad. Let's go back to the ring. Ladies and gentlemen. Well, let's go to, <laughs> all right, so let's go to the next clip, which is the end of this show, August 3rd, World Championship Wrestling. And let's just see how this ends up with uh, Johnny B. Bad and Stunning Steve Austin. And boy, does Jim Ross look overworked here. <laughs> let's constipate it. Wait, how soon after, isn't the show he did with Kidney Stone not long before this? Probably in the same era. What was it, Super Bowl, maybe? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. And some, from someone who's had kidney stones, uh, it ain't no fun, put that way. Would it? And would it? Would he? Would did you still look like this when you when you were talking three months later? I don't know how I looked. I just know I know I was hurting whenever it was hurting. Okay. So. Bad and Theodore Long make their way up here to have a few words with us. We don't have a great deal of time left, but don't miss a great main event. Tomorrow, right here on TBS, it'll be Eaton and Morton. And early in the program, uh, Theodore, uh, interesting comments were made by Stunning Steve about Johnny B. Bad. Well, let me say something, Jim Ross. Everybody talking about what up with the beautiful Johnny B. Bad. Well, Stunning Steve Austin has to understand one thing, that Johnny B. Bad is a fashion plate on World Championship Wrestling, and he admires beautiful... That's awesome. Right behind you, I guess he can hear it from, the, hear it from himself here. And listen up, buddy. I don't think you need to be buying Blossom any earrings... Any other jewelry or any dresses? 
You understand what I'm saying? I don't want you buying her anything. If anybody's going to buy her something, it'll be me. Gunner, I just want to go shopping with her. Well, it sounds like he made it pretty clear. He doesn't, he must, apparently a little, he little jealousy. He got all puffy at me, Teddy. He's almost as pretty as me when he gets mad. Oh, hey, Jenny. Oh, hey. Don't worry about Sonny Steve, Lady Blossom. Everybody worry about the fashion play, the world championship wrestling, the man with the left hook, the tutti fruity, the beautiful Johnny B. Bang. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you tomorrow night on the main event. Okay, so basically the storyline is that Steve Austin is getting the wrong vibes and becoming extremely jealous of his girlfriend's new gay friend. <laughs> she, he just wants to go shopping with her. That's all it is, Bix. And boy, was he doing a different voice here. <laughs> Are you talking about Jimmy Bad? Yeah. Oh, early Jimmy Bad's voice is definitely different than what it would become, even in 1992. I mean, he's definitely going more on a little Richard... The gayer side of his oh, How about all those people on Twitter when I mentioned the PN News, uh, Johnny Bad on BET thing? How about all those people that genuinely still thought that Mark Merrill was black? I, I don't know why. Because <laughs> yeah. he's not. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure that he wouldn't tell that story of um, his dad using a Yiddish racial slur about Little Richard if he was... If his mom was black. <laughs> and he yeah, was. but yeah, it's just it's, it's the storyline to go. I, I mean, I guess because, you know, there's a female ballet and stuff. You could do something like this with Austin, but it just it, I mean, it just didn't fit. No, it, especially since it just debuted. Yeah. And Johnny Bad's a heel. For now. <laughs> you know. I mean, for now, but still, he is still a heel. So, yeah, it, it seemed like they, they were just throwing stuff against the wall, you know, and see what will stick and everything. And, you know, beautiful Bobby's mentioned there, and God bless Bobby Eaton, just recently passed away. And this is a time period in WCW where Bobby Eaton is one of the most important guys in that company. Mm-hmm. Because he's he, he's now Bayface and he's now trying to work with all these young heels and trying to get them over. And, and like I said, you know, he's doing this with Austin, you know, TV title feud and everything. And he's trying to get over, you know, Morton's new heel character. He's got the clash match with Flair he just had in June. Um, he is so integral to this promotion here, so integral to what's going on. 91 was a, even though, you know, he's by himself, he's baby face and everything. 91's a very important year for Bobby Eaton, his career. And then also, when he turns back heel, he's one of the big catalysts in the Dangerous Alliance angle, because there's the mm-hmm. whole thing where they go back and point out that he, as pretending to be Sting's friend, was trying to mm-hmm. divert him away from the ring so he'd mm-hmm. lose by four or fifth to Rude at the Clash in November. Lose by count out. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So just wanted to talk about Bobby. You know, as, as we record this thing, he died after we recorded part of this show. And uh, definitely just want to get that out there because uh, he was he was an amazing talent, amazing man, and um, gone way too soon at 62 years old. He did, it, it, he's one of those guys that you don't think about being younger than young as he is 62 
because he was 15 or yeah. whatever when he started, right? When you look at when he's in, you know, when he's in Memphis in '82 with uh, with Sugar, he's 21 years old, 22 years old. Yeah, he's young. It's hell. But he already been in the business for you know five years. No longer. What didn't he start in like '75? Yeah, I mean, I mean I about it. he's re- like really, you know, as a guy who's working as a regular in a promotion. Sure. You know, he was doing like. Like TV job work and stuff like that, but it's about like being a guy who's actually making right, right, town. Right, 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 right. Not just not just him and Orville Hutto doing TV jobs as the Brown Bombers or whatever. Yeah. So, Bobby, rest in peace. Definitely will be missed. All right. So, let's go to another situation that's going on in the World Championship Wrestling right now, as uh, they're starting to kick up a new feud for the World Heavyweight Title. As Ron Simmons and Lex Luger are about to hook it up. So let's go to Paulie Dangerously in the ring with Ron Simmons after a Ron Simmons squash match. And uh, let's see what's going on in, in the world of Ron Simmons. Paul's hair is at its most Michael Keaton here. Oh, yeah. Ron Simmons. And on August 25th in the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia, this man, the All-American will step into the ring with the heavyweight champion of the world, the total package, Lex Luger. And Mr. Simmons, if there's one man in this sport that matches up to you and his amateur credentials, if there's one man in this sport that matches up to your power, to your physical tools, it's the heavyweight champion of the world, Lex Luger. Well, the heavyweight champion of the world says enough in itself, but they said the same thing to Ron Simmons when he went to Florida State, that he would never make it. They said the same thing when I entered this world, that the chances were against me. Look what I did at Florida State, and look where I am now. This country, like I've said before, gives a man and woman any opportunity to do what they want. And I've taken opportunities, and I've taken them to the limits of my ability. And this is another opportunity that Ron Simmons has got. Not only have I got the opportunity to be the best I can be, I've got an opportunity this time to make history in this sport. I have a chance to be the first black heavyweight champion this sport has ever had. And I plan to be just that when the opportunity presents itself. No man is beyond being beat. No man is beyond taking the fall and going down this ring. And I plan to be just that. You see... Well, we have been joined by Harley Race and Mr. You. Let me tell you something, Mr. Ron Simmons. I don't care how many times you have been all-American this or all-American that. You are far, far short of matching the total package. Let me tell you something. I know who you are, and everybody here knows who you are. Listen, brother, let me tell you. You don't want no part of this, so stay out of it. Mr. Hughes. And another thing, you can go back and tell Lex Luger anytime and anywhere Ron Simmons is ready. Okay, 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 okay. Thank you very much. I think we better get out of here, and we'll be back right here on TBS after this. All right. Well, at least so we didn't set, use any racial slurs here. Yeah. Th- well, it's it's early in the early in the thing. So, 
the, the Ron Simmons, I mean, I think at this point in time, was he would have been better to win on the world title in this part here than he was in 92. I'll tell you why. Because he's actually being pushed in a program for the world title. You know, him and Luger, I mean, this this program starts here in the, the 1st of August, and they have a, and their program is going until Halloween Havoc. So you got a close to three-month, two-and-a-half-month build here for before the big match, where the Vader thing was just like a big surprise out of nowhere. And it's like he, the fans weren't conditioned that Ron Simmons is a guy who is the main guy for the, cha- the title because Vader had just won the title, you know, a few weeks earlier from Sting. So this, as far as Ron being a world champion, I think it would have worked a whole lot better here than it did then. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. For every reason that you said, like it came out of nowhere. And then also in 92, when it actually happens, he's not booked like a champion after the first like week. Yeah. And I mean, he, 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 you know, after the Luger feud, I mean, he's still working, you know, main event type guys, but he's not in the main events anymore. And that's the thing. He's not in the main events until he wins the title back. Yeah. So, I mean, wins the title, not back, but wins the title in all, in August of 92. So real weird, the trajectory of Ron Simmons. And it's the same guy booking, but, all, but you're under different power structures too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So really weird. And this is the time when Luger was, you know, here and there and everywhere, not around as much. So, but anyway, all right. Uh, Daniels have been running less jobber matches on syndication to play. Especially, you know, worldwide, they had Robert Gibson and Tom Zink against the Enforcers. Reps off the match because they worked over Gibson's knee the entire time. Yellow Dog, Brian Pillman against Terrence Taylor. Good match. Dog getting the clean pin. And Sting and Rick Steiner against the Hardliners. The Hardliners went in by disqualification when Sting brought in a chair. Hmm. I mean, you don't have to have all jobber matches on TV all the time. No. It's not that hard to do. You can have them, and they're necessary in a way, especially to get people over. But you can have people working against each other and have competitive matches on TV, and not have no big deal. So, all right, the Clash show has been revamped without the Georgia Red Clay match, and the Luger's Tom Zink main event's been dropped. Um, Only match Dave knows of is Dustin Rose and Bobby Eaton against Terrence Taylor and Steve Austin. Rick Steiner and Bill Kazmaier against the Enforcers in the finals of the tag tournament. And two light heavyweight tournament semifinals. One of which is generally scheduled as Brian Pillman versus Brad Street. Pillman without the yellow dog get up, which is at least on paper a hot action match. The tentative main event right now is Ron Simmons versus the Diamond Stud. With the winner getting a title shot at Luger at Halloween Havoc Pay-View from Chattanooga. Dave believes it will also be a test of strength angle with Nikita Koloff and Bill Kazmaier. Well, By that the way, I happen. love how no one seems to know how to spell Kazmaier at this time. Now, here's the thing to me, okay? Hmm. Um, Ron Simmons versus Diamond Stud in a number one contenders match. I mean, that's, or, you know, getting a title shot. I think that, I mean, I don't know if I would build it as that because we all know who, who Luger is going to face. I mean, it's, as obvious as nose on your face that he's going to face uh, Ron Simmons. Yeah. So so why even bill it as that type of match? Which did they did that match even happen? I'm looking now. So okay, Fall Brawl '91, 
Clash 16 is Eligante wins a battle royal list eliminating one man gang. Brian Pillman over Bad Street. Sting over Johnny B. Bad to retain the U.S. title. Richard Morton over Mike Graham in a light heavyweight tournament semifinal. Freebirds over the Patriots. Ron Simmons over the Diamond Stud in two minutes, 25 seconds. Awesome. Uh, that's how I got that match to place. Yeah. Heavy Metal Van Hammer over Terrence Taylor in 107. Uh, Stunning Steve Austin over Tom Zank in 907 to retain the TV title. And in your main event, the Enforcers defeated Rick Steiner and Bill Kazmaier in 333. A lot of short matches on these shows. Well, there's nine. And then also, I just realized, at back-to-back, back-to-back clashes, they did two consecutive title change main events that were short based on the babyface being injured earlier in the show. <laughs> I never noticed that before, did you? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff like that in WCW in this time period. A lot of that. Where you, you'll see similarities. You know, it's kind of like what you see in WWE a lot, you know, in recent years, where you'll see the same type of story every year basically well more often than that but yeah i mean think about the times in recent years where they they would do basically the same story on raw and then raw and smackdown Hmm. remember the oh remember when pages group and the riot squad debuted the same week yeah there's more but that's the obvious one that jumps out and and there's other things too but wcm is doing that shit too so yeah but i mean Back-to-back primetime specials exactly two and a half months apart. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Torch said there's a new WCW World Title belt on order. Reportedly, that cost $17,000, which is $11,000 below what Flair paid uh, for his belt. Well, it was never, though, that the, it cost 28000 for Nelson Royal to have the belt made. It's that that was the NWA deposit, right? That's what I thought. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what the 28000 is. I forget what Nelson Royal ordering through the belt buckle people paid when Crockett had him order the big gold belt. But okay, so if we're saying this is 17000 which I'm not sure I believe in the first place. Do you? On the high end or the low end? I think it's high. Yeah, I think it's high too. Looking at that belt, I think it's high. And I know you have less belt makers back then. But, but still, that belt that belt wasn't a. <laughs> it I mean it was a nice belt, but it was I mean there were better belts. Let's put it that way. Inflation calculators for some reason throw typing other junk numbers in when I type it in. That's not good. It's only happening when I do it in that place. It's not ha- It's not like there's something wrong with my keyboard. Okay, there we go. If I copied and pasted it, work. That was weird. Uh. With inflation, that's almost thirty-four grand. Yeah, there's no way they paid that much. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure someone knows the actual cost. I'm sure Conrad knows what the original cost of the belt was, but I, I don't think that's what the twenty-eight grand figure was referring to. Yeah, I don't think so either. All right, back to Dave. Apparently, several wrestlers said to be fifteen to nineteen will be let go at the end of the Bash tour. Oh, no surprise on that list. Most of the names are Angela Death and Sam Houston, and nobody really knew it was even around to begin with. The biggest names in Jeffrey being gone are Junkyard Dog and Robert Gibson. Junkyard Dog, who's a, like a revolving door in WCW in this era. Um, He's here one week, gone the next. He has like, what, four separate runs in four years? <laughs> yes. 
Um, okay, I just I just Googled and I found, at least according to championshipbelts.com, I don't know if that's Dan's website or someone else's, Nelson Royal paid 12 grand in 86. Okay. Yeah, there's no way, there's no way this belt is, that the, yeah you know, the original WCW logo belt is 17 grand in 1991. He thinks Fiend weighed that story. I think that the 17 grand? Mm-hmm. That's a Reggie Parks belt, right? Uh, yeah, that's what I thought. I'm sure it's just someone in WCW. I don't know who. Okay. Well, who knows? All right, uh, Matt Watch. Lots of talk. Kevin Sullivan. Oh, wait, wait. Uh, well, no, there were two things we were talking about here. I wanted to talk well, about I, the, it's, uh, it's all part of this, too. It's all oh, part okay, of this, with too. the releases? Go ahead. Lots of talk. Yeah, yeah lots of talk of Kevin Sullivan, Diamond House Page, and Sir Oliver Humpernick on the bubble as well. All right, go ahead. The there ends up. Let me see if I can find it. And it had their pay too. Yeah, there ends up being a list. Uh, is this the right one? I think it is. Let's see. There's something from the Ranger Ross lawsuit that lists everyone that was fired in this thing. I know I have it somewhere. Uh, was it? Because I have a few things that were filed in the, you know, like the Sonny Ono. And well, the, okay, well, you look, but then yeah. here's the interesting. Look at those three names that Steve list. Those are all Dusty guys. Yeah, well, so DDP sticks around, Humperdinck leaves, Sullivan leaves, right? Yeah. So the only the only one that stays but is DDP. But DDP becomes, yeah, DDP becomes a wrestler, though. He's not a manager anymore. Yeah, that's true. And but all three guys are working as managers too in the first place. Yeah, and they probably shift DDP to a different contract. He's probably on a manager's contract. I mean, wrestler contract, excuse me. Yeah, I would think that changed. Uh, let me see, as I search for Ranger Ross. So who else gets released? I guess search for Angel of Death too, just to say. Mm, yeah, I'm not finding. It. I mean, that lit that list sounds broadly right. I believe, but right now I'm having trouble finding I didn't think Ranger Ross was even around in this era at all. Oh, so well, he's still I under contract they, at this time. No, he absolutely is. I thought in that 90, I mean, if there's a 90 list, I thought you'd see him on there, but not here. No, he's, uh, you know, Randy Colley, I think, is on the list. Um, who else? So who's mentioned here again as I go look back to look at it? So mostly names like Angel of Death and Sam Houston. Those sound right. Randy Colley, Ranger Ross, um, I don't remember who else. Well, anyway. If I find it, I'll, I'll, before we finish, I'll bring it up. But. Uh, Van Hammer's supposed to come in down the line in the headbanger gimmick. Well, that happens. Uh, Diamond House Page Diamond Stowe will be on HBO Sports Monster Show late this month. Huh? <laughs> sports Monster? I do not remember Sports Monster on HBO. Maybe I'm missing something. What was that? Let's see. HBO Sports Monster. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's nothing on Google under that name. That's got to be something else. Or or HBO's wrong or something like that. It's not, you know, George, I remember George Michael's Sports Machine, and that's not on HBO. That's syndicated no. through NBC. But uh, yeah, I don't know what the hell Dave's talking about here. Hmm. And yeah, Ranger Raw. Okay, at least looking through like his contract and payroll stuff that I'm still able to find here, he is booked through September 5th. 
And I guess the releases happen right after that. Of 91 or 90? 91. Where is he working? <laughs> okay, do you want me to read you every date that it has listed here? It's not a lot. No, but I'm not, no, I'm not saying that, but I'm just curious where, I mean, like what town, just give me a, like a, a couple of towns or okay, something. He's January 30th in Gainesville. Uh, February well, that's January. Atlanta. Okay. No, I'm reading all this. February 24th and 26th, Atlanta, or some of this is as per contract. Uh, so I guess, like, so Gainesville, Dothan, looking at the ones that specifically say talent event fee, Panama City, Jekyll Island, Columbia, South Carolina, Richmond, D.C. It's actually not that many dates. Some of these are repeat the same dates over and over. Okay. So yeah, that so but he does he works a few dates and he but he's still under contract throughout that whole period. Wild. It's WCW. All right. What do you expect? Iron Cheeks under contract too. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh according to the wrestling hotline, the Freebirds may be dumping their manager. Missy Hyatt will be doing who a Missy Dust Mayo segment on the power hour. Cute name. Missy Dust Mayo. Now what does that supposed to remind you of? Luckily Dave never saw that movie, so he has absolutely no idea. <laughs> Uh, yeah, three birds to turn babyface. Of course, they dump all their heel stuff here. Yes, and also they have their one match run as the Screaming Eagles as well. And Miss and it's Missy does the mail, which I mean doesn't you know. doesn't quite work as I guess it or maybe it does. I don't know. When if, it, if, if they're really going for it, they try to find a way to call it Missy does a mail. I guess, but they, yeah, where you are talking about WCW Creative Brain Trust, I guess. That'd be tame terrible. No, yeah, geez, no wonder she sued this company for sexual harassment. Yeah. That'd be tame segments on Ron Simmons training at Florida State University to prepare for his upcoming match with Lex Luger. Yeah, which uh, we get him with uh, Bobby Bowden, who also just recently passed away as we record this. Died the day we are recording this. Uncle Bob. And, uh, for pan- pancreatic cancer and not, you know, 91 years old. But yeah. And, and um, th- this is a key thing for getting Ron over is all this stuff, you know. They did such a great job of doing that. And again, you know, like I said, it goes to the point. It would have been a whole lot better for him to win the world title here than it was in August 92. They had him ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave loved the polydangerously commercial that airs when he d- does the lion gimmick with dolls of Lex Luger and Ron Simmons. You remember this? Is that's on YouTube. Uh, so, I mean, is this a Galoo commercial? Yes. Okay. Because... I, I vaguely remember this. I, never, I couldn't remember if it was a glue commercial or what. All right, let's see. There, this is a YouTube upload that says it's multiple. I hope it's not one of those reviews things. Or, well, wait, there's WCW. Okay, there's individual uploads. Um, Is it number one or number two? Which is the one with Heyman. Let's see. You're ready to fight? Then step into the ring and take on Sting. There's me and my... No, that's not it. Is it number two? Are you ready to fight? Then step into the no, ring and take one. on Sting. You know what? That might that one might not, not have been a galoo. Is it the steel? Is it this? Let's see. Go back up. There's one that's for the steel cage. Where also there's the oh, oh it might be it might be for the ring set. Hold on. Uh, okay. Are you ready to fight? Step no. In the ring and take on. I wonder if that one was something that only aired on WCW programming. The rest of these are regular spots. Maybe. Well, it ain't on YouTube. Well, there's this compilation one too. I mean, I can. Are you ready to fight? Are you ready to fight? Are you ready to fight? 
Uh, yeah, I just want to see if the Paul E one is here. Nope, nope, that skipped straight to, because this YouTube upload is combining it with the Toy Biz commercials too, yeah. This one's not on YouTube for some reason. Maybe it's up somewhere as part of a full show, but not on its own. Hmm. Well, there you go. But it's something like uh, he's having someone like beat up Luger or someone else, and then the actual wrestler confronts him, and then he lies about it, I believe, is what Dave's talking about. And and uh, here's the read between the lines Matt Watch special story here. Ooh. Some behind-the-scenes doings at WCW led to some discussion about altering one of the color commentators' roles. That announcer threatened to quit over it. So for the time being, the commentator stays. Is this the same anonymous source that once described a conversation where he to Steve where he's quack, cracking wise at Vern Gagne the whole time? <laughs> this is so obvious. And if, if if you're a Matt Watch reader and you don't get the who he, the he's talking about Paul Heyman here, then you're really blind or stupid, one of the two, because it's so obvious it's Paul, you know? And then several weeks later, he is threatening a lawsuit. <laughs> so obvious it's Paul. WCW's worked out a deal with Marvel Comics to have a WCW wrestling comic book starting in the fall. A.K.A. one of the reasons that there some fans thought that PN News and Johnny B. Bad were black. <laughs> yeah, you want to explain that? Did you see I tweeted this in a reply to someone, too, who was asking about that uh, the other day, too? Let me see if I can... Because that way I'll have the actual panels. Let me actually find that so you can see it. Um, and Marvel Comics in 1991 is a different Marvel Comics than now. Let's put it that way. Oh, what makes you say that? <laughs> but yeah, this is from a battle royal that's in the first issue. Um, I'm going to, you know what? I'll send you the link in Twitter, so it's easier for you to get to it from there. I remember. Oh, you did see it. Okay, so they uh, they are colored as black guys. Mm-hmm. And I'll send it to you anyway. But especially, well, and in, in one of the panels, it's particularly obvious because Bad is wrestling Ron Simmons, so it's very obvious that's what the actual intent is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And PN News' skin tone looks nothing like his actual skin tone. <laughs> yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. I'm not sure why they thought he was black. Well, it's the rap gimmick, Biggs. Why people can't rap? Okay. <laughs> Other than third base. As people learned from me on Twitter this week, too. <laughs> oh, God. I don't even want to, don't even want to get a, <laughs> about that. All right. Um, now let's go to a wild story. Tommy Rich was arrested this past Thursday night in Troop County in the Grange, Georgia, when the car he, he was a passenger in was pulled over and the officer smelled marijuana. Rich admitted it was his and was charged with possession and faces a hearing on August 29th. Now, Steve Beverly said the car was pulled over before allegedly following another car too closely. Rich's arrest made most newspapers in Georgia, but no disciplinary action is expected. And Jim Hurd told Matt Watch that Rich will only be penalized if it becomes major news that TBS comes down on his head about it. <laughs> well, at least he's being honest. <laughs> so, in other words, if you see the car broke down by the side of the road, stop. It's wildfire. <laughs> and he was a passenger, you know, he wasn't driving, but it's, it's something the, they arrested for falling, well, pulled over for falling too closely. Uh, that happens a lot here. Oh, no, marijuana. 
and well, 1991, good lord. But 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 the uh, they love to pull that phone too closely. Thinks they can pull you over and um, mm-hmm. see what kind of exploration they can do. Yeah. So, but anyway, it's Tommy Rich. I don't think, I don't think there was really much of a big deal about it, but there you go. Yeah, the Tommy, Tommy Rich, Rich thing. Yeah, especially as Tommy Rich things go, marijuana is the thing I'd most want him to be in, in take. <laughs> yeah. All right. Turn Home Entertainment last week sent out ad sheets for the September release of the Bash, Rare America Bash video. Headline Legend versus Legacy. Talking about Ric Flair and Lex Luger's main event that never happened. And the six-person-in-the-cage match that also didn't happen. Uh-huh. That'd be <laughs> everybody. Uh, I'm trying to remember, did the actual video, uh, did that, did that, ha- ha- did they change it no. in time? Or they it, changed. They did, yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah, the video case had one them and uh, Luger on it. Yes. I have the, I have the original poster here somewhere, though. Well, let's continue with our WCW Everybody uh, closing of this show. Matt Watch, Jim Hurd told Steve Beverly that he was furious at Miami, that Miami Herald and Thomas Alice Marvez for suggesting that Hurd is on the verge of being dumped. Hurd said that Marvez hadn't bothered to call him for confirmation and said it was a blatant lie. Hurd was really irritated because this was a major newspaper and that no one in WCW offices is allowed to talk to Marvez anymore. <laughs> And this is also a syndicated column, too. Yep. This is through... What was it? Night, Night Raider? Yeah. Night Raider. In color. <laughs> but... This is what's up. I mean, Heard is in some shit here in this era of WCW. I mean, he's, he's feeling the heat. But... <laughs> so would this have been... Oh, I'm trying, I want to uh, see if I can find it. Would this have been in August or July? Uh, probably would have been in July, I'm thinking. Okay, let's see. Miami, Florida. Let's see, Jim Hurd. Well, I'll just start with 1991 and see what happens. Uh, June 24th. No, okay. Wait, there's, okay, well, let's see what's in August. Wait, this is August 18th? That's after our week. No, I know, just to see. Oh, no, that's about steroid testing. All right, give me a second so I can find it, but... Also, this is right around when uh, Alex starts three count as well. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what the, if that has anything to do with it. Uh, okay. Let's see. So we go back to July 3rd. Uh, unavailable for comment. This is about Flair. Uh, so not that. And then... There's probably a line in there, you know? It's probably yeah. a line in Or a line in a column. It's probably not a whole column. Well, no, probably not. Okay, so there is something in the August 4th column. Let me make sure I get one that's actually not faded. Okay, here we go. Okay, so here's what Alex wrote, okay? All right. Subheadline, replacements for Hurd, comma, Rhodes. The jobs of World Championship Wrestling Executive Vice President Jim Hurd and matchmaker Dusty Rhodes appear tenuous because of steadily declining television ratings and live show attendance. WCW has reportedly interviewed Bill Watts. (laughs) <laughs> Only Anderson, Ric Flair, and Greg Gagne for Hurd and Rhodes' positions. And uh, then next it mentions the thing you're about to close with. Yes. So, this is a famous story. But uh, Jim Cornette sent a funeral wreath to Jim Hurd at WCW office in Atlanta as a sympathy for killing the promotion. Hurd was said to have lapped it off. As uh, Alex put it in the Herald... Former WCW performers Jim Cornette and Stan Lane 
sent her a bouquet of dead flowers Tuesday with a note reading, quote, congratulations on the death of your wrestling promotion. <laughs> uh, Jim Cornette's been Jim Cornette for many years, hasn't he? Uh, at least 30, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, and of, course, of course, Stan Lane would send that because they just forced out Ric Flair. Stan Lane is the only wrestler trained by Ric Flair, so why wouldn't he do that? <laughs> He'd be very upset about that, yes. Yes, of course he is, because he's the only wrestler trained by Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah, they let go of his, his mentor. Now, isn't the other part of the story that... Um, let me see if I can find one, something about this on YouTube. Her WCW funeral wreath. That the card said to Jim, and heard either obliviously or intentionally had the secretary pass it on to Jim Ross. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. Um, I don't think we should play the cornet clip, but no, let's not go that no, way. No, no, but uh, that's the only one that's on YouTube. But I believe I believe that's the other part of the story. I thought Jim Ross talked about it on his pod. So if there if I if he did, there's not a uh, isolated clip. On the YouTube machine. Well, there you go. Yes. All and, right. And the thing, so. though, everyone needs to remember, though, is like, at the, at this point, like, Cornette and Lane are always joined at the hip. If you're hearing about one, you're hearing about the other. At this time, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it for us this week. Next week, we have a uh, Patreon request to show. We go back to 1985, and uh, Mark Cole will be on with us making its return to the show. And uh, we got an interesting show to talk about here. World Wrestling Federation. We got uh, not a lot of news-wise, but we got interesting house show results. And we got quite a few clips, including uh, Piper's Pit with Andre the Giant, Terry Funk with a wild appearance on TNT, and Gene Oakland in the woods with Corporal Kirshner. So we'll have that. Oh, dear. We got AWA news, including uh, an update on them starting on ESPN soon. So we'll have a discussion about that. We got World Class on tour in the Northeast. So we'll have that uh, news on, on that situation. We got Mid-South after the, the uh, Tokyo Dome, the Superdome, where we'll have Ted DiBiase making a major announcement regarding the Mid-South tag titles on television. And we got Dave Meltzer in Memphis. <laughs> Yeah, Dave Meltzer at the uh, convention in Memphis in 1985, the fan convention. So he talks about going to Mid-South Coliseum, which uh, that is being invented by Bad Street Match with Austin Island, Jerry Lawler, Terry Gordy, Michael Hayes. Ooh. And we have a Mid-America Heavyweight Title Tournament. So we'll talk about that. The reason why Mark Cole picked this show, Continental, Robert Fuller turns heel on Bob Armstrong, and, the t and that territory is never the same after that. So we'll... We'll have that whole scenario play out on the show. Of course, we got news from Florida. We got news on Pro Wrestling USA. We got our, uh, news from other North America, of course. New Japan, and they're making some big talent deals. We'll talk about that with various promotions. And uh, we got Joe Crocker Promotions, where we'll have uh, news on the NWA convention which could be the final NWA convention in Las Vegas. <laughs> so we have that. And we have clips uh, from WCW. And, uh, yeah, just a lot more. So uh, 
Interesting show. And Dave also talks about the re- one of the reasons why he doesn't really watch Jim Crow Promotions on TBS anymore. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. Does that explanation include the phrase Virgil Runnels? N- no, it does. I mean... Well, that's good. It, it's, it's basically a state of the promotion, his thoughts on their future. Let's put it that way. It's interesting. Dave is a very interesting wrestling fan at this time. So we'll talk We'll talk about that next week on the show. Yes, yes. And by the way, uh, the first week of September is when the first three count comes out. Just checked it. Just checked my little uh, archive for that. All right. Well, all right. That's it for us this week. Big thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Yo, VIP. Like a vandal, light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle. Dance, crush the speaker that booms. I'm killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom. Deadly, when I play a dope melody, anything less than the best is a felony. Love it or leave it, you better gain weight. You better hit bulls out of kid, don't play. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. Yo, so I continue to A1A Girls were hot wearing less than bikinis Rock men love us driving Lamborghinis Jealous, cause I'm out getting mine Shade with the gauge and vanilla with the nine Ready for the chumps on the wall The chumps acting ill because they're full of eight ball Gunshots ranged out like a bell I grabbed my nine, all I heard was shells Falling on the concrete real fast Jumped in my car, slammed on the gas Bumper to bumper, the avenue's packed I'm trying to get away before the jack is jacked Yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ's on.